Hello and welcome to the first episode of Lapsed Gamer Radio. I'm Ryan Heyman. Might be asking yourself, first episode, I thought I heard something last month. And uh, yeah, that is true. We had our episode zero last month in which we introduced the team and introduced the new segments and uh, proposed the uh, the game for the playlist that we'll be talking about this month, Kentucky Route Zero. And so if you missed any of that, then uh, go back and find episode zero. That'll give you a nice background of what we're going to be talking about today and kind of the general format of the show. But this is our first official full episode. So without further ado, I would like to introduce the episode one of Lapsed Gamer Radio. Our first segment today is going to be the tuned in section of the show where I, Ryan Heyman, am going to be joined by Mark and Kevin. Welcome to the tuned in section. Uh, this is where we're going to be talking about what has pulled us back into gaming recently. Kevin, do you want to start us off? Recently, I've been playing Tropico 5 on the PlayStation 4. Played it in the family room for about, I don't know, 32 hours, and then practically got kicked out of the house. So now I've gone back to the trusty 360 that's in the Manden out of the way. That's all in one straight session, right? I know how real-time strategy games get. It wasn't quite as bad as all in one session. I think it was split <laughs> over two. <laughs> now this is one of the RTS um, franchises that has managed to pass me over. This is the one where you're El Presidente, essentially, and you're running a, a sort of a dictatorship. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it's always sounded interesting, but I've never gotten into it. I've never tried it out. It's really good. You can get very in-depth, or you can do as little as you want as far as participating, so long as you actually build your colony and keep it running. Now you can actually pick out the people that you don't want to um, have some sort of influence, you know, and take, <laughs> make them leave the island or just disappear. <laughs> <laughs> I've always seen the series advertised on Steam, and it always kind of... A- came off to me like a uh, um, like a game that's best played on PC because I know that on consoles people have kind of a rocky history with strategy games because yeah. there's a lot of uh, um, a lot of the inputs are benefited by a mouse how do you find that uh, that playing with a controller affects your experience well it's funny because I've never actually um, run it through anything other than console it's pretty sharp and it's pretty intuitive after a while as well. You know, I, I don't know how I'd cope with PC. I think I'd probably fail. <laughs> <laughs> See, I dabbled with the um, <clears throat> the console version of, I think it was one of the Command & Conquer games hmm. a long time ago. Really didn't get on with it, but I've, I've always played RTS with a keyboard and mouse. So I don't know how I'd get on with the controller. It, it is on PC as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, it's on Steam. Well, I might have to check out in the future. Okay, um, so what I've been playing recently is the the new expansion for Destiny, uh, the House of Wolves, which fixes a lot of problems uh, which the series had. I know a lot of people who've been playing it since it first came out had dropped off recently, and the first expansion, um, the Dark Below, was a uh, little bit disappointing. Some people found it very disappointing. Um, but this new expansion seems to have fixed a lot of the problems that people have come back. There's um, new activities, less restrictive activities. So before, with the main game and the first expansion, the main thing was the raids. And you had to get together a team of six people. And it's really difficult sometimes to get together a team of six people who are at other level to be able to complete 
that you know that like a high end top end um, uh, activity. So all the new, the two new things, the PVP stuff, uh, which is the, called the Trials of Osiris, and the PVE stuff, the uh, Prison of Elders, is all just three people, which is a lot easier to do. Yeah, a lot easier to get together. Storyline stuff, uh, the main missions. There's there's a lot more story in there, and a lot more uh, diverse. Uh, which is both problems that uh, the game had before the stories were kind of go to point, hold a button, wait whilst your little ghost unlocked a door and you fought loads of enemies, move to the next area, rinse and repeat. Now there are a lot more varied, there's more interesting things to do and there's, there's way more story. There's still bugger all story, but <laughs> comparatively way more than there was before. Um, it's It's... It's very good. Um, they've made lots of changes to improve the quality of life, which is something odd you'd have to refer to in a game like this. But sometimes it would feel like a job because you'd have to you have to grind for so long to be able to get certain equipment. That's been made a lot more streamlined and a lot easier, so that you you only have to dip in and out. Once you've reached the top level, like I've got two of my characters to the new um, level cap, and I just need to dip in and every now and then whenever people want to join up to do something so it's a lot of improvements still not quite where it should be i don't think it will be until destiny 2 um at least but um yeah it's good i'm enjoying it coming to a shop near you soon i should imagine as well um well yeah they've got another expansion to come first like a big on disc expansion destiny 2 is probably going to be next year how many is that then three altogether as there's the the vanilla game, there's the Dark Below expansion, the House of Wolves, and then the next one, um, nobody's quite sure what it what it's going to be. It's got a code name Comet, and it's going to be like a big expansion apparently on disc with um, more locations because we've been on the same you know same handful of planets since the game came out. But there's not a lot of information about that yet. I'm I'm, I'm assuming that there'll be something at E3. So I'm guessing that's going to be it until September, and then there'll be some sort of sizable expansion in September. Yeah, just in time for the uh, summer holidays. Well, it is Activision after all. <laughs> um, Ryan, what have you been playing? See, actually, kind of ironically, one of the things that's been bringing me back into games recently are the Amiibo figures. The uh, They are outside of games, technically, kind of being real-life plastic figurines that Nintendo's been putting out. But I've... Uh, I've found them really interesting in that as gamers, a lot of what we do in games is collecting things, but everything is kind of locked in that digital world. You know, you have your, Mm. uh, your Pokemon or your, you know, Smash Bros trophy collection or your Monster Hunter armor sets and all the stuff that you worked really hard for. And there's a lot of, you know, fun to look at and you feel really proud of as a collection. But, um, once you turn off the game, your collection kind of stops existing. Mm. And so these uh, little amiibo figures, even though they don't do a lot yet, are kind of fun because they're a way of of bringing these characters that we know from this digital space into the real world and uh, kind of having, I don't know, just, just something there to, uh, to make me think back on Little Mac and Captain Falcon <laughs> and all these characters that I've spent so much time with. And it's, uh, it, it's kind of neat. But um, it's kind of a little side thing. I, um, I I was able to pick up the Splatoon Amiibos recently and have been Ow. kind of admiring their their builds, so much detail in the little figurines. And it's, uh, it, it's neat to be able to 
take that closer look at the art direction that goes on in these games because uh, video games and uh, Nintendo games especially are very kinetic and very uh, fast moving and you know sometimes it's hard to really take in the small details with some of the character design but there's some uh, really excellent stuff there if um yeah if you're able to slow down and just kind of soak all the details in so I've been uh, I've been enjoying that. Have any of you collected any of the uh, I guess plastic figurines that have been <laughs> popular for the past five or six years or so? Uh, no, because my house is already full of plenty of junk. <laughs> as it is. <laughs> yeah, my plastic figurine collection is sort of limited to um, the gumph you get with special editions of mm. games. I've got a few that are quite nice, but um, I don't have a Wii U yet, so I mm, haven't gotten mm-hmm. in on the old Amiibo thing. But from what I hear. Um, getting hold of one of those platoon amiibos is proving quite. I don't know what it's like in America, but uh, in this country, in, in uh, the UK, they're like gold dust. There was a truck, truckload <laughs> of them was stolen, and another yeah, one yeah. in Germany as well. Yeah. yeah, it's it's been a bit of a disaster the amiibo yeah. situation. I know everyone's been talking about it, and so I won't yeah. I won't go on that uh, that rabbit hole. But um, it's yeah, it's. Uh, and not well handled by Nintendo. Yeah, they're just not producing enough of them. No, and I think they're um, they're producing larger quantities of ones that they expect to be popular. And so you can walk into any old store and find you know a thousand Mario's and Diddy Kong's and uh, uh, Princess yeah. Peaches and Links. Mm-hmm. But um, you know they're kind of underproducing ones that are actually in the highest demand now. And yeah. so you know you try to find a Lucina or you try to find a Rosalina, and it's just you know you're not going to. Uh, have any luck at all it's not like nintendo to misread a market yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but uh, on the uh, on the digital side i've been playing through life is strange which is a um a adventure game in the telltale formula not not done by telltale themselves but uh kind of that walking dead style uh hybrid point and click adventure game that they introduced a little while back and um in it, you play a high school age girl who has the ability to rewind time. Oh, cool. And so naturally, you know, any writers in the audience will know that writing as uh, teenage girls is very difficult. Writing <laughs> as uh, or writing time travel stories can be extremely tenuous. And, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that this uh, this series of episodic adventure games, of which three of five have been released so far... Uh, it is very inconsistent with the way that it handles the time travel powers. You know, things stop working or she gains new powers that kind of contradict everything else at opportune moments. Uh, you know, and so it, it's uh, the continuity is being kind of pulled to its breaking point. But it, it is um, creating a really interesting story along the way. And it's creating really suspenseful cliffhangers at the end of each episode and uh, some really impactful moments, which have been really exciting and have been keeping things really fresh. And since it keeps kind of changing the rules of the world a little bit, which sounds like a big criticism, but it actually keeps things fresh and, you know, kind of keeps me guessing along the way. And so I'm I'm really excited to uh, round out this, this five episode series of Life is Strange. Uh, something I need to check out. Yeah, it kind of has a slow start, um, but it, it gets more and more interesting. Mm, sounds pretty cool, actually. Now, also wanting to share what he's been up to this month, here's Lee. Hello, Kevin, Ryan, Mark H, and all my other fellow LGRT members. 
showing probably my <laughs> tendencies as a lapsed gamer. It hasn't been E3 or any any of the news coming out of the, about that that has kind of got me to have the control pad back in hand. It's a uh, in in fact it's been Double Fine's Costume Quest Two, which. Um, from memory I, I recall that there was like some kind of delay like it only came out on a PC in time for um, the uh, Halloween of 2014 and I don't think it actually showed up on the consoles for some time after that and I think in my mind I just like made a mental note that I, I'd probably get around to buying it when they released some DLC set at Christmas because that was a kind of release pattern that they had done for the original title but um, sadly that, that never materialised and um, I think subsequently I'd heard rumours that there were kind of issues with the console uh, versions of the game that there was like a progression uh, stopping bug uh, that will occur towards the final third and sadly the game wasn't going to be patched because um, I think it might be like the publisher that was involved with the console version had gone bankrupt or something but there was I forget the kind of like finer points, but there was this, there was definitely like a barrier uh, to possibly picking up the game. But anyway, I, because obviously <laughs> like LGR is all about trying to get back into gaming. I, I thought you know the time's right. I'm just gonna you know buy the game on a whim um, and play through it with my little boy beside me because uh, he very much enjoyed watching me play the original Costume Quest. And uh, I must say that the sequel really does kind of continue on the the wonderful kind of iconography of Halloween the, the, the beautiful kind of like character designs and wit and humour of the script is still there uh, plus a you know kind of fun sort of time travel uh, narrative this time around where without giving away too many spoilers uh, part of the kind of final confrontation with the, with the villain of the piece uh, which is fantastic is like this Dr White character who uh, is hell bent on ridding the world of, of candy because he had a very overprotective parent who didn't allow him to eat sweets as a child um, and you know but part of the story is that you end up befriending um, the, the, the villain as a young child and he can kind of you end up kind of enlisting him to help uh, tackle his uh, you know his future self so which was uh, you know really charming in, in that double fine uh, way and the, the the kind of battle system has been refined slightly this is like a uh, anyone who's like familiar with the first game will know it's like a, a, a sort of almost like a, an RPG light there are role-playing elements and there is like a turn-based uh, battle system but it's you know really very accessible I mean that's one of the reasons it's not just like the Halloween setting it's also the the kind of ease of the game to play that is, is why I'm such a, f a fan of it and why I'd, I'd recommend it to like other laps gamers out there if you want to kind of cut your teeth on the RPG genre without you know going into like one of the really kind of like meaty AAA titles um, I think the game lasted me about 10 hours I mean that was a nice leisurely playthrough for me and I think I did everything within the game um, there obviously aren't achievements for the Wii U um, I bought it and then it like as it always does it inevitably went on sale the following week and actually on that note I think the game is for sale currently on PSN hopefully like I mean I played through the game without having any bugs at all and uh, didn't run into the, the the progression stopping bug that occurs when you get the the hot dog costume later on in the game um, so when I actually got the game off the eShop I did notice there was two files downloading so I don't know whether that speaks to the fact that there has been some kind of like silent patch and it's just not 
been well publicised and I, I would hope that my smooth playthrough experience would uh, be transferable to the PS3 version for example so I think I probably will end up picking this game up again to play through on the PS3 which is the system I used to play through the first one um, but like I was saying, the battle system, I think there were like promises that it was going to be refined in some kind of like significant way. But sadly, um, although there is a little bit more to it, the, the, the kind of depth isn't anything uh, particularly intricate. And uh, I think actually if there was a flaw to the game, it's one that the original shared as well, that it is quite repetitious, especially in terms of the turn-based battles. But uh, at least on my part, you know, I, I found that easy to overlook because I just enjoyed spending time in that world. I really liked the characters. Uh, and the humour like I said possibly voice acting would have been nice um, but the original didn't have that either um, and I think they are you know very much within keeping uh, one another and, and, and in a sense the, the costume quest games are sort of unlike other things that are out there I mean if any of the listeners have got similar games that they could recommend I'd really really be keen to try them um, but as they stand for me, yeah, Costume Quest 1 and 2, including the DLC Grubbins on Ice for the first game, have just been really, really enjoyable uh, games. And this, certainly the sort of titles that have encouraged me back to, uh, you know, try my hand at the control pad again. And it's just been a brilliant thing to play through on the Wii U. I wish the gamepad allowed for off-screen play. Um, but sadly, you know, that's kind of underused on this particular version. But yeah, no, terrific game. Thoroughly recommend it. Really enjoyed it would love to try and convince some of the other LGR team members to give either the original or costume quest to a try and uh, yeah it gets the thumbs up from me and uh, you know and an excited clap from my little boy as well he loved it you know seeing all the different kind of costumes and the the kind of special moves that they're in, uh, enamored with um you know once you kind of like level them up slightly so yeah that's what I've been doing recently in terms of my gameplay uh, I'm gonna have to go with my cap in hand and beg for an extension of, of teacher Ryan because I, I have got Kentucky Route Zero downloaded onto my system but being the lapsed gamer that I am I just still haven't got to the stage where I'm making time to sit at a PC and play games it is really the Wii U you know inevitably being new that's kind of like focusing my attention and also just the, the, the ease of use and how it's going to like fit into the front room as like the main console uh, so yeah but really enjoying exploring you know games on the Wii U and, and downloadable titles in particular and uh, yeah just to say really if you have been holding off on playing Costume Quest 2 because you you had heard as well scarced always about like the, the bugginess of it I would say you know do give it a go um, again I can only speak from my own experience but I managed to get through the entire game without any issues whatsoever and uh, it was terrific you know very much at the level of the first game probably enjoyed the first you know probably would have the first game as my favourite overall just because it was the first time you know I tried my hand at that sort of game and uh, the first time you get introduced to like that world and like I said it just nails the mood and the kind of spirit of the, the autumnal Halloween setting so well and it's such an easy game to play um, and I, I don't feel it did overstay its welcome at the kind of like 8 hour uh, playthrough mark so yeah terrific and I uh, hope you're all really well and uh, as I say can't wait to listen to the finished episode when I return from my holiday uh, yeah hoping to get in some handheld gaming on that so I've packed the Vita and the 3DS and I'll, I'll report back on how I get on uh, when I get back and really looking forward to hearing what the what were you made of uh, Kentucky Route Zero and what the next LGR playlist game is so for me that's all goodbye ok parfait
So our first feature is now here in place on the show, and it's the uh, famously named topic Tombola, which uh, Chazzy uh, christened a few weeks ago. Um, this is a mini roundtable discussion between us on recommended horror games for lap gamers. Uh, this is the first topic, and it was suggested by a listener, uh, Becky Simpson, uh, Kevin's good lady. Uh, she wrote uh, a few notes of uh, her own uh, to just give us a little bit of an introduction and something to talk about. And they go like this. Becky writes, I love horror games, even if a lot of them are toss. The first Silent Hill was the reason I bought a PlayStation. Amazing experience, being physically involved in this horror world rather than just watching it. Vibrating pad just freaked me out. That was it for me. Loved scary games ever since. I love Call of Cthulhu, Dark Corners of the Earth. I still miss that game. God, I loved playing it. Probably last ones I really enjoyed were the Condemned games. Mannequins should have made more. They were cracking games. On Silent Hill sequels, first one is superb. They gradually go downhill, pardon the pun, but two is okay. The last one I've only really dipped into. Weak. Also got to mention the Re-series. So, this is quite an interesting topic to open up to you all for, you know, a little bit of a comment because I think we've all experienced a horror game in some shape or form at some point. Um, I know for one, the Dead Space series for one is, is one of my favorites. So with me, I have a panel of uh, discussion people, uh, other members of LGR, and uh, they are Andy. Hello. Hi there. How and you how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? <laughs> good, good, good. And Mark? Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. Good, good. Okay. Well, let me open the question to you guys. What horror games do we remember and why? Mark? <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't want to jump in then. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, the horror genre is something that I, I, I used to love. I used to play quite a lot of Resident Evil and Silent Hill uh, and games like that. And then um, in recent years, well, it kind of I dropped off when the standard mm. of survival horror games those those classic japanese survival horror games started to fall off silent hill got real bad um resident evil turned into a third person action game which was really good uh but not really a, a horror game and then when this new breed of super terrifying first person uh survival horror games came about i found quite quickly that i, I just couldn't hack them i think I, I managed about 15 minutes or so of um amnesia yeah. uh, managed maybe 20 minutes of um outlast yeah i had to watch a friend play through my copy of uh, pt and it's taken me a couple of weeks to get through the first two hours of alien isolation so wow um, Wow, yeah, that's quite that's quite quite a, quite a long list of uh, unfinished horror games. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Andy, have you uh, been a little bit more successful on the horror genre or what? Um, I think I agree with Mark. A lot of it was the heyday years, the the time of the PlayStation One, the mm. Resident Evil, Silent Hill, and then all sort of fell in off. Probably for me, Resident Evil Four. I mean, even mm. though. People might classify it as a horror game. It's probably more the action game than five or six onwards. Mm. And then it sort of had a bit of a rise with the PC. And then the last couple of horror games were Dead Space series. Mm. And the last one I really did play was the Alien Isolation. Right. I totally agree with Mark. That took forever to complete. 
something that all you could all I could play really was one level at a time, mm-hmm. and then take a break. I just couldn't yeah. do, do it anymore. So one level, one day, the next day, another level. It, it was really slow going. Yeah. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it on my shelf, on my pile of shame, to be honest. But um, I don't know if I'm really uh, into sort of another a game like that because I, I really enjoyed the Dead Space series. I had I accidentally bumped into Dead Space One, should I say, you know, and and just out of the blue, just put it in the disc and just just to give it a try, just to see what it was like, and absolutely loved it. Uh, just the atmosphere, uh, and and you've probably heard me say this before on other podcasts. It's it's the sort of atmosphere that you've got to play and the sort of game you've got to play with headphones on and the room pitch black and just you and the screen and you just got to hear to you know you've got to tune into Isaac's breathing the and the Isaac you know in the background um it gave me the creeps and I was absolutely completely you know cacking myself when you know going around corners and and light bulbs started flashing but it it was extremely atmospheric more atmospheric than I'd say than the Silent Hill now when we're talking about two different games here but what I mean is you know running in the fog in Silent Hill 1 till you come up against the house really wasn't that that frightening even though you knew things were looming you know things were lurking things were sort of you know very uneasy as you were approaching certain parts of the map and the school in particular when you go into that old school um, the cutscenes were very clear about what was going on but I, I think it, it, it could have done a little more maybe hmm. yeah I suppose that was a limitation of the technology at the time yeah, it? yeah. creating the fog so I think Silent Hill in a way was actually Perfectly used using technology at the time to create that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you probably compare it to Resident Evil, survival horror, two different ones. One you've got weapons, the other one you haven't really got yeah. weapons, or you can make use of certain items. So, and that sort of developed. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dead Space was brilliant. I mean, that being interesting, that's an interesting series by itself, mm-hmm. and where they took that series on. If you look at the first one, very atmospheric, could probably relate to Alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first film. And then Dead Space 2 probably relates to Aliens. And then Dead Space 3, not a bad game playing co-op, but yeah. they, lost, they lost the atmosphere. Yeah, 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 they did. They 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 seemed to drop, you know, fall by the wayside and drop a lot of the essence that Dead Space really meant to the, to gamers of one and two. I mean, two yeah. stars miraculously brilliant. Uh, what, what's your experience, uh, uh, Mark, with uh, with Dead Space? Are you are you one that's? Um, I remember playing the first one and absolutely loving it until I came mm. up to a little mini game where you had to shoot asteroids. Uh, oh and yes, hit a brick wall <laughs> there. I did eventually go back and finish it, and um, I absolutely loved it. It, it kind of reinvigorated uh, something inside me that I, I, I you know, a love for that sort of game that I haven't mm. had since the old Resident Evil games, and it, it does feel like. Um, a modern interpretation of like obviously sci-fi, but like mm-hmm. that sort of classic uh, third-person survival horror game, with elements of um, the uh, the shooting mechanics from Resident Evil Four. Um, Dead Space Two was still very good, um, although it, I always thought it worked best in the first one where you were coming against one or two enemies yeah. and they felt like a genuine yeah. threat rather than a room full of them and you just mowing them down. And then that mm-hmm. was kind of accentuated even more in the third one where it became in sections just kind of a, a cover shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, the, the first the first Dead Space is, is brilliant. 
absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, very addictive. Um, mm. Going, you know, talking about the horror genre, what what <clears throat> things, we all know about horror films, we know, you know, the tricks, the visual tricks that, you know, they tend to sort of throw on us and, you know, around corners and flickering lights and stuff like this. And what, what essence, in your opinion, open question to you both, uh, are really necessary to make a horror game successful and not sort of fall by the wayside? Yeah, um, I think first one would probably be atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It's creating the characters that you probably do care about, um, and then you create that atmosphere of dread and fear. Yeah, um, a good villain is always needed. Now, whether you do it a group of villains or a, or a singular character. I think it's always memorable. I think if we think back to what the, the most famous movies would be, mm. if you look at the 80s, it would be Freddy Krueger, Jason, uh, yeah. Michael Myers, I think it was. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all singular. And then when you look at games, there's nothing really that creates that singular villain and coming at you. There always seems to be having mm-hmm. multiples, I think. Um, <clears throat> well, I think what made the old uh, survival horror games is, uh, I don't know, it's kind of hard to recapture again now. Um, mm-hmm. They were very much a product of the time, those those first Silent Hill games and, and Resident Evil. And Dead Space did a, a fantastic job at, at you know reclaiming some of that. But the games that I found in recent years that have done a really good job of, of feeling like a horror game aren't games that I guess you traditionally call a, a horror game or a survival horror game. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I mean, a, a good example I'd say would be um, the Swapper, where it's it's just kind of a you know side-on platforming puzzle game, but there is just this this constant sense of unease and not knowing what's going on, and and uh, that combined with with the uh, the dark atmosphere, the, the dark environments, and the the unsettling um, sound design. Mm-hmm does more of a job to scare me than a game that relies too much on uh, you know cheap jump scares and things like that yeah uh, it's it's it's, it, it's what resonates with me more these days is a game that that makes you feel uneasy rather than a game that just tries to make you jump would you say that something like for example outlast is that sort of uh, what you're describing there is that sort of does it fit into that mold of of you know very insecure is it just you know what what would how would you rate it in that sense yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I only really played about uh, 20 minutes of, mm. of Outlast, maybe a little mm. bit longer. Um, but it, it's, yeah, so I don't know how the story goes, but in that first section, you really yeah. don't know what's going on. Uh, there are a couple of jump scares, but most of it's just like you'll hear a sound or um, you'll see like a shadow scuttling away or something like that. <laughs> and it's just this constant sense of dread and you don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, another game I reckon did survival horror. Um, mm-hmm. Very well. In, in particular sections was um, the Last of Us, and I think we've got some, okay. um, yeah. some uh, listening comments, well, some some uh, comments yeah. about that later the, on. The clickers, the clickers were oh. terrifying. You know, you could hear them in the yeah. distance, and they were just so uh, terrifying. When you knew when there was one in the room, you'd hear that, and you're thinking, yeah. "Oh no, <laughs> God!" And then you you never knew how many there were either, because it was always pitch black, you know, very dark. But it, I, I know exactly what you mean. Anyone who's played it knows exactly mm. that the moment of dread of going, "Oh God, no, how many in there?" But that game also did a really good job of making you feel terrified of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, yeah. Some some of the encounters, the, the scariest encounters, were where you were facing up, like you'd go into a, a building, and suddenly you'd see that there were a dozen or so guys patrolling. Mm. Um, you know, just looking about, and 
some of those sections were, were were equally as terrifying. I mean, none of them were quite as much as uh, as the moment where you fall into the basement of the hotel. I mean, that was pure survival <laughs> horror. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Andy, what, what, how do you classify? I mean, you have, have you played Outlast, Last of Us? What, what's your experience on this sort of thing, or your view on on what makes the good essence of a, of a horror horror game? Um, I haven't played Outlast. I mean, mm. I've heard about it and. But probably similar one closest to that would be Alien Isolation, and right. and there, it's it brings you back to it brings you back to the film again. It's you alone versus an alien, mm. um, and you, the atmosphere and the use of sound, especially on the um, well, I played it on the PlayStation Four. Mm-hmm. So the use of sound um, going going through it, going through the spaceship creeks. You, you hear it scuttling about. You hear it in another area, and probably that, the use of that the uh, detector. You know, you can hear it beeping, beep, 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 and it's coming closer. And then you instantly running towards um, a locker, hiding yourself in there. You see it round. You have to hold your breath. You know, stop it, and it moves past you. you think, thank God. So I remember a couple of times. Think, thank God it's gone, and then. Crash, bang, wallop! Your locker flies open, and there it's got you the bugger. <laughs> and then, so it it is that in the modern sense, it's making use of the sounds and to help create that atmosphere. You know, previously we looked, we talked about Silent Hill using the technology of fog. Now, you know, it's not the graphics as much. It's creating it's the AI because the AI, the alien, is brilliant. So it never does the same thing twice. But also the use of the sound. Especially in particular in that game, that really gets to you, and that tenseness comes mm. through. Yeah, I'd say that that that, that that particularly with the sound of the motion tracker as well. That that's such an iconic sound. Um, for anyone who's seen, um, it was it was only in Aliens, I believe, wasn't it? The, yeah, the, the motion tracker. I don't believe there was in uh, any of the later films, but um, it's it is such an iconic sound that when you you hear like that dull like click click click, and then it suddenly you hear it ping. Yeah. Then. Yeah, you just freeze instantly. Yeah. And that Last of Us, yeah, the one death kill, it's Last of Us is when you discovered, basically, you've literally got no hope against certain clickers. Yeah. Um, and it's the same in Alien Isolation. You get discovered, you're dead. Mm. And that so that also helps create the horror of it because if you haven't saved us, especially in Alien Isolation, you have to go mm-hmm. back Fair amount of time, and you're just like, ah, oh, God, see, so you always watching what you're doing, yeah. always watching, predicting your moves. Last of Us, you're always using that special power, the sonar that yeah. you've got, and you're always creeping along. But those techniques now probably create, help create modern yeah, horror games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They do. Listen, they go on. Sorry, Mike, go on. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, I also thought um, The Last of Us did. Uh, a very good job. If, if you played it on, I can't remember what it was called. I think it was the the the, the name of the top difficulty. Uh, they would take away your ability to pull the right trigger and listen, and um, oh, be able to spot where enemies were. And they really? also wow. really tightly restrict how many materials and ammo and things like that it would give you. That made each encounter that much more terrifying. And also, like it, you, there would be rooms where 
usually like you think, oh, there's some loot in there that I could go and find, but there's clickers in there, so I'll just skip it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the, the survivor difficulty or, or whatever it was called, it's like I have to go in there. I need I need ammo. I have to go in there. Um, and like for instance, um, <clears throat> one particular, the first really scary bit of that game. Um, when you're in the the skyscraper that's kind of falling on the other one, it's at an angle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You drop down into an area where there's one clicker and a bunch of those um, just the regular runners. Yeah, yeah. Um, and on regular difficulty, you go down there and you find like an iron bar or something like that. On the top difficulty, I think there was just a piece of wood that you could use <laughs> that would break very very easily. So you had to you had to go around and take out with your bare hands the runners one by one and then creep up on the clicker and try and use a brick on it. Um, oh. It just made it just so much more terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think um, for me, the, the moment, as you was just saying just now, Mark, the, you know, the, the, the limited ammo for me is one of the things that uh, I've never felt so insecure in a game when I'm just sort of, you're running through. For example, in Dead Space, uh, one, one game I really remember is Alan Wake, the first one which I played. And, yeah. you know, the, the one with the, with the torch, uh, uh, the, the moment with the torch where you could actually sort of uh, shine this torch and, and the enemies would sort of disappear or evaporate but you had to shoot them first I mean you really had to be sort of in control of what you were doing and counting your bullets and it really it, it was a scary game because you were in the middle of the woods you were in the middle of nowhere you were trying to sort of get you know get to certain parts on the map and and you'd have these guys running at you from all directions and sometimes it was just the easiest option was just to run and get away you know get into some light so they wouldn't wouldn't come near you um, but even then it, it seemed it seemed really eerie knowing that suddenly out of nowhere you know any move that you made or anything you're, and you're, I was looking down you know at, at the little bar at the bottom thinking how many bullets have I got left <laughs> I've got four bullets left if anybody starts running at me then I'm going to do the same I'm just going to run in a different direction and get out of here because um, you know the, the uncertainty of the next thing that's going to happen if you see what I'm getting at is for me more more sort of uh, uh, oof, what's what's the word I'm looking for more sort of uh, stressing and, and, and stressful and, and really, but a, but a good stress, you know, it, it's what you, what you, what you thrive on when you play a game, you know, yes, I've beat it, I've done it, you know, I've, I've got through it and it makes you all that more sort of powerful and willing to go on. Um, but it, it does, it does feel a bit, um, scary, which is why it's a horror film, I guess, uh, to, to feel in that position in a game, you know, because no harm is going to come to anyone. You're only just going to lose a sprite. I mean, no more than that, but I can understand that there's a, there's the stress that's added with it. Um, other games that I think, uh, Alan Wake was one I wanted to mention because it's another game I played on Xbox, which was very, very, very good and, and thoroughly enjoyed as well. So, uh, that, that deserved a bit of mention. There was also a nightmare version as well, which I seem to remember, or there was DLC, which was also more of the same. And that, that was a bit strange, but, but also good. Have, uh, have either you, of you, uh, experienced it at all? I started it and didn't enjoy it and I didn't continue with it at all. Alan Wake, no. Why, why? What was? What was wrong with? It? What did you find? Did you? Did you not consider it uh, sort of horror, horror enough? Should I say? <laughs> I don't know. It was just <laughs> just something about that. Maybe it was the time I played it you know, last okay. year. That um, I didn't find it gripping enough, and I didn't okay. think the story was good enough, and just felt regurgitated mm. again. Or it's, it's a bit more like Silent Hill. Yeah. In a way, you know, you're recovering, you're going to run to this tower. I just got, I'm in no mood to play 15 mm-hmm. hours or whatever long it was, mm-hmm. just to go on, on a journey of discovery. So it just didn't grip me at all. 
Mm-hmm. Mark? Um, <clears throat> I came quite late to uh, 360 uh, generation, so I, I haven't mm. played all of uh, Alan Wake. I borrowed a copy of a friend and played a, a bit of it, but I did play all mm. of, um, I think it was Alan Wake, um, American Nightmare. That was it, was yeah. it was called, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and um, from my limited experience of the first Alan Wake, it had a very different vibe about it. I mean, it had yeah. the same sort of mechanics, but that, that one felt a little bit more Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. whereas the original was a little bit more Stephen King. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, but uh, no, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed American. I, I, it didn't really. I never really felt horrified by it. I felt more felt like I was playing through an episode of the Twilight Zone almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Stephen King esque sort of idea of the first game is much more concentrated on sort of you know that that psycho of of oh what's going to go next what's going to happen next how is this yeah. going to work and and where am I is what I'm seeing real is it dream is it you know that just the whole effect of it all it's done very very well very very mm. clever. Um, as this is lapsed gamer, I guess I should I should ask a very uh, a very related question, which is what other horror games we think lapsed gamers would get on well with. And, and help them to encourage to pick up the controller again. Well, I'd say um, probably the one that began it all in the modern era in 3D would be probably Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably comes if you ask again, this probably comes this probably this game probably comes to mind of everybody. You know, you, you're in a mansion, you're fighting zombies. Zombies when they weren't that popular. Yeah. Um, you can take control of two characters, Jill. Valentine and Chris Redfield. Mm-hmm. You're in a mansion, you're looking for your teammates. What was perfect about it was it was a B movie, but um, the language was shonky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it was the atmosphere as well. And the fact that you took control out of Jill or Chris, which create two different games, yeah. the zombies. And then just. For that, the two memorable moments, I mean, we, if you, all of us have played it, we all probably, we remember it as well, is when you first discover the zombie eating a yeah. person and it turns around and it does it in that, is it, is it FMV? Yeah. Like a cut scene. And the second one is when the dogs jump through the window, um, and scare basically the, the living bejesus out of you. And you create that flight or flight impulse. And I think that, that's important as well. You know, do you fight or flight? And I do remember it. I would just end up running around the corridor for a few seconds and all that and getting killed by the dogs for the first time. Um, then you died. But we've got a remake. Um, and has anyone played that, Mark? I haven't, no. Um, I do intend to pick it up uh, at some point um, because I, I love the, the first one. Uh, well, I love the first, the, I love the first two. Um, it is just the first game in, in the HD remake, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The first one. Yeah. Um, did they change any of the dialogue at all, or is it still the orig- original dialogue? I don't know. I'm not 100% sure because I haven't played it myself. Um, uh, see, I, I I really hope it's the original because it's got such like you, you said about how brilliantly B movie it is, yeah. and there's lines like the stop, don't open that door, <laughs> um, <laughs> very William Shatner delivery. Mind the um, gap. Yeah. <laughs> Stand yeah, clear uh, of the doors, please. Yes, lovely. It's, it's it's very of its time, but it's 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 part of the, the game's charm, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's that London Underground soundtrack that they have. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
there's there's lots of standout moments as well. I, I think my view is clearly on Dead Space. I think anybody really that hasn't played it really should. You know, you, these are the sort of games that do have because because Dead Space Two, as you you guys probably already know, has an, a, an incredible beginning. Uh, I think it's one of my favourites. Where you know, um, not not to spoil it for anybody. So so pass. You know, skip another thirty seconds if if you don't want to know how it starts. But the, you know, running around in a straitjacket with with no weapons, nothing at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And being being chased by these monsters down the road, uh, down the side of this, not not down the road because it's not Silent Hill, but down the, the corridor of this ship trying to get out of the infirmary is just absolutely brilliant. And the bit with the eye, which I'm sure you will remember as well, um, the, the the needle in the eye thing, <clears throat> uh, part, yeah, yeah, very very sort of good <laughs> effects that do give give the gamer that that sort of um, shot of of horror that mm. they that they're looking for for games. Things that maybe perhaps. Um, Walking Dead hasn't really done. I mean, would would you agree that Walking Dead is is one of those ones that's that's done a good job in terms of horror, or do you think it's sort of mediocre or not at all? I wouldn't really class it as a as a horror game. Mm. Um, it never it's never really scared me. I, I don't know whether it's because I've I've reached the point where I'm kind of uh, a, a zombie fatigue. I'm mm. done with with zombies. Really, um, right. I think the Walking Dead was the, the the only game, the only zombie game, and because you can't really class the Last of Us as a zombie game. Technically, uh, but yeah, the, the Walking Dead was the, was the, the the only zombie game recently I played where, where I actually enjoyed it. Um, but it that was more about the story about the of the characters than it ever was the scares for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose mm-hmm. it's a horror of what you have to do, isn't it? That's yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you have to. I mean, I don't know if I spoil it or not. Spoilers, anyone? But, uh, <laughs> Skip but, thirty seconds. Yeah, but <laughs> the decisions you have to make, whether you know you save one child or the other, the fact that you can chop your own hand off, that type of thing, I suppose, that creates that horrific element there. Yeah. You don't experience but, that every day to day, day to day life, where you yeah. have to make these choices. It's the trauma effect you're talking about, yeah. Andy, right? Yeah. It's the trauma, yeah. yeah, that more than the sort of the shock of being. But it does it does have a few jump you know, jump out at you moments where zombies do come through doors and windows and things like this. But it's not yeah, really sure. the use of the effect in other games, really, is it? No. No. Mm-hmm. But I think that's an ideal game for that's gaming because yeah. essentially it is it's an it's an adventure game in a in the old monkey island game tradition that yeah. you sort of move on you make decisions and they affect your outcome but the controls everything about it makes it ideal if you if you're looking to get back into the horror genre yeah yeah i i would agree i think i think also one of the other games that i was also really mentioned was the last of us which i think is is a splendid even though it, you know you say well it's not really sort of a zombie game it's not this, but it does have those those jumpy moments and those moments of mm. you know like in dead space where you're feeling like where the hell am i going in the dark and what can i hear in the background there's scuttling around there's stuff going on and is my torch enough really to protect me you know and, and do i have Ooh. this this you know uh do i have the right weapon to be able to deal with the situation and and what am i up against is that that uncertainty really does make make you feel like you know and you're low on health even in some cases you know you're thinking mm, do i have to do this whole section again if i die and and what is the reward for getting through it or am i going to find myself with another uh, spate of zombies on the other side of of you know getting this getting mm-hmm. through this and surviving um they do the game the game developers do this very well but i think there's there's an element that that really needs a little bit more polish and i think that's the music um 
a lot of the music in this is good. It's effective. I'm not saying it's, it's, you know, rubbish at all. I'm not, not getting at that, but I do think that it used to a better effect. If you see what I mean, you know, um, the, in, the way they do it in films, you know, the way they, they sort of build it up and they really try hard and yeah. maybe it might be a different story in, in, uh, in, in game development. I, I, I wouldn't know, but I'm just think that it's, it does help to be build that tension right up, um, the way it does in the movie. And, and they do, they do do it effectively, but I, I think it can be done better. It's one of the things that I've always remembered from, from things like this, where the music is, is something that's just mm, not quite there, not quite there, but, but it's, it's, it's good. It's good in anyhow. Well, well, sorry. What's also good about these two games, you're not also scared for yourself but because mm. you have to take care of the girl with you. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, that, this is the thing that you're, you're, well, I didn't give a care, don't care about the girl. I just care about myself. Right? <laughs> forget Ellie, forget her at all. I'm, just, I'm running, you know, I'm picking my skirt up and running. I don't care what she thinks. <laughs> uh, no, Andy, you're right. You're right. It is, it is the, the, the welfare of the other. And, and especially I think this, this is why they've used that very well because she is a girl. And, and the fact that she's, she's, uh, she's, uh, she's younger as well doesn't Ooh. really, because it's not really the same thing with, you know, um, Nathan Drake, for example. I know it's a completely different genre, but, but when he's with his girlfriend or with his woman or with the, whatever her name is, um, they're sort of running through them. And Lara Croft is sort of a big beefy sort of woman. So she can, she can hold her own, I think. Mm. But, uh, poor little Ellie is, seems quite vulnerable against these clickers. Uh, yeah. So, so, uh, I think as you, as you rightly say, she is a bit of an element of the added fear factor that, uh, these games do, do produce. Mm. Um, more kids, we say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, have, let's have a pack of kids running around behind us and see how many we can keep by the end of the game or something like that. That's, there's an idea. Uh, Dead Space 4. <laughs> the, mm. the other thing I was going to say, uh, about atmosphere, which, which mm. I think is also used very effectively in Dead Space is the, uh, the babies do you remember the 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 children crying or the baby crying um i think it's in dead space 2 mm. if i remember rightly um there's a crash or there's some sort of kindergarten part where you walk past and you see these babies cry. am i am i talking about a completely different game here no is that what you uh, like the baby zombies Baby that's it, aliens. the baby, that's it, the baby aliens, yeah, yeah, yeah. That for me was, uh, the first thing was just, uh, anything in the film with a child crying, um, a crow, yeah. or, or any sort of eeriness, like, noise is just, uh, or you think, oh god, yeah. uh, something, something's coming, and, uh, you know, when, when suddenly the music stops, and you just think, ooh dear, right, now, now what? <laughs> um, but but those those things are, are used very 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 effectively. But I think they could they could be done a little better. I don't. I'm not sure if the listeners would agree with me. But I I have that you know that hope that developers will be able to give it another type of spin and that, and that little sort of level up to the next horror uh, uh, game, whatever it is, whatever comes out that has those little improvements that make make it much more much more effective. I'd say that there are. Um there's elements of of horror games that have managed to creep into games of other genres that do it incredibly well uh there's been sections in this is one of the things that's so upsetting about there not being silent hills is hideo kojima is clearly a fan of of horror games he's tried to put mm. elements of horror games into metal gear games on yeah. a number of occasions notably the psycho mantis fights and yeah. um, the section in metal gear 3 with the thing is it the fear where you're walking down That's the it. river yeah. past the ghosts yeah. of all the enemies that you've killed so far yeah yeah, yeah. um 
and then um first person games um like the the system shock elements of bioshock um mm-hmm. bits of fallout 3 when you're exploring vaults mm-hmm. or the dc metro do it very well um yeah. a game that i would recommend for lapsed gamers um because it's been given the the, the two of them they've been given the hd remake recently is um uh, metro 2033 and uh, metro last light yeah which yeah, is good. sort of like a a it's not to be a first person shooter although if, you, if you're running around shooting everything then you're doing it wrong um it's more of a stealth game but again it's very survival based it's post-apocalypse so mm-hmm. you have to root around for ammunition and ammunition is also the currency in the game so you have to decide whether you're going to shoot your gun or buy something um and then there's lots of very very unsettling supernatural elements about it as well mm-hmm. um but it's not a strict horror game so if you're not a fan of of horror games um but you want a little bit of a little bit of scares in there then uh, those games I'd, I'd highly recommend yeah yeah no they are very good i've, I've yeah. played last light and and really mm. enjoyed it and now i've got i, I downloaded it was on offer on psn yeah. 2033 and uh, i'm really looking forward to getting back into that but it's, it's true what you say they're not really sort of that horror which is why i thought i thought that's what they were because i thought well you know mm. un, un, under underground in a world these russians sort of move i sort of know vaguely more or less because i've, I've read bits of 2033 and and i'm thinking mm, this is sort of you know an underworld sort of uh cartel movement of people you know trying to get you know it's almost like a prison and these people can't go anywhere but they've got these other visitors that are wandering around I thought I'll just go around shooting like you do in Wolfenstein, and yeah. um, it's nothing like that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, Andy, um, hey, well, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Probably another one would be Obscure. Ah, came, out, uh, came out with PS2, PC, the Xbox. Um, what's interesting about this one was normally in horror games, you are especially particularly if you think about it, like Silent Hills, you're either a girl by yourself. Mm-hmm. Or you're a man by yourself and you look, you're looking for something. But this one, you're a group of college kids. Uh-huh. Um, and you can swap around. And that's what got me intrigued into this one was because it was, it's something like movies and it? it's like Scream and all that with a group of college kids that killed. Stories are not great, but you can play co-op. You can lose characters and it doesn't affect your gameplay because you can still end, end it soon. And that's for me, probably one of the, Mm-hmm. you know slightly different in the use of characters yeah yeah sounds good sounds good i'll have to check it out it, what did you say it's on ps2 PR, yes ps2 xbox pc there is an okay. pr2 right. I'll, I'll have a look at it um right uh well so uh moving on we've got some comments from the other hosts of uh, lgr with uh, their views on horror games and what people think uh, uh their opinions are and uh, the first one is uh, from katie who talks about uh, the last of us on ps3 and ps4 she says i'm not a massive fan of horror games but there are a few games that i know of and liked i've played both seasons of walking dead and the last of us love them both the last of us is truly a video gaming masterpiece and i don't give that title out 
too often. The reason why I think this game could be a good choice for lap gamers is because it's something that will grip you from the very beginning, from the bloody brutal prologue all the way through to the end of the game. The combat is very smooth, uh, but you will also have some stealth from time to time. And this is where the horror aspect comes into it. Hiding from the infected and more importantly the clickers, as we mentioned in earlier in the show, is a hard task that definitely makes the game that much more terrifying and nerve-wracking. Well, she's not wrong about that. <laughs> uh, next one. Mark, do you want to go for Lee's? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Lee chimed in and said, uh, for me and possibly other lax gamers, the perceived difficulty, the possible extended length of modern games is far more scary than any actual content made in the horror genre. Uh, Telltale's uh, a multi-award winning adventure game based on the globally recognized comic and AMC TV show The Walking Dead, therefore makes for an ideal re-entry point. The game is split into five chapters, each uh, roughly between an hour and two hours of gameplay time, and can be slotted into a limited leisure time, much in the same way you might watch a film or an episode or two of your current TV show. In addition to these manageable chunks of gaming, The Walking Dead is actually very accessible and easy. It controls much like the point-and-click exploration games of old, and forgivingly doesn't require highly attuned video game playing skills. The true masterstroke of The Walking Dead's design, and the ingredient which I think will most successfully compel lapsed gamers to stick with the game from the beginning to end, is its story. Taking on the role of Lee Everett, a relatable protagonist with a complex and well-written backstory, you encounter a number of fellow survivors of the zombie outbreak. Through the game's uh, illusion of free will and choice, the player is empowered with a sense of agency, a sense of being in control of where the game will go. Whilst this may be a bit of a clever game design, uh, smoke and mirrors, the action you take, the relationships you built, not least with the young girl Clementine, and the journey you go on leaves an authentic and lasting impression. Yes, it is horrific and genuinely upsetting in places, and yes, it will certainly deliver some scares, but like the very best examples of the horror medium, it is about characters and story above all else. An ideal horror title to try for the lapsed gamers listening. Expertly read, Mark. Well done. Um, well, I think this closes our first uh, topic, Tombola. And uh, I must thank the people who have joined me on the roundtable. So thank you very much for your contributions, uh, both Andy and Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, we hope to see you again uh, on here for the next topic, uh, whatever that might be. In the meantime, we hope that we've helped you with uh, your choice of Laps Game new horror genre. If you haven't already and you have uh, want to try one of the games we've mentioned, then we'd be really interested to see how you found it and what comments uh, you found uh, helpful. Uh, maybe you try it and then you want to come back and tell us how you felt and whether we were right or wrong about what we were talking about earlier in terms of experience of each of the games we mentioned. So... Uh, I think that's uh, that's about it. That's all I have to say. All I have to say is enjoy. I hope you enjoyed Topic Tombola, the first one. And we'll be back again uh, for another section around the roundtable on Topic Tombola very soon. Uh, in the meantime, thank you for listening and uh, don't have nightmares. Hello, and welcome to the LDR Playlist. Today we have a very spooky selection for you. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, something in my throat there. 
I'm Ryan Heyman, and I'm introducing the LGR playlist this week. We are going to be talking about Kentucky Route Zero, which we have all been playing for the last month here. The LGR playlist is where we get together and recommend a game every month to be uh, played through as a group. Something that we hope will bring lapsed gamers back into gaming by providing them with a really interesting and really unique experience. And I, I think, if nothing else, the game that we have on the docket for this month can be called both uh, unique and, um, I, I guess, you know, it, it, it is memorable. <laughs> Whether or not you got along with it, it, it does uh, have its own place in the, in the gaming spectrum. So, anyways, joining me, Ryan Heyman, today, we are uh, joined by Kevin and Mark. Hi. Hello. We've all been playing Kentucky Route Zero for the last month. Uh, I guess... Let's talk about just kind of the first, like, had you heard of this previously, or is this the first introduction you've had to this game? Mark, have you uh, have you played this before? I, I hadn't played it before. It's something that had come up on my radar. I'd, I'd heard about it before, and there's a, a piece of music that's featured quite prominently in one section of the first episode that I remember popping up on end-of-year music special of the Rebel FM podcast. Uh, I'd heard about it and I'd read a little bit about it, but I hadn't ever played it before and I didn't know quite know what I was in for. Would that have been the Long Journey Home that you were referring to? That kind of like Southern banjo piece? Yeah, yeah. It sounded like something that could have been in um, Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Yeah, it, that was an interesting scene in the game, but we'll get to that later. And uh, what about you, Kevin? Have you uh, Had you heard of this one before? Well, I'd never heard of it at all. And I'm so well out of Mac and PC gaming. Mm. I think this is the first game I've actually downloaded from a Mac. Mm. It was basically on your interesting intro last month that I thought, yeah, I'm going to give this a shot. Because when you start talking about David Lynch and stuff like that, I thought, this sounds like it could be quite interesting. And it's so long since I've played a point and click adventure that I thought, yeah, why not? Yeah, I guess we should uh, introduce the game here. It is an episodic adventure game of which three of five of the acts have been released. Although, you know, unlike The Walking Dead or Game of Thrones or Life is Strange or any of these episodic adventure games that are kind of all the rage these days and have pretty regular release schedules, we don't really know when the entirety of Kentucky Route Zero is going to be available. We haven't had an episode in over a year, and it was a year in between the previous two episodes and so it's really you know the last two could drop at any time <laughs> and we're not really given insight into uh into the schedule of of these and so we've been playing the first three and eagerly awaiting four and five but as of right now you know they, they do stand alone and it doesn't feel like you're being set up with uh with manipulative cliffhangers to keep you miserable until the next one comes out which is probably good it isn't as um guess puzzle focused as a lot of the point and click adventure games it's a little bit more narrative focused and just kind of uh interested in in uh, issuing you through this story that they've presented and having interesting and weird interactions between the characters and really um you know the choices that you're making don't affect the story but they very much affect your reading of the story and so if you're looking for a game that is like a uh, score chaser or something that you can look back on and say like, I did really well, <laughs> you know, this isn't really going to give it to you because it's uh, um, it, it's just sort of, it, it's like writing a book or it's like, you know, halfway in between reading a book and choosing who the characters are. And so having a little bit of input 
but um, I think most of the interesting interaction with the game comes from just the player outside of the computer trying to figure it out. But it is a uh, PC Mac Linux game, and so for those of you who are uh, more kind of console focused, it's uh, not available on those platforms just yet. It might come there in the future, but I wouldn't expect it to. It feels very at home on PC and Linux and Mac. It's uh, kind of graphically not that intensive, and so uh, I'd imagine even pretty low-end computers could probably run it if people want to uh, go back and give it a try after our discussion today. But as of right now, we're uh, interested in hearing back from those of us who have gone back to it. I, of course, have uh, had played it through before as I was the one who recommended it. And so I've spent a little bit more time with it already. But um, I'm interested in hearing some of the first impressions that people have had first experience sitting down with it. It does make a very... Uh, a very strong first impression, and I think it can be a little intimidating sometimes as of like, oh no, what am I sitting down with? This feels really um, a little artsy and up its own ass sometimes <laughs> if, if you don't know what you're getting into. But um, I, I guess, how, uh, how was your first impression with it? What was the, Kevin, how about you? First of all, what was your uh, first thoughts going into the game? It was a strange one because I was playing it late at night and I would have the headphones mm. on. And the sound design is really good, you know, so that's something you don't really pick up on that much. But it's so claustrophobic, it does creep you out. There's certain bits, like you go to a ranch, and it's trying to figure out exactly what's going on there. Because you're never quite sure what the story is, whether you're actually talking to anybody or not. It's an odd, odd feeling. It was very interesting as well, um, because you just don't know where it's going. You think you do, and like you said about the puzzle solving, there's not a great deal of puzzle solving as such, but I did get stuck in a basement looking for a um, dice for Hmm. quite a long time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. that's like the first thing you do right off the bat. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah, and um, again, I liked what you said about the um, narrative as well. Because there's a bit where you can actually um, create a poem for a uh, password. Now, I only know that you can do this whatever way you want. Because I've actually replayed the first episode twice now. You know, and thought, wow, you can just really make your own way through this. Mm -hmm. It was really good. And ultimately, that choice as to, you know, what you set the password as is not important. You know, it doesn't affect the way that the story goes. But it's... uh, it's interesting to just have that um, that influence in the world. And, you know, even the small things, like you can name your dog, not name him. You can just call him an old dog. You can call him Homer, which kind of insists that may- maybe, you know, our truck driving protagonist is a little bit more well-read and a little bit more romantic. Or you can name him, I don't remember what the other name was, but I think it was... It's uh, Blue. Blue, right, right. Which feels like a very, like, companion, like, dog name. And so, I mean, just these small choices, like they affect what he calls him throughout the game. But other than that, like it doesn't really, it doesn't change how the characters act, but it changes how you read the character. It's very interesting, the map as well. When you actually start on your journey, you're passing things on the map and things will light up. I've gone through it a second time and I've turned the wrong way the second time, bizarrely. And I started seeing all sorts of things and thinking, hmm, that's quite interesting. There's all kind of landmarks, even things that can't be explored on foot. You can drive past, 
you know, like a tree that's been on fire for years or something like that, or, a, you know, a church. And if you drive by it, then you can hear the congregation singing inside, which is a little creepy because mm. uh, it's like the middle of the night in, uh, when, you're, when you're going on your journey. But it, it kind of feels like some of the things that you pass kind of feel like the uh, roadside tourist attractions that you would find on the side of a highway, at least, you know, in the American South, like, you know, that kind of thing is pretty familiar. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of it feels like urban legends or like places of local notoriety that, you know, like when you explore a new town that you haven't been to before and you just find like you start talking to the locals and they say like, oh, you know, this house is haunted. You know, it's been this way forever and nobody goes in there. And it's like interesting, you know, it's it's interesting to be a part of that world and to feel like um you know, you are just passing through. This is an unfamiliar place, but you are a part of it enough to um, at least be keyed in on some of these like local legends. So what about you, Mark? What was your first impression sitting down with the game? The first scene is Conway and I called my dog Blue uh, outside the, um, I can't remember what it's called, the, the oil Place. I think it's uh, Equus Oil. Equus, yeah, that's right. It's uh, like a giant horse head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was immediately struck by by the art style, specifically that, that like uh, it's got that sort of like angled roof that's very um, I don't know 50s, 60s Americana, but then that giant horse's head on the side of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was soon it was that that first moment when you go down into the into the the basement mm-hmm. at the request of. Uh, the old guy sat out front. That's when it, when it first told me, ah, okay, this is going to be a little odder because that <laughs> first scene just looks like you know there's nothing particularly odd there. It's when you get the ba- the, the the way that the basement looks is incredibly odd. Right. And then there's these these guys down there playing. They're playing D and D, yeah, yeah, or something like that, yeah. And you go and find their glowing uh, like twelve sided die or whatever. And then when you return, they're gone. Mm-hmm. And you go up and speak to the guy upstairs, and um, he knows nothing about them. And then your character Conway is just like, sort of just like passes it off. It's like, no, there's no further comment made on that at all. He is remarkably unshakable <laughs> yeah. throughout the entire experience. Like he has very, uh, very firm footing. Yeah. Not a lot gets to him. That's one of the more David Lynchian things about it, I thought, is the fact that, that nobody ever seems to question the absurdity of this world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just, they just accept it as, as if it's... That's just the world they live in. There are a lot of people you run into and you're not sure whether they're ghosts or whether they're really there or not because, you know, you'll come back and they'll be gone. And I don't know, it, it kind of keeps you guessing and it never teaches you the rules of the world or how things work. And it kind of always keeps you on edge. And it, that's why, to me, it feels a lot like Twin Peaks, like yeah. the experience of, uh, of watching that show, which is the, you know, the David Lynch tie-in, obviously. And it, it you know, keeps you alien enough to never make you feel quite at home, but always, uh, I, I don't know. It, it's consistent in its weirdness. <laughs> it definitely is. Yeah. And I always find like it creates such a cool mood and atmosphere. I always like to, um, you know, just have a little bit of alcohol with it because <laughs> it kind of like, you know, not enough to, uh, you know, to get drunk or anything like that, but you know, just, uh, you know, like one glass of something to kind of put me in that like headspace where I can just kind of like focus and everything's a little bit like, you know, 
uh, mentally blurry just a little bit because like it helps me connect to the mood that the that the game is trying to evoke. Yeah, and it's a very creepy atmosphere as well that it creates. Mm-hmm. The the sound design does a lot to to lend to that. There's just uh, in a lot of scenes, there's, there's not any music or anything like that. It'd just be like a drone or some sort of tone that works very well to sort of add to the this the, the atmosphere of or the unsettling atmosphere. Mm more than um, than uh, anything that's happening at any particular time. It's that sound that really uh, unsettled me, I guess. You, you hear the running noises of his truck quite often. Yeah. Uh, because he has to kind of drive everywhere he goes and kind of park that off screen. But um, yeah, that's kind of one of the constant. And that's an unpleasant noise. Mm. But at the same time, it's kind of like, that's his home in a way. Yeah. Like he's, he's so much, like he's on the road all the time that there is something kind of homey about that noise yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and when there is music... It's uh, it's notable. We'll come back and talk about the banjo songs, the sung songs pretty soon here. But I, I did want to call attention to the the first scene, I believe, of uh, of Act <sighs> Two, which is um, the was it the office of I, I I don't know what the entire building is called, but it seems like each floor has its own office that specializes in different things, and you're trying to hunt down an address or something like that, and so you have to go into this. Uh, this office where they keep records of, um, of, of street name changes and uh, forwarding addresses and stuff like that throughout all the years. If you go into uh, kind of one of the balconies on one of these um, on one of these floors, you're able to to trigger somebody playing an organ, which is uh, just this massive pipe organ. Which I don't know why <laughs> it's there, but it is, and it's it, it plays uh, this very loud, very kind of haunting song that just really really put me on edge for the rest of that scene and it was like part uh it felt beautiful but at the same time it felt like i don't want to be here i want to get through the scene as quickly (laughs) as i can because it's like making me nervous almost i don't know i thought that was a really interesting scene so the um third floor that's just full of bears you were fine with you're okay with that <laughs> that's what i was gonna mention i was gonna say like it's, it's just... almost a little too like i like the weirdness of the game <laughs> it felt like a little too <laughs> on the nose like yeah there's no explanation in universe for why this exists yeah, there's nothing you can interact with on that floor either it's just a floor full of bears and nothing happens i think on that they floor. watch you as you walk through <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the same as if you go to the top floor. Um, there's a guy up there. You, you, there's, a, there's a line of dialogue, but you can't interact with him at all. The only thing you can do is stop his record from skipping on his gramophone. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Lots of odd little moments like that. Yeah. Well, what's uh? Because um, you'd mentioned before the uh, that one banjo song that played actually in the same scene we were talking about earlier, where you're going to this uh, to this lady's house and kind of investigating. I guess it turns out to be a pretty important point in the uh, in the first act you know you you see this house on the hill and you spend a long long time walking up this winding road to her house in silence and you go up and have this conversation in this kind of cutaway of her house which is an interesting way to frame that scene um, have this talk uh, she disappears like many of the characters do implying that she's probably a ghost she makes reference to I, I don't remember exactly the language but it feels like she's talking about things that have happened a long long time ago and you go outside and there's a tombstone with her name on it and so you kind of put those those pieces together and as you're making your way back down this long winding road back to your truck uh, you hear this uh, interesting kind of like yeah like an oh brother where out thou type like southern um uh, kind of like bluegrassy type song 
And it's very like, uh, it's weird because it's in the middle of the night yeah. and there are, uh, you know, as you make your way towards the bottom, you see that there are, there's like actually a band playing the song <laughs> with their, you know, upright bass and their banjo and, uh, uh, and they're standing in the foreground kind of silhouetted like very close to the screen. Whereas what we're looking at, our character is very far away, kind of like that, uh, I know there's a moment in Uncharted 2 that it reminds me of, which I won't I won't spoil it for people who haven't played it, but it was very, you know, you're not paying attention to what's up front. And so if something uh, kind of pops up in front of the uh, the plane at which you are uh, interacting with, it can be kind of surprising and can kind of like take you back and make you feel like, oh, uh, you know, mm, you know, there is something that I, I didn't account for. Yeah, that's something that comes back in when you're in the forest at the end, I think it's at the end of Act 2. Yeah, right, right. It's a similar thing. Yeah, at the end of, I think that's, yeah, Act 2. Yeah, that sounds right. Oh, good. I've still got that to come. I've started Act 2 um, this morning, bizarrely enough. I think that's probably why I'm a lapsed gamer. <laughs> can never get actual time to do it. That's something as well, though. With uh, KRZ, you can go as fast or as slow mm-hmm. as you want. The first time, mm-hmm. I think I spent quite a chunk of a night doing it and then uh this morning when i found out i'd lost my save file i breezed through it in 40 minutes and that was it i'd done act one and we're on to act two so it just shows how much you can actually invest into it mm-hmm. as well i had i'd been playing these as they've been released uh, kind of concurrently with the release and so i've spent uh there's been a lot of time in between acts for me and so i don't necessarily remember who all the characters are or what's going on in the story. And I I don't ever feel lost though. Like I don't feel like I'm missing out in the same way that you would if you, you know, got, uh, you know, 50 pages into house of leaves or something. And then you picked it up later. Like, you know, I, I feel like each act and even each sitting within the act stands alone so well. Um, but then I was, uh, I was showing my girlfriend the um, the very beginning of Act 1, um, kind of recently after I had finished Act 3, and started noticing all of these like little things going on in the dialogue and uh, you know moments and radio reports and stuff that were talking about things that were introduced at the very end of Act 3 and characters that we you know didn't meet until the end of Act 2. And so like there is a lot of uh, a lot of connection. There is a lot of like uh, pre-planning that happened, which, you know, in these games that kind of thrive on their apparent randomness, uh, can, uh, can, um, often isn't apparent that there, there is this, this thread that links it all together. And so it is rewarding to go back and play through the game again, you know, kind of knowing everything, but it's, uh, um, it, it's odd because it does also stand alone very well they do a good job of, as well of uh encouraging you to return to places that you went to before that you don't need to go to as part of the story it's just for instance that at the uh, equus oils place the guy out front i can't remember his name he's mentioned a couple of times by characters later on and you 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 don't need to go back there but you kind of do find yourself going back there just to talk to him again to see what new dialogue has opened up to try and get some grasp of, of what on earth is going on by getting as much dialogue as you can from these characters but it's completely optional uh, i thought that was a nice touch a lot of the characters have some connection to him jacob his name is that's it jacob yeah the blind man i think the woman's called ula or something like that Lula. Lula, that's right. it, yeah. Yeah. The woman in the office. Yeah, I th- that, her introduction, when right at the beginning of Act 2, beginning of it played out, and then you go back to Conway and 
Shannon? Yes, that's it. it. Yeah, Shannon. They see, yeah, Conway and Shannon. And I thought I must have accidentally selected Act 3 for the menu <laughs> because I didn't know what had happened between the end of Act 1 and where I was now. So I went back and double-checked and was like, yeah, that, I, that was correct. But it's kind of odd. It's like at the end of Act 1, you go through this previously unseen cave mm. and enter Route Zero. And then the next thing you know, you're outside this weird office building and have no idea. There's no conversation between the characters as to what's happened at all. I, I wasn't even, I, I, to be honest, I didn't realise at the end of Act 1 that they got onto Route Zero and that's what had just happened. It was just, it kind of just ended. I was like, oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll go to Act 2 then. <laughs> <laughs> it is such a strange ending because yeah. when I first looked at it, I thought, well, they're just watching something on the TV. Yeah. And it's only when you've said that they've found Route Zero, I thought, oh my God, yeah. Ooh. All right. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, like you, it was slightly jarring because yeah. the, the next scene you see is this office building and you're like, what's going on? Um, okay. Like I said, you just go along with it. And then you find out that the office building, you're not sure whether you're inside or you're outside. And that just gets more weirder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great. Even in the name of the office building as well, I just looked up, it's, it's called the Bureau of that's Reclaimed right. Spaces. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yeah. And it, there's there's a lot of, there's a mention of, of, of other, well, there's a place you go to later on called the Museum of mm. Dwellings. And there's lots of these odd sounding institutions in this uh, in this world, well, specifically one on Route Zero itself. Mm. I like the uh, the Museum of Dwellings scene is my favorite scene in the game so far. because It's so, it's so interesting. You're in this museum. Uh, kind of laid out like a art museum or a history museum. Yeah, but it's all um, it's exhibits of uh, of houses of different varieties. Yeah, and um, as you're walking through the museum, it's it's narrated by somebody else who is reporting what happened the previous night to a security guard. They're talking about witnessing your party walk around all these places and all these housing exhibits. It, it feels so weird because yeah. like you're so used to the game being like taking place in the moment and um, the dialogue coming from the characters on screen that it takes a little bit of time to adjust to like, oh, this is actually somebody tomorrow telling a security guard about what happened last night, which is my right now. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's an interesting scene and I, I found it really intriguing. Yeah. That's something that the game does very well. Like the first time I noticed it was earlier on. I think it's, it's about halfway through act one. It's the first time you can make a response to a character, not as mm. Conway, you respond as, as Shannon instead. And I hadn't seen that in the game to that point. And it's so unusual for like a, a you know, point and click adventure sort of game where you, you always speak as the character, uh, as, as the main, the character you're, you're controlling in it. And I, it was, yeah, um, it, it throws it up uh, quite a few times where later on where you've got four, four yeah, characters yeah. with you, you can pick a response from one of them. It's interesting because these aren't, um, these aren't dialogue choices that you can, you can select multiple of. Like once you've made a choice, that is the only choice no. that you have to respond to. And so, you know, oftentimes somebody will say something and there are four valid questions that you're very curious about, uh, but you can only ask one of them. And it, it's interesting because oftentimes these questions are asked by the different characters and you have to choose not only who speaks, but it's almost equally important to take it, to keep in mind that everybody else is not speaking. And so if somebody is, um, you know, addressing a question to somebody 
in your party specifically, or if it feels like one of the characters, like Conway, would be the one to respond to it, and you decide to go with the like that kid that tags along, uh, you go with like his dialogue choice instead. It's significant that Conway chose not to say anything. Like that, it, it it shapes the way that that conversation went yeah. for me at least. Like it's uh, it, it's interesting. But it also shapes. Um, it, it it builds the characters for you as well. The ones that yeah. the that are accompanying Conway. Um, even if you don't select, because you, you can only select one of the answers. But being able to see their answers speaks to um the characters themselves, and you get a little bit more of an insight as to what sort of person they are based on mm-hmm. the question that they want to ask. Uh, so there's one particular scene um, that's delivered. I think there's a few that are delivered this way, but this is the first time this happened where it's not actually a scene. It happens on that that uh, very basic overview map where you where you drive around to your next destination, and it's when you go to the uh, the bait and tackle shop with a TV repair shop in the back uh, to find a character so you can fix the TV for this woman who we're not sure if she exists or not. What's her name? Marquez, I think. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, it doesn't actually happen. It's just, you just get a box of text. And it's this really odd scene where you go in and there's a bunch of tanks, like fish tanks, on the side. And, and it gives you the option to, like, look closer. And then you can reach into, you can't see what's in the tank. And it gives you the option to reach into each of the tanks. And you come across something, then you get the option to pull your hand out or to, to put it down to the bottom of the tank. And it was just, it doesn't lend anything to the the story at all it doesn't it's got nothing to do with the, the overall narrative it's just another nice little piece of of, of tone setting feels really creepy too yeah yeah <laughs> until you get to the third one and it's just like you put your hand in and it's like and it says oh there's something like pink and luminous there and then as a you get shocked and for for like you get an electric shock and for a short moment you the scene transports to somewhere else and then a character in the shop um is talking to and you come to and points to the doesn't I don't think they even say anything they just point to above the tank and there's um, a light fitting and the light for like a um, a neon light and it's fallen into the tank and that's what you grabbed and got an electric <laughs> shot and it's just like oh okay I feel a bit dumb for that <laughs> <laughs> also uh, one of the one of the stranger additions um, well actually probably one of the more normal additions uh, to the game which is strange by this game's uh, kind of backwards strange normal spectrum is uh, the introduction of a couple characters in act three right at the very beginning are uh, musicians that are on their way to a show and uh, I, I think their motorcycle breaks down or something like that or they they stop along the side of the road and help us out with our truck that is broken down it, it's it's odd because they feel so normal by this game's um, standard like they feel like people you would run into in a video game and it i don't know for me at the beginning it kind of felt like what are these characters like they're not that interesting like give me something weird but in having these characters that were a little bit more grounded and a little bit more um like audience surrogates in the way of like they they react in appropriate ways to weird things going on in the world like it uh it did add a new and interesting dynamic. And, you know, I'm not sure whether or not I really like, really like those characters even still, but I, it did definitely add a different dimension to the game. Yeah. They're an interesting, like a shift in tone because they're, um, 
a little bit more sarcastic yeah, uh, yeah. Than, than other characters in the game. Um, yeah, it, the introduction was just, it's just them riding down the road and then they pass Conway and Shannon because um, the van's broken down and they go back and decide to help. And then you get convinced to go along and watch their gig mm-hmm. at this bar. And all of that, that's like one of the few moments once the game starts going where it's not, nothing's particularly odd. There's nothing really strange about it. There's no creepiness about it. There's no, there's no element of like weird sort of ghostly horror. Um, It's just no supernatural. Yeah. No supernatural element at all. Um, uh, For that particular scene anyway. Uh, It was just a nice sort of like um, shift in tone. They're probably going to turn out to be a couple of serial killers, you know, in episode five. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's kind of what you're expecting almost. And so the fact that they are played so straight and just like normal people kind of like takes you back every time they don't do something (laughs) weird. Yeah. But um, yeah, you go to the uh, go to the bar and watch their performance. And it's another instance where you get to like choose the lyrics to the song of uh you know three choices of every line and and they actually like the the actress voicing that uh that song sings the lines that you choose and so it's uh it's interesting because you can change the type of song that they're singing and what they're singing about and whether they're like heartbroken or whether they're like really hopeful types or whether they're kind of disconnected and just writing something more poetic and another interesting scene like that password scene we'd mentioned earlier yeah I'm looking forward to seeing that now. Yeah, it it does another trick like it did in the first act when you go to Marquez's house. When it zooms on the TV and the back wall kind of fades away and you see the background behind it. Yeah. It does a similar thing where the roof of the bar kind of fades away and you just see the the night sky and then it fades back in um, at the end of the song. Uh, There's there's a few little moments like that where it's uh, almost like uh, shadow puppet theatre sort of. It's like the background would just fade away. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, the art style's lovely. You almost don't realize that it's in 3D until oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, pretty, like <laughs> later on in the experience because it has such like a nice like flat look to it. Yeah, the first time uh, it's when you're in the mines in Act mm. One, and you the first time I think that's the first time where the camera sort of rotates. Yeah, and that was the that was the the moment where I realized oh it's not 2D. Yeah. <laughs> Did either of you find a tape recorder in the mine? Yes, yeah. I, I went I down so. all of the, uh, uh, the passageways yeah, to see what I could see. I couldn't do anything with that at all. <laughs> but I found no. I found a tape recorder and some tapes on my carriage, but I have no idea what's going on there. So I'm going to have to go back and have a look at that again. There was a thing about the Marquez woman as well, where she said that Shannon's her cousin. Or no, was yeah, her yeah. cousin. She used to be yeah. the same age as her, but now she's older. And that just hmm. makes you think, what's going on here? You know? Yeah. The discontinuity of time and space is a a major theme in this one, especially as you get into the zero, which um, looks like a like a wormhole almost Mm -hmm. like I I think you're supposed to feel like you're driving through a tunnel, but it feels very like outer space and like you're driving past these weird things which feel like like star constellations almost. Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, I think it's very intentional to not have a consistent sense of what time it is or how far things are away from each other despite having a uh like a broad map like it's uh, well, with the one it's it's not just that you see the weird things because it's like on a loop if you go around mm-hmm. one direction you'll see the same things mm-hmm. but then if you go back around the other direction you see different things mm-hmm. yeah, and then yeah. you see different things on the one depending on who's driving the truck because you get the option to be able to have somebody else take over the wheel 
and then they will see different things on the one. On the zero. Oh, on the zero, yeah, on the one, sorry, yeah, <laughs> on, the, on the zero. Which I, I do love the way that any time that somebody talks about the zero, the, um, the text of that word is all kind of like foggy and um, it, it looks different than the rest of the text in the game, which is uh, they did a similar thing in Alan Wake. Whenever somebody talked about Mr. Scratch, they, yeah. um, they interposed like a, uh, the sound of like radio static in the middle of his name uh, when somebody was voicing that, that word. And it's, it's interesting because it's like the word itself is, um, you know, censoring itself from the language or it has power in the word by itself. It does a similar thing on the um, choices in the mind as well, doesn't it? Where you, you get a strange sort of font on the one that you've selected. Yeah. And the, the, the names of the tracks, I can't remember what they're, what they're named. It's like select the track between yeah, skeleton and cupboard and things like, that, you know? And yeah. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're going to mark your tracks out, mm-hmm. mark them out with something nice, like a lamp and a table, not something <laughs> dead. I say one of the creepiest scenes for me um, was the, one where you're repairing a computer and you're uh, kind of going through this and almost feels like a text adventure. Yeah. On, uh, is it the Xanadu? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. Xanadu. It's in this underground cave. And uh, I guess the scientific team had been creating a computer that was supposed to be like this ultimate artificial intelligence. And I, I guess for some reason it, either ran on the black moss that was native in the cave or black moss had crept into it and had started disrupting the systems. And you had to go and find like some like mysterious and hostile group of natives that knew something about uh, like what was wrong with the computer. But anyways, it's a long story. Uh, Yeah. You're repairing this computer and it's such like an unsettling scene because it's um, the computer is in a very bad shape but it has this personality programmed into it or this almost kind of like omniscient knowledge. Like they had programmed in a perfect simulation of the world that it would be able to account for every factor and predict the future because that is the way that everything would go if every factor is accounted for. Mm. Once you get the computer kind of up and running, it is still kind of like partly broken and part uh, it just kind of like jumbled in its uh, in its verbiage. But you can feel this presence, almost kind of like a godlike presence of like this thing is so smart and it knows so much. How much of it is, um, you know, the computer just glitching out and not being able to respond properly to our inputs and how much of it is. Uh, you know, how much power does this computer have? It's, it's a very creepy scene all around. Yeah, and then later on when you get the uh, get Xanadu working properly and you have to play this weird text adventure thing that you alluded to to, um, to get some information, right at the end it, it, it talks from the point, isn't it? I think it talks from the point of, of view of a character walking in and then when you back out the character's there. Mm. for you to speak to and it's um <laughs> creepy yeah it, it is like it is like a, an omniscient ai in in some way that's a that's a weird one i almost don't yeah. know where to start in discussing that whole scene because it does also like feel very tonally different from the rest of the game um, yeah the rest of the game being very like non-technology focused but uh yeah that's a that's a weird one 
I, I guess we should get on to uh, talking about ways in which we felt the uh, the game experience didn't really live up to our expectations or ways that uh, that we were kind of put off by the experience. I know that a lot of the time it uh, it gives you clues as to what to go and especially like directions on the road in very cryptic tones. And so I, I can understand that putting a lot of people off. Like, I don't know where I'm supposed to go because, you know, everything it tells me is uh, difficult to decipher. So did, did you have any trouble with any of the puzzles or did you have anything that slowed you down that made you kind of want to give up the experience? Uh, nothing made me want to stop. Uh, it's got some small, I have some niggles with it. it the, the, I never had any problem with any of the puzzles per se because they're not, that none of them are really puzzles really. They're not like a classic point and click. These aren't like Grim Fandango level puzzles. Right. The only issue I've really got is that is is the the overall narrative of the story in that it's very good at setting a tone, you know, giving you little tidbits of information here and there and filling in little bits and pieces. But the actual, I've got no idea where the overall narrative is going. Hmm. And I know it's going for like a David Lynch sort of feel, but even in David Lynch films, you get some sense of what is happening, even if you don't fully understand. But I've got absolutely no idea what's happening in uh, Kentucky Route Zero at the moment. So. I'm hoping there's a lot more information in the last two acts. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. like with a David Lynch film, there's always going to be that normality that you're looking outside of, but it's always there. Mm -hmm. You know, like with Blue Velvet, you've always got um, the picket fences, the white picket fences and all the normality that goes with that. But then beyond that, you've got Dennis Hopper going nuts. You you know, but we just (laughs) seem to have Dennis Hopper going nuts. We don't have any picket fences. It's just a dark night all the time. It's great, but, um, Mm. you know, yeah, I see what you mean. Even Twin Peaks, which is the closest comparison point, grounds itself in a really, um, in a mystery, which, you know, is something that is like, you know, genre fiction. Like I'm able to follow a mystery. I'm (laughs) able to get on board with like, oh, you know, a girl is missing. We've called an FBI agent and he's going to interview the towns, um, town people to try to figure out where she is Mm. and everything kind of branches out from there. But yeah, Kentucky Route Zero, I always introduce it as more of like a tone poem rather than a story to be told Yeah, because yeah, it doesn't really have that central, like that trunk of the tree. Yeah, there's there's so much in it. You're like, who is Conway? Um, why has he got this old dog with a hat? Um, <laughs> what 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 is this? Uh, he just alludes to the fact that he's making deliveries. There's occasional glimpses or little bits of dialogue to to his life before the events of Kentucky Route Zero, but we don't. I don't really know anything about it. There's there's lots of allusions to his character that I'm not. I don't know. I mean, there's there's dialogue options that um that make me think that maybe he's struggled with alcoholism in the past right um but we but it's it's never really made clear at all maybe that's part of what makes it uh maybe that's part of the story is that he as a character doesn't have a story Mm. um you know we're so kind of spoiled by fiction in that everything has meaning Mm. when like maybe he's just a regular guy who doesn't have meaning, you know, in, in act three, we get more flashbacks, which is weird. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but we get like, we can see him and his wife talking about, uh, uh, you know, we learn a little bit more about the origins of the antique store where all these antiques came from. And we see him saying like, this is going to be my final delivery. And then I'm going to retire and money wise, we're just going to do whatever we can to make it by. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But yeah, like I, it, it's kind of a bold and interesting step that maybe he isn't significant. Maybe he's just a guy doing his job and just weird things are happening to him. And there isn't a narrative through line because in life, there's not always narrative through lines. No. But at the same time, like if you are there to witness a story being told, like that can be uh, kind of an unfulfilling, like, why are you wasting my time if that's not what you're in for? Yeah, I never thought it was. A, I never thought that, that it was wasting my time. Um, mm. It's just it, it is. There's less narrative than I um, than I expected right. there to be. Uh, not that it's a bad thing at all. It, it's just um, there's. I've got so many questions about about this this character Conway that um, mm. that it keeps on tempting with a little bit of information. Like um, you, you, you mentioned, um, is, is it Lysette or Lysette? I don't know how you pronounce her name. I think that's right. Yeah, in the flashbacks. Now I'm not I'm not sure that she is his wife because he makes mention about how mm. she was married to someone called Ira. Okay. So I don't even I, this is the thing is it's like I knew he he got some relationship with this character but I don't know what I don't know who she is. We he I mean she could even be his his sister for all we know. Um, there's just a little bit of vagueness to it. Yeah, I thought she was his boss. Never mind um, his partner or his sister. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. So this is the problem when you when you it's just it's just a little bit of an issue when you when you uh, mention characters, but nothing more than yeah. that. Hmm. There's uh, there's no understanding as to what this character is, so it doesn't really. Um, but it's not like you said. It's not an issue because it is more about the tone than it is uh, the narrative. I think that could be a put off if people weren't into this particular kind of tone, you know, I, I could see them painting themselves in a corner to that extent, you know, in the same way that um, Lynch has looked on as a bit of a genius, but he's still got a very, very small market share. You know, you, you're still going to yeah. have Michael Bay that's going to yeah, make yeah. a billion dollars tomorrow, you know, and he's never going to see that in his lifetime. So I don't know. I, I do like it. I think it's a great cult classic and I think it'll still be talked about it for years to come. I don't yeah. know how you feel about it, but I, th- I think it's great and I'm really enjoying it. And I'm looking forward to the next two episodes as well, whenever they may be. Yeah. Yeah. I've got high hopes for uh, the next two acts. Do you feel like the, uh, like the writing ever kind of intentionally excludes the, uh, the player to the point at which they feel like hostilely alienated? Well, uh, not really. No, I, I think it's, it's deliberately obtuse, but not, not to the point that it's alienating at all. It's just mm. trying to be mis. It's well, it's not even trying. It's not like trying and failing to be mysterious. It's succeeding in being mysterious. Very, um, very, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it's never to uh, to the, the detriment of, of the game. It's just um, well, it's hard to judge really without seeing the final two acts as to whether it mm. can tie everything together uh, or whether it'll just be just continue as it is. It's uh, just sort of like a general tone. I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in what comes. So um, being the lapsed gamer radio, one of the things that we like to consider is how accessible would this be to somebody who has not played video games for, mm. you know, 10 years? <laughs> um, it, is this something that somebody who is unfamiliar with video games and just wants a taste of what's happening now would be able to sit down on and feel like this is an accessible experience? This is something that I can... Uh, that I can navigate and really connect with? Or is this something that might be uh, better enjoyed by somebody who's a little bit more up-to-date and well-versed in the hobby? No, I reckon it, it's pretty accessible. I mean, you, you, the only control you need is a mouse. Um, to be honest, I'm surprised this game's not available on, on iPad. Um, 
It seems like the sort of game that would be... That would open it up, yeah. Yeah, yeah that would be kind of perfect, actually. I mean, yeah, a lot, it, that could open up the market yeah. for it quite a bit. But um, it's it's definitely accessible. It's 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 There's no barrier in terms of player skill um, at all. It's just a point-and-click adventure game. It's whether you are going to like that sort of story, whether you're going to like that sort of tone. It does hang very much on whether you're the sort of person that likes David Lynch, or if you don't, you're probably not going to like mm. it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'd have to be careful about who you recommended it to. You know, you'd have to mm. have a rough idea of where they're at. Um, I think it's a great uh, introduction to what gaming's doing. You know, but because it's a really good bridge to what's been and what is now. I guess let's uh, let's get into kind of our final wrap ups, our final thoughts on the game. Um, I'll go first in saying that. Uh, I mean, obviously, I would recommend this game because I I have recommended this game to our uh, you know just blind swath of whoever's listening to the podcast. I was confident enough in the work that um, that Cardboard Computer is doing to uh, to be able to say, like, this is something that I think people will be able to connect with on some level. This, uh, whether or not it's something that they immediately enjoy and becomes one of their favorite games of all time, like, this will be a memorable experience, and this will be something that people will that will at least change the way that they look at games um, in some way. And so I, I think that for what it is, you know, certainly it's a very, um, you know, dependent upon the expectations of the person coming into it, whether or not they really connect with what's going on. But I think that um, I think it's valuable and I think it's doing things that I've not seen anyone else do before. And I, I think it's significant and um, you know, if they're able to <laughs> complete the game at some point, uh, Acts 4 and 5, then, you know, we'll probably start to see more people sign on as, um, like, okay, the entire thing's released, now let's play it from start to finish. And we'll start to see uh, just what lineage becomes, uh, what comes of the experiment that was Kentucky Route Zero. But as of right now, as it's happening, I foresee this being... Uh, a significant entry in the gaming history and something that I think is an irreplaceable experience at this point because as of right now I don't feel like anyone else has done this and those who have done similar experiences have not done it as well as Kentucky Route Zero so I would uh, I would double back on saying that yes I uh, I entirely recommend this 100% to anyone who um, who can get their hands on it it's a little bit on the expensive side for PC games, which it feels ridiculous because it's under $20, but it's, uh, um, you know, how cheap PC games get these days. But, uh, yeah, if, if that's not a barrier, then I'd say, um, pick up Kentucky Route Zero. Uh, I've enjoyed it massively every time I've sat down to play it. And, uh, even replaying sections, it feels substantially different every time I go through it. So, um, there's a lot there and a lot to unpack. And I'd, uh, um, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely recommend this to anyone who has even a passing interest. What about you, Mark? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely recommend it uh, to anyone who who likes that sort of, uh, I know we keep mentioning it, but Lynchian uh, style of, of storytelling. Um, but also anyone who's a fan of, of uh, point-and-click adventure games. The, the price is a little steep, um, I'd say, but but not. But uh, I don't mind that to be honest, because it's it, because it's some, doing something interesting. You're doing something different. I think I got it for fifteen pounds from uh, Good Old Games. The art style, the music, the general, the tone, 
the way that it delivers in the narrative is there's not a lot there in terms of uh, straightforward storytelling, but it's more about building this tone. Yeah, I definitely recommend it if, if you're into that sort of game. Yeah, I, I sh- we should say that the um, the price is fairly standard with the kind of episodic adventure game content like you'd see from Telltale or other companies doing uh, doing this this type of game. But it feels a little steep, especially because right now we only have three fifths of the game and we don't know when the final two acts are coming or, you know, if they're coming at all. I assume they are. But, uh, you know, we just don't know um, the entire release schedule. And so you are essentially paying for the entire package up front. Just be aware of that. There is a free mini episode, which I'm not, uh, not finding the name of right, uh, right as of yet, but it's, uh, kind of like a demo. It's called, um, limits and demonstrations. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Which it kind of gives you an idea of the, uh, the way that Kentucky Brood Zero plays and a little bit of the tone. I found it, uh, substantially less interesting than anything that happens in the game. And so if you don't like it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you won't like Kentucky Route Zero, but it might give you a little bit of a uh, um, little bit of an idea of what you're in for. And if you really hate it, then, you know, you'll probably skip Kentucky and, um, you know, save those however much you spend on it. But uh, yeah, worth checking out. Although he hasn't been able to record with us today, Pete was able to get in front of a mic and let us know what he thought of KRZ. So uh, handing over to you, Pete, take it away. Hi guys, apologies I couldn't be there on the day, but here's what I thought about Kentucky Route Zero. So it took me four hours over around three weeks to complete all three acts. The game itself is very easy to get into and it requires a mouse to operate. And whilst playing the game, I didn't come across any bugs or glitches. I did, however, at the very beginning of the game, have a problem whilst changing resolutions where it wouldn't remember what I had saved and would cut off text from the bottom of the screen. Um, but that was quite easily fixed and didn't affect my overall enjoyment of the game. The game is highly impressive considering it's only the work of around two to three people with gorgeous graphics reminiscent of the original Prince of Persia's rotoscoping and a very well done and not overused Southern American soundtrack. The mechanics of the game are simple enough. You point and click to move your character across the screen and select dial options from various text boxes on the bottom of the screen. I did find the story of the game very surreal but in a well-told and very atmospheric manner. It's so good at conveying its atmosphere, which can turn surprisingly creepy at points, that for one section in Act 1 during the mines, I completely convinced myself that there was going to be a jump scare, when there wasn't at all. It was simply my mind playing tricks with me. Before I talk more about what I liked and disliked about the game, I guess I should answer the personal question of whether I would recommend this game to a lapsed gamer. And I have to say, at the moment, I'd probably have to say no, I wouldn't. I actually really did enjoy the time I spent playing Kentucky Zero. And I look forward to seeing how the story wraps up in Acts 4 and 5 still to come. Unfortunately, the fact that it is an incomplete game at this moment makes it quite hard to recommend. Even in space of the three weeks I played it, I found the transitions between acts um, quite hard to follow. I either f- lost track of what was happening or I'd forgotten what, who key characters were. For example, a large proportion of Act 3 was talking about a particular character. When this character finally turned up, the, the main playable characters commented to her that they'd been looking for her for a long time. And I had completely forgotten about why they were looking for her. You know, only, only a week had passed in real time between myself finishing Act 2 and starting Act 3, but I just couldn't remember. I'm perfectly aware that point says far more about my memory than the design of the game, 
but in my mind the game hadn't established this character as significant enough in my mind to remember her so it wasn't until a few conversation lines later that I remembered where I'd seen this character previously in Act 2 so I can't help feeling that it's been over a year since Act 3 came out and we're still waiting to hear about when Act 4 will come out how long the gap will be between the next acts to come out I think I'll have forgotten most of all of all the previous choices I'd made in the game the other key sticking point for myself and again this is purely subjective is that I just find the story far too surreal and abstract to keep focused on I think a good litmus test for this game would be the films of David Lynch which the game did remind me of and I've seen mentioned in several other reviews of the game and similarly I don't see on with those films either so I think if you enjoy the work of David Lynch there's a strong possibility you'd quite enjoy the surreal nature of this story like I said previously there is actually a lot to praise about this game for me the key moment was in Act 3 during a song performance in the bar I adored this scene. I loved the setting, um, I loved the animation of the singer's dress as she swayed with the music, I loved the fact that you could pick the lyrics of the song as the song was playing, and of course the actual performance of the song itself. I also really loved the fact that when you move to the overhead map to move between different locations, in most other games you simply get five bullet points of different locations to go, and you simply click on the one you need to go to. Here you're actually presented with a map and you actually have to follow directions given to you by the characters. It really adds to that lovely sense of being lost in this strange land, having to find your way as you slowly move your truck up and down the roads, taking your right at the burning bush, trying to find your way to a petting zoo. I know I'm a simple man, but a lot of the literary references in the game completely went over my head. So there may be a completely deeper level of understanding to this game that I'm missing. But unfortunately I have to report on my findings of the game as how I experienced it, which was largely as one random scene segueing into another random scene with seeming not a lot of connection. One moment you're in a dilapidated museum, the next you're riding on the back of a giant bald eagle because hey, why not? If you're a lapsed gamer and you're looking for a game that has a more involved narrative than that of the typical COD hero saves world storyline and you don't mind point and click adventures and lots of reading I have to say at the moment I personally would recommend Telltale's The Walking Dead series over Kentucky Route Zero I find the story and characters more relatable in as much as a zombie apocalypse can be relatable and also the franchise name is probably an easier sell if you're familiar with the comics or the TV series but if you're an established gamer um, I actually highly recommend Kentucky Zero as a, as a nice little adventure game. Probably worth checking out a few YouTube videos just to check out this animation style which I've been talking which I think is really, really good selling point for the game. I know graphics shouldn't be a <laughs> selling point for the game but it had an effect on me. And I'm talking here more of an artistic style than necessarily pure graphical fidelity. Or if you're, like I said previously, if you're a fan of David Lynch films, in summary, Kentucky Route Zero is a very good, unique game that left me thinking about it long after I'd stopped playing it. For Laps Gamers, it's not taxing and it's not drawn out, but my concern is that it is just slightly too abstract to appeal to everyone. Anyway, I'm off to find a giant bald eagle to fly and wonder whether Conway's leg is actually like that, as is that just how he perceives it. Right, see you guys. 
What about you, Kevin? Well, uh, first off, uh, you're talking about the price. I think I must have dropped onto a really sweet deal because I got mine for seven ninety nine from humblebundle.com. Mm-hmm. Bargain. I would recommend it to anybody really that is into something a bit off the beaten track. As far as an easy game to download, an easy game to install, an easy game to play. For somebody that doesn't play PC gaming at all, you know, it, this is great. This is just such a doddle, you know, and you, it's very easy to get into and very easy to adopt to. I think it's it's just to uh, add to that, it's, it's a really good example of um, what indie games can get away with that, uh, that games under publishers can't really get away with. Right, right. Uh, oh, God, the name's escaped me now. The, the Border Crossing game. Uh, papers please papers please yeah yeah um as a sort of something that's like that no one else has really done something quite like it it's a point and click adventure but it's not like any point and click adventure game i've ever played it it would be a very risky proposition to pitch to a publisher and so it's nice to see that the uh, independent game scene right now is robust enough to um to you know house something like this yes is financially like who knows what's going to happen to kentucky route zero but uh yeah definitely an uh, interesting piece um yeah so this is uh the end of our discussion of kentucky route zero i'd like to thank uh mark and kevin for for joining me on on this one i'm ryan Heyman, and uh, we're going to finish this off by uh by pitching a new game for the next month for people to play through and we'd of course like to invite people at home to play along with uh with the game this month which uh which mark is going to be introducing in just a moment here and also one for the uh, slightly more distant future which katie is going to uh to pitch right now as well uh sorry we don't mean to double up for the month um uh, katie's pick is going to be uh at least a couple months down the road because it's a it's a very long game and so or series really and so we wanted to give people enough time to play it and so that's why we are introing it now but as of uh as of right now the game for next month uh i'd like to hand it over to mark and he can uh, tell you all about it okay so uh next month's game is brothers a tale of two sons by uh starbreeze studios the guys that brought you the darkness and um the <laughs> uh, chronicles of riddick game so but this Quite is a departure for them <laughs> yeah it's, it's a big departure from them. It's, it's a very colorful uh sort of nordic art style puzzle platformer game the story basically is delivered to you through the way that the game controls, which is very unique. You control two brothers at the same time, uh, one with the left stick and the, and the left trigger, and one with the right stick and the right trigger, and you control them at the same time and navigate through this world and go on this adventure and, and solve puzzles. As a puzzle platform, it's very good, but it, the narrative is is um, what pulls you in. It's not delivered verbally at all because they speak a made-up language and there are no subtitles. It's 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 a very pretty game. It's a very moving game, um, and it's more importantly for for Laps Game Radio, it's it's a very short game. Uh, you can get through it in about uh, th- I think you can get through it in about three hours, uh, four hours if you're going after all of the achievements. It's on uh, 360 and PS3. I believe it's also available on PC as well, uh, but you would need a controller for it because it's something that has to be played through a controller. It was free on PS Plus uh, some point last year, so if you've uh, got PS3, check uh, check through your catalogue. You might have purchased it uh, without realising or, or forgotten that you have. It's just, uh, it, it's another very sort of unique game. I haven't played uh, anything quite like it. And uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully the community will like it. 
All right, so that is Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. We will come back in a month and talk about that one, at least uh, those of us on the panel who have taken the time out to play this for the first time. And um, yeah, and we'll right now kick over to Katie, and she will introduce one for a little bit farther down the road. But as we said, we wanted to give you more than enough time to try to uh, to get through this very, um, very daunting, it's certainly not a three or four hour endeavor as Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons is on the absolute opposite end of the spectrum. All right, why don't you take it away, Katie? Hey guys, Katie here. And today I'm here to introduce to you a game that we will be covering in our playlist section. Um, the difference between this game to all the other games we have covered so far is that this game will not be covered for two to three months. Until two to three months' time. And that's because it is an RPG. As everyone knows, RPGs tend to be quite long. They tend to be these massive games filled with all these characters, all these locations, all these quests and missions. And if you tend to be, in, if you, if you're a completionist like myself, or I tried to be anyway, uh, you'll want to do everything. And this game definitely makes you, definitely makes you want to do everything. So the game I am introducing to you is Mass Effect, Mass Effect One. We will be covering the trilogy. But obviously, we'll be starting with Mass Effect 1. Uh, Mass Effect is a sci-fi RPG developed by Bioware and released in 2007. And the main story of this, just to talk briefly about it, is basically you are a soldier and you're thrown into this war between organics and this mysterious, ancient, sentient machine race called the Reapers. And that's basically kind of the main story without spoiling anything, like plot points and that plot points and such. Basically, you're a soldier and you just gotta save the galaxy. Uh, the reason why I have chosen this game is because I'm a big fan of Mass Effect in general. I love the trilogy, I love the sci-fi aspect, I love all the different the different alien races you can discover, different kind of languages, different uh, religion and factions, all that stuff. Just a great, massive great game. And the reason why I think this game will be good for lapsed gamers is because it, the story is so gripping. It it throws you in straight away and you're you're immediately connected to these characters straight away. Like a character will tell a joke and you'll think, oh you're I like you already. <laughs> um and a good thing about these characters is that, you know, compare them to an Elder Scrolls game, these characters have a lot more depth to them. They have a lot more story behind them, like behind their characters. These characters have flaws, whereas an Elder Scrolls game, you'll come across an NPC and they'll tell you their name. And that's probably just about, that's about as much information as you get out of your own, out of your companions in an Elder Scrolls game. But Mass Effect, like I said, they have flaws. They can have like, like different feelings to you, like different opinions sorry different opinions to you so sometimes you can butt heads with your own comrades so just just these characters are a lot more in depth and just a lot more they're just awesome characters basically and you can they all have flaws they all have great background stories and everything and you just want to go and discover everything about them and discover everything about this galaxy also i would like to say i say this to everybody if you're a fan of star wars and and you just take away all the video game adaptations of Star Wars, and you have Mass Effect. Mass Effect is the closest adaptation to Star Wars in video game format. So if you're a big fan of Star Wars and you're looking for something very similar to Star Wars to play, then Mass Effect is right up your street. So hopefully you can join us for this 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 playlist episode in two to three months' time, because like I said, RPGs tend to be long, blah, blah, blah. So hopefully you can join us for that, and I will catch you later, guys.
Hi, Mark here. This would normally be the point at which we end the show and say things like, you can get in contact with us via email at lapsgamerradio at gmail.com or on Twitter at lapsgamer, but we're not going to do that. The truth is, we're only about halfway there with this episode. The LGR crew decided to get together and give you some bonus content by having a chat about their feelings about how E3 went. It's quite a long segment of the show, so let's have a bit of fun. If you've decided you've listened to enough chatter about E3 by now, then why not tweet us with a hashtag LGRNoE3. But, for those of you that want to stick with us, take it away, Ryan. Hello, and thank you for joining us as we talk E3 here on Lapsed Gamer Radio. My name is Ryan Heyman. Uh, I'm Mark Heyman. And I'm Andy Podietsky. Right, and we're here to talk E3, which just happened this last week. And so let's uh, let's get together and share some of our thoughts on the big press conferences that happened, the big announcements that took place, and maybe some of the behind-the-scenes drama as well. Anyways, let's uh, let's start on uh, Sunday night with Bethesda's inaugural press conference. They've never done a, a conference like this before, and so you know it was pretty clear going into it that they had at least one big, not necessarily announcement to make because they had shown off Fallout beforehand, but that was going to be the the main push of why they wanted their own conference here. But um, that's not to say that that was the only thing that was showed off. And so, yeah, I think the first thing that they showed was Doom. Do you guys have any attachment to the series? Yeah, I was a big fan of Doom back in the day. Mm. And then I played Doom and Doom 2. And then Doom 3 came out and was a little bit disappointing mm. for me. And then kind of just stopped caring about it. There were rumors about another Doom game coming out for years. And I was like, huh, well, I'll take it or leave it. So, yeah, I'm like, I was glad to see that it's finally happening. It definitely looks like Doom. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the last time I played it was on the PlayStation 3, but the Doom collection, and I did sort of struggle through them all. Hmm. I mean, I do remember playing the first one on the PS1. So, I have some history with it. I'm looking at it. I mean, I, I'm excited for it. It's another Doom game. It looks going back to basic um, FPS tendencies, gun and shoot, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is a lot faster than a lot of other modern FPS games, and I think they were trying to really pitch through the video the arcadiness of the entire experience, as has been popularized again recently by games like the Serious Sam games that have been uh, trickling out pretty consistently over the last few years. Yeah, and um, Unreal Tournament's making a comeback as well. Right, yeah. So uh, we do start to see some of these like old-school shooter games coming back uh, and retaining their kind of old-school properties as well. I, I kind of felt like this new Doom trailer didn't really do a lot for me. I, I felt like it looks very pretty. I, I didn't see what they were trying to to show us. Like It, it looked all very generic, and... Hmm. It, it didn't really dedicate to being a big, loud, fast, explosive shooter because, you know, it wasn't quite as bombastic and unpredictable as something like a Serious Sam would have been. And they kept talking yeah. up their, their massive weaponry, but everything that I saw in the video was, uh, was pretty just kind of ho-hum, just like the types of guns you would expect in any sort of game. I was really kind of put off by the chainsaw that was supposed to be like one of their big moments mm. I think in that trailer but you know every time he came up to an enemy it kind of just locked him into an animation uh, the same animation every time yeah yeah there might have been like two or three but it was just yeah like this is going to be every single time you use this <laughs> yeah, it's going yeah. to lock you into like a three second animation of just like that you just have to watch every single time which 
can be fun as like a demonstration, but yeah, as far as like gameplay goes, that, that's not really the way that I prefer to do things. It would be nice if it was a little bit more kind of like uh, just free flowing, like the uh, lightsaber and Jedi Outcast, where you can just swing that around and watch it take whatever effect it has. Yeah, but anyway, so I, I felt like there's no reason for me to play this new Doom when there's already games like Bulletstorm that are doing this so much better and there's already games like Wolfenstein the New Order that are doing this better and so for me it doesn't really fill a particular niche so I'm just kind of I'm going to pass this one up unless uh, unless it has some major about turn in the future that makes it a little bit more interesting but you know I think I'm pretty safe to skip this one yeah for me it's a bit of a wait and see as well Right, right. After experiencing Doom 3, I know they've opened it up a bit. I think we've learned from the mistakes of all the corridors, you know, but it is just a wait and see. It's just like, you got showed me a bit more, a bit more, like I said, Bulletstorm, which I really did enjoy. It's a lot better. Wolfenstein, that added this excellent story to it. So this is just a wait and see for me. Okay. Yeah, definitely, definitely wait and see. So they went on to talk about Dishonored 2, which they didn't really show a lot of gameplay, which usually for the cinematic trailers, I tend to just kind of dismiss and never even pay it a second thought. But in this case, I was... uh, I was a little bit more forgiving, maybe just because the Dishonored franchise is such a new and interesting thing that I was willing to give it more of a benefit of the doubt than I would, say, an Assassin's Creed. I I think it's okay because I think the trailer that they put together, even though not representative of what the gameplay is going to look like or play like, like, I feel like they were trying, like, in earnest to convey gameplay mechanics through their pre-rendered, you know, whatever. Like, they were... They were exhibiting like these are the types of powers that these characters have. Uh, Just kind of use your imagination until we have something real to show you. And so, you know, since they aren't trying to like really sell us on the game just yet, they're just trying to sell us on the concept. I was okay with that for now. You know, this is one that I, uh, I, I enjoyed the first one. I think it had some pretty major problems, but I think all of those problems are things that could be sorted out in a sequel. Uh, they're the types of problems that that are very common in first games in a series. You know, like like the jump between Uncharted One and Uncharted Two. Like oh. I'm hoping that's the same jump between Dishonored and Dishonored Two. And that's not to slag off yeah. the first game. It's just to say that it, it's flawed, but it had potential, and I'm hoping Number Two is going to grab onto that. Yeah, I think the trailer probably wouldn't have had anywhere near as much impact as it did if it had just been Corvo again. Um, right, right. But the fact that it was it was um, is it Emily as a name, I think. I think so. Yeah, that 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 piqued my interest. So as far as we know, you'll be able to play as either of them, either Corvo or Emily, I believe. Yeah. And they will they'll play differently. It was exciting that in this E3, uh, being able to play as female protagonists was one of the like major points for a lot of the games. Like, yeah. uh, you know, hmm. either probably like half the games showing off either had like sole female protagonists or the choice to play as either. And in many cases, people of different races as well, which is wonderful. Um, I think that a lot of the ugliness that we've seen in the gaming world around the last year has made people a lot more aware of this. And it's uh, it's mm. beginning to it's getting to the point where, you know, you can't ignore this like this needs to be addressed, like we need to offer better representation in games. So I'm, I'm happy to see that this E3 was a bigger step forward in that direction than had been E3s in the past. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I haven't played the first one. Um, it's, it's on my backlog list. Mm, but yeah. it seemed to me from the trailer that the what you did in the first one seems to have directly affected the world. So that looked interesting. So mm. um, I said playing with the woman, extremely interesting. And 
the Corvo is back at the end of the trailer, so you might have two different stories, two, you know, two angles where they're coming from the same story. So that all looks interesting. Yeah, they're going to have the issue of trying to pick. It's, it's not really the, the first one didn't really end in like a one of two endings. It just there was different shades of light or dark depending on how bloodthirsty you'd been through the game. Right. So if you went all the way through it without killing anyone, then you got the nicest possible ending and then so far down and whatnot um it'll be interesting to see how they how they you know which direction they take going into um into the second one Mm. yeah the um the promise of two separate campaigns is interesting and it's a big promise and so i'm hoping that if they're making a promise this big they can actually follow through on it um because they are kind of signing themselves up for a lot. I know that they they like having two different protagonists, and I think we've seen that uh, the two protagonists play in very different ways, and so it's probably necessary to design levels entirely separately around their two different uh, play styles. But it's a, it's a big promise, and we'll see how, uh, how well they do um, just matching our expectations. Yeah. Anyways, uh, they went on to talk about, uh, and we're probably going to be skipping a few of the smaller things here and there, um, so feel free to pitch in if there's anything that I have overlooked in my notes here, but... um, Well, there was Battle Cry, but... uh, Right, yeah. Is anyone... I mean, I'm not interested enough in in a... a, It appears to be another... um, First person? Is it a first person game or not? I can't even remember. I, I think the video they were showing was third person, but it looked to okay. be very like cinematic angles, and so I'm thinking that might just be a third person like cinematic trailer of a first person game. But it's kind of hard to tell. But it's it's yet another free to play take on the whole MOBA um, arena sort of thing um, that I'm not massively interested in. So I haven't really bothered reading much about that. Uh, right. I think that's the. Is that the one that looked a little bit like Team Fortressy? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's not the type of game that I'm like invested in myself, but I was kind of, no. uh, I was kind of pleased to see something a little bit more humble than, uh, could it came like right after Doom, which felt a little like just big and needlessly flashy to me. And so even if, uh, you know, Battlecry wasn't something that I was like terribly interested in myself, like I, I felt like it kind of balanced out Doom <laughs> nicely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, re-releasing Dishonored, which is uh, which is interesting. It's um, I kind of like all these definitive editions. Um, it, it's nice to be able to go back and replay these old games, especially for people who don't have the older consoles. Um, at a higher frame rate, with nicer graphics, with a little bit of. Uh, um, even some content changes we've seen in the past. Um, and, you know, a lot of times, like, after the team has had a little bit of time to think and reflect upon what they've done, then they're able to kind of implement a few of those heavily requested changes that might have been ignored if they, it was just left up to patches. Um, it, it feels a little bit less relevant now that the Xbox One has announced backwards compatibility, and now Dishonored is playable on the Xbox One. But um, I don't know. I'm not against it. I'm not necessarily interested in this one because, I mean, uh, Dishonored has been a PlayStation Plus game. It's been very cheap in Steam sales. Like, I have it on multiple consoles, and so I'm not going to be <laughs> picking it up again. But for those who are still yet to play it, like, you know, 
great thumbs up. Yeah, and you get it with the the DLC as well, which some of which was good, some of which wasn't quite so good. But it's you know as a complete package, it's not bad. No, it's generous interest for the second one as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and we'll see if they use this as a platform to use some of your choices from the first game in the second game, because I know that when um, when series that are supposed to have this kind of like big world where everything affects everything else uh, split across platforms, that could be a, a very difficult uh, um, thing for the developers to try to sew up. There's been a lot of different ways that they've tried to solve that problem in the past that have had varying levels of success. So it might be good to play them both on the same console if the story is that important to you. So they went on to show off the Elder Scrolls, a couple of Elder Scrolls titles, one of which was um, an expansion, I believe, on uh, onto the Elder Scrolls Online, which is their MMO, kind of like their World of Warcraft competitor, and the other of which was a like a Hearthstone type competitor, if I understood it correctly. Yeah. Um, I think that's what it is, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, neither of which were... <laughs> I probably say this a lot already too much, sorry. Um, neither of which were things that I was really interested in i think the um elder scrolls online felt a little bit like an apology um uh, because it hasn't been as successful as they've wanted it to be but yeah they seem to believe in it i've actually picked up the elder scrolls online uh i managed to get myself a cheap copy recently on ps4 the tamriel they've released it on consoles uh tamriel unlimited um no subscription fee anymore. Uh, it's good. just lots of like, there's lots of uh, microtransactions in there for like cosmetics sure. and things like that. Um, so it's, you definitely don't need to put any extra money into it to progress. Um, but I, I, I'm enjoying it so far. I've only played about four hours, um, but it's uh, any excuse to jump back into Tamriel. It is an interesting and well-realized world, and so it's exciting to see people take advantage of that. Mm. Um, yeah, there a lot of Elder Scrolls fans say that it's not really what they were looking for, uh, which might just be, you know, it's um, it, it's so big that inevitably they probably have to spread it a bit more thin than they would uh, in Oblivion or Skyrim. Yeah. But, um, you know, for the level of variety that you're probably seeing just due to the scope of the and the different regions of the world that you're exploring um yeah it's probably worth checking out if you're really an elder scrolls fan but i can't really speak to it myself i'd say it's it's definitely way more sparse than say Mm. something like skyrim or oblivion but um the fact that it covers almost all of tamriel means that you have a much wider variety of environments and it is um, impressive yeah I mean, some of the places, some of the, the, the areas that you get to go to just are, are so alien um, mm. if you hadn't played any of the earlier Elder Scrolls games. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot in there. I did like how they showed off the Imperial City in the trailer for the new um, expansion to the Elder Scrolls Online. Like, hmm. uh, you know, not being... You know, I, the first Elder Scrolls game that I played was Oblivion, and so getting to see some of those shots and be like, oh yeah, I know where that is, and this is where I did this assassination mission and this is where I stalked that seedy uh, elf merchant who was doing, um, you know, black market deals with, you know, it's going to brought back a lot of memories. Yeah, it's anyway. definitely, it's definitely one. If, if you are a, a big fan of the Elder Scrolls series, it's, it's definitely something that's worth checking out. Hmm. I'll consider that a recommendation then. I mean, it's a pity that came out so late once the sort of 
what well, the market sort of just collapsed on itself a bit, hasn't it? All right. So after, uh, yeah, towards the end of their press conference, they it felt like a, a really massive amount of time that they dedicated to this because obviously this is what people came to see, and so they were uh, uh, they were not sparse in the amount of time that they allocated to talking about Fallout Four, and to a lesser extent, Fallout Shelter. Um, we're probably going to have more to say about Fallout Four, so let's go. Uh, let's go a little bit into Fallout Shelter just to kind of, um, you know, give our first reactions to that. Um, I I liked that it seemed like they were making this game from a general place of just interest in making this game rather than as a quick cash grab, because that's what it looks like, and they know that's what it looks like, and so it was really cool to have them kind of acknowledge that and. Uh, and say like, okay, yeah, um, you know, most of the time these types of games are energy bar heavy and uh, full of microtransactions and are going to, you know, bill you up the wazoo. But all that we're interested in is just making a fun little app for you to use until Fallout 4 gets here. Um, it's free. Go download it now. If you don't like it, you know, just delete it. There's never going to be any sort of uh, gameplay gates that you're going to hit. So, um, it, yeah, it seems like they're kind of coming from the right place on this one. Yeah, it's refreshing to see a, a, a free-to-play game like that that's also available to play offline. Um, mm, they did yeah. make a point of uh, mentioning that on stage. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I don't have any iOS devices, so I haven't been able to play it myself yet, but I will be picking it up when it makes its way to uh, Android, which they said it should be in the next uh, few months. Um, it, looks, it looks like something I could get quite lost in. Yeah, I mean, it looks good. Like the idea, once again, that we're picking up on Android. It looks like the idea that we've taken, that we're using Elder Scrolls with that expansion pack where you were, you built your own home and they've sort of taken that idea a step forward but transferred it to mobile. Yeah. Right, this kind of like base builder type thing, yeah. which we've seen in XCOM and we've seen in uh, and a more strategic games like uh, Evil Genius and, you know, Dungeon Master. Um, but. Um, it also looks to be a little bit lighter and a little bit more accessible. Um, you know, definitely a step above the uh, tiny towers of the world. But um, yeah, it, it seems uh, it, it seems to kind of fill a niche that I, I've seen filled before. But it's still interesting since it has the Fallout spin on it, and it comes from a group of developers that absolutely know what they're doing. So yeah, it's uh, it's kind of neat. I haven't uh, I haven't downloaded it myself just because I kind of have. Uh, I have enough games on my phone to keep me occupied for a while, but um, yeah, it's uh, cool for those who have it, and I've heard some good things via Twitter, so um, yeah, go check those out if you're uh, wanting a more informed opinion. <laughs> but then the the big showstopper for Bethesda's conference was Fallout 4, which they, were, uh, they had uh, teased beforehand. Um, I guess they had more than teased. They had said that it is coming. They showed a trailer for it beforehand. And so this was their time to really sit down. Uh, you know, the big flashy trailer had already been shown so they could really like spend some time just discussing the minutia of this experience and talking about kind of what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it. And um, some of their uh, design philosophy behind how this one is going to differ from the last one, which seems to be immense in some areas. What do you guys think of, of how did this one hit you when you first heard about it and then when you watched the conference? Um, 
There were, I mean, there were there were rumours about for ages that it was going to be set in uh, Boston uh, and the Boston area, and it kind of makes sense because that's quite an important area in the the overall Fallout lore. So it was nice to see that confirmed. Uh, th- th- there's other bits and pieces where, where, where I mean, it, they've confirmed now that it starts um, before the war, before, before the, the the bombs drop. Right. Um, and uh, that was kind of teased in the trailer, and then they they confirmed it during the in the conference. So like, you start before it, and then um, however long it is, two hundred years later, uh, emerges the sole survivor of Vault uh, One Eleven. It it looks like a more intact environment than we've seen mm. in a Fallout game before, uh, at least in a Bethesda Fallout game. It looks like the, the bombs did drop in this area, so most of Boston appears to still be standing, which will make a an, you know a, a nice uh, new sort of environment mm. rather than crawling through crumbling buildings to actually see still intact ones it's interesting um boston as a choice feels about as similar to washington dc as you can find in any city in the world and so in that sense i'm kind of like oh i'd like a little bit more variety which we got with new vegas you know las vegas is the exact opposite of washington dc but um it feels a little bit like, oh, well, um, The Last of Us did it. And so, you know, all <laughs> Fallout 4, but I, I'm sure that's just... And then um, uh, Assassin's Creed 3, but that was a little while back. It feels like a lot of Boston lately, but um, hmm. it, it is an interesting city and it's uh, lovely and very walkable, which is a major point for a lot of these open world games that you're going to be doing primarily on foot. Um, the before the war missions are, or before the war um, aspect of the game is probably going to be fairly brief, I would expect. Kind of like the uh, intro sections to um, uh, Saints Row 4 had a very similar kind of like uh, small town suburbia that you have to... Um, you know, th- these areas are never as sprawling as the main game and probably pretty brief. Kind of like the uh, the first mission in Grand Theft Auto 5 where you were, you're in a an environment that you're never going to see again. But yeah, it's interesting. I like the idea of the seeing the before and after because it gives you a little bit of context as to uh, you know why this tragedy matters in a way. You know, you, you walk around Washington D.C. in Fallout Three, and you know, as far as you're concerned, like this is the only version of this world that you've ever seen. Like this was created to be. A nuclear apocalypse it was never anything beforehand and so it's interesting to see a little bit of the uh, the life before you see the um, the afterlife of the city so to speak for me this has piqued my interest quite a lot I'm not a big fan of post-apocalyptic dystopias you know the idea that it all goes to hell basically and wander around so this one but to piqued me Curiosity more which is set in Boston. It's a city I do love and visited quite a few times. So the idea of walking around Boston, seeing some iconic features of the city has really got me interested in this. Um, the way they're going to have a story, you know, you can play as a man or woman. Once again, I'm not, I don't know much about the Fallout universe as such, but I think I'm looking forward to this one. But what's also got me interested is the fact that it's, so they've only got a six month leading for their press and marketing, you know, with hitters with a game and it's coming out this year. That's brilliant. More of that. That's what I say. Bethesda have a bit of precedent there, they don't they? They're not the sort, they're not like Ubisoft where they will announce a game 
and show like some a, a trailer three four years before it's due to come out. I think even the lead in for Skyrim was only about twelve months between them showing something and the game being out. Right. It's I wish more companies would do it that way. To be honest, yeah. um, it's really hard to continue people keep people on that hype train. Yeah, if yeah. you're trying to if you're asking them to stay on it for several years, but. Mm-hmm. Announcing a game six months out, I can I can maintain hype for Fallout for six months. The uh, the ten years of the Last Guardian that that gets a little trying. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it, I thought the most interesting thing that they showed off in the trailer was the new uh, kind of like world building game. Um, the the fact that you can build your own settlements and build your own buildings, and it seems to be like you can just kind of. Uh, kind of like Minecraft, like create things anywhere in this world and kind of build the world to your liking, which feels. Um, I was kind of remarking on Twitter, like this is, this is a huge departure from Fallout in the past because, mm. at the same time, they're balancing not only a, uh, you know, a pretty hardcore like post-apocalyptic survival game essentially, uh, and they're also juggling with that a. An immensely empowering kind of god game, almost like you are. Uh, you, you're playing mayor, you're playing, um, you know, creator, and you're also playing somebody who's just barely managing to scrape enough uh, sh- um, scrap metal by to, you know, build a nail gun so you can defend your your meager stash of food. Like these two ideas, to me, seem like they have a really hard time coming together, and so I'm thinking that. Players are going to really want to focus on one or the other, uh, trying to juggle both in their mind. Uh, just as far as like the gameplay experience goes, would it sounds like it's going to be pretty difficult. But you know, these designers are some of the best in the business. Like they know what they're doing. They, I'm sure, they have considered this objection, um, you know, in full. And so, I. I, I'm, this is something that is not news to them, and like they know what they're doing. So I'm interested to see how they're going to balance these two opposite experiences and not putting them in separate modes, but stacking them on top of each other, which is uh, fascinating to me. I think it's going to be one of those features that kind of—it's uh, not going to be something that you're going to be concentrating on much during the game while you're playing through it. It's just something to extend the lifespan of the game once you finish the story. By which point, your character is. A legend of the wasteland trekking about in power armor, squashing everything it comes across. Yeah. yeah. Um, the thing I was most that I found most interesting about it is that it seems that um, Bethesda games have had a long history of modding. Mm-hmm. Bethesda they get modded a lot, um, and this was a feature that was a mod for Fallout Three mm. um, that people put together, uh, and then they put like a similar sort of feature as the DLC for uh, Skyrim with the um, the whole building our own manor house, and, and it seems like they've taken ideas from what the modern community have done with with past Fallout games and tried to implement them into Fallout Four, which is uh, it's nice to see. So you can expect to see more Macho Man Randy Savage and Thomas the Tank Engine in Fallout Four. So look forward to that, everyone. E three. We can only hope. <laughs> Well, there was also the announcement that mods will work. Um, well, they made the announcement on the ex- during the Xbox conference mm-hmm. that the mods, the PC mods, will work on Xbox One, um, and then later on announced that they will work on uh, PS4 as well. So console users will have access to some of these ridiculous mods that people come up with. The Thomas the Tank Engine one for Skyrim is one of my favourites. <laughs> 
it's a brave move as well. Um, you know, mods have always been a really uh, gray area as far as legality goes. And so, um, you know, and we've seen a, a ton of controversies surrounding uh, mods in the past few months on Steam and whether or not people are allowed to monetize them. Um, Specifically so, with Bethesda as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll see how that goes because, you know, I think as soon as... Um, as, as soon as they start publishing the, you know, Spider-Man, Kingdom Hearts, uh, you know, Darth Vader mods on consoles, maybe some of these property holders are going to kind of raise their eyebrows and say, what's going on here? You know, I understand when it's some kids in their basement sharing links through Nexus websites, but if Sony and Microsoft are putting these unlicensed mods on their console spaces, essentially, like, uh, they might not be so quick to get off the hook. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, they get away with it on Steam, but the PC's yeah. always been its own. It's it's always been a sort of a, a lawless state. <laughs> it's for one of those Mad Max wastelands. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> should probably move on because we've been talking about Bethesda for a little while. Let's uh, go on to Microsoft. I feel like they had a huge conference. <laughs> they had a ton to announce and talk about. Um, some really exciting things as far as I'm concerned. And compared to uh, some of Microsoft's previous shows, I feel like they really turned things around and uh, had a really great show this time around. They, they started off with Halo, which is a, uh, a series that I'm not hugely invested in myself, but did, did the Halo 5 Guardians trailer strike any of you guys? Um, for me, not really. I mean, it looks interesting once again, but it looks Halo. I can't. Yeah really get too excited about it hmm. you know um, still haven't played Force Halo 4 I don't know what 343 really have done with that with the series yet I enjoyed ODST but this one just more of the same it seems like he Master Chief is a bit of a villain now he's a bit of a rogue gone rogue as such so potentially but, yeah but I don't know it's difficult to see from this trailer what have changed so much what's to really get excited apart from being Halo hmm. I've um, I came quite late to the uh, Xbox and the only so the only Halo game that I've actually played all the way through was Halo 4 so I'm coming from the from the opposite end my only experience with Halo really has been 343's additions to it uh so I, I couldn't really get that excited about it I, I I don't have an Xbox one and this this isn't going to be the game that makes me want to buy one right i think that's kind of where halo is right now like it is a it's a nice addition to a, a um to a collection but it's it's no longer a system seller um probably i mean there are some pretty big halo fanboys but i think that now that uh, destiny has been released that fan base is probably a lot more splintered than it was before kind of like how uh you know uh, rock band kind of splintered the Guitar Hero fan base now that, oh, these are the original guys and they're off doing their own version of kind of a similar thing now, so why go back to Guitar Hero when the real innovators are working on rock band? So, that, I, I'm not sure whether the, uh, I'm not that as invested in the uh, Destiny Halo fan base but I'm wondering if uh, if the kind of coexistence of these two titles is maybe drawing um, you know some of the potential fan base and fanfare away from the other one. Yeah, I mean, I also think three four three has a lot to prove with this one and Microsoft, yeah. especially after the problems what they had 
with the Halo collection last year. Yeah. So I think there's a sense <laughs> of maybe I think there's a sense of wait and see from the community. I don't I don't see people even on Twitter raving about Halo Five. It seemed other aspects of the conference were the ones to look out mm, to yep. look at. But this one I think it's people are a bit more cautious with it as such. Yeah. Um my anyways, they uh uh, after Halo, they went on to talk about ReCore, which is a brand new IP, from what I could tell. It was a uh, uh, seems to be a action platformer, if I were to guess. Um, although it was a cinematic trailer, and so it was kind of hard to get a sense of what it was. But it seems to be an action platformer where you play as a uh, girl with a like a robot animal assistant. Um, yeah. Basically, I think it's kind of it's AI. Its brain was in the core, um, you know, as is seen in the title, and that core could be manifested in various different shapes depending on what uh, what body it was transplanted into. Or uh, it kind of reminded me of Knack in a way for the PlayStation Four. You know, not to uh, Knack has certain connotations now uh, since it was <laughs> you know probably released before it was ready. Um, so I, I don't need to knock it. I think that Knack had a uh, a really neat concept, and I, I'd like to see it done right. And maybe Recore is the one to do that. Um, it's kind of hard to get a sense of what it is just yet, but um, it it could be interesting. I'm I'm willing to give it a shot. Yeah, I think that idea of moving the car to other creatures and other robotics mm-hmm. is an interesting one. But like you said, it's cinematic. What can we do? Just Hopefully, until, right. we see the, until we see the gameplay, and you can't really make a full judgment. It looks interesting, but it's weird. Mm-hmm. So we're going in a new direction. Seems about Microsoft with this one, so that'd be that's, that's good. Uh, it's uh, like you said that, that we couldn't really tell much from it because it was just a CG trailer. Um, but it does bode well that it's coming from uh, KG Inafune and mm-hmm. uh, some of the Metroid Prime devs, so that there is some pedigree there. So um, it, you know, there's a chance it could be a good game, but we, I don't even know what sort of game it's going to be yet. It is really interesting to see the from the makers of Metroid Prime because, you know, unless I'm like misremembering or just overlooking examples, like you don't usually see uh, publishers essentially advertising for their competitors and saying. Uh, you know, Microsoft coming out and saying, like, this Nintendo game was really good. You should check it out mm. if you haven't. Uh, we're proud to have the Metroid team on our side now. Um, so, yeah, it was... Well, uh, I think it's yeah, it because Metroid has, like, a, a legacy yeah, that, that, that goes way beyond, way before Xbox um, ever existed. It's, you know, people... It's it's a it's a name that people know, and it's got a, an, an air of quality about it that people remember. Yeah. And it was kind of cool. Like it felt a little bit. It felt genuine. <laughs> like, you know, mm. usually these uh, big press conferences, other than you know, sometimes Sony and Microsoft make kind of like snide, offhand remarks, like not saying each other's name necessarily, but saying you know, uh, you can get a little of that corner of the mouth type stuff every once in a while. But it's uh, oftentimes they exist, like, or they pretend like the others just don't exist. And so it was kind of interesting to hear, you know. Metroid being name dropped in a Microsoft conference. Yeah, you see it used in movies all the time by the creators of. Yeah, it's true. Film yeah, from the studio. Yeah, they use it. It's, it's a way to get the public interest. And like Mark said, it's a game. 
gaming community will know Metroid Prime, mm-hmm. enjoyed it. We're a bit like, oh, these, these creators did an interesting game, a really good game last time. Let's give this a go. And it's hard to tell exactly which Metroid Prime team members they've picked up, like how much of the team <laughs> has been preserved, because, you know, Retro Studios, who did Metroid Prime, is still... Um, is, is still fully on Nintendo's camp. And so, you know, I'm sure it's personnel have transferred over, but it, it's hard to say yeah. what percentage of the team or how much that experience is going to represent the quality of this title. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, ReCore, um, worth looking out for as we uh, hear more in the future. But as of right now, let's not make any, any quick judgments, but <laughs> I'm going to keep my eye on it. Uh, let's see, they talked more about Fallout 4, but... Um, yeah, they had a few new details, but it was uh, just kind of an extension and even showing some of the same footage that we, as we had seen the previous night. So, um, yeah, nothing of... Yeah. Uh, don't need to really dive back into that one. Um, they they talked about, and you know, feel free to jump in if we're skipping anything here, but they, uh, they talked about uh, Plants vs. Zombies a little bit, but um, they made a bigger deal out of that at the EA conference, yeah, so let's wait yeah. until we get there before we start. Talking about this one, um, Forza, uh, they they made a huge deal out of they they lowered a car down from the ceiling. They had one of Henry Ford's ancestors or ancestors. That would be the uh, opposite direction, right? What would it be? Descendants. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of the Henry Fords, anyways, come and talk about how excited he was about cars in general. So like yeah. like they really need to sell us on cars as a concept at this point, but. Um, it was so it was big it was flashy as all of these car game intros are and you know like i i liked forza horizon 2 a lot you know i'm on board with the forza series but uh, you know they don't show well in press conferences they're just no. uh, they're just like poison to them my attention span at that point i can see why they keep on hammering the point home that you know this is forza this is the biggest racing game that's out there at the moment because project mm-hmm. cars came out and had a lot of issues uh, drive club had a lot of issues yeah. and i don't know when we're going to see another gran turismo so at the moment they're kind of like the only the only game in town when it comes to to like a, a sort of serious racing sim although uh, the Horizon series isn't quite as simmy as the regular Forzas, as far as I know. Yeah, that's true. Um, but in terms of like a like top quality uh, racing game on console, there's nobody else out there at the moment. Yeah, Need for Speed is a little bit more arcadey, which uh, yes. you know even Forza is more arcadey than like a Gran Turismo. And so mm. um, there was that you know Project Cars is a pretty. Uh, is it Project Cars? The yeah, yeah. Project Cars is a very like down to earth simulation, and there is uh, there's one more series that escapes my mind that is uh, very heavily simulation focused. But uh, you know, for that kind of middle ground, I think Forza occupies its space well. Um, it is what it is, and really, you know, these these press conference showings all kind of look the same to me. But it's uh, yeah, it will continue to be. Yeah, I think we're gonna watch this part of the conference, so I just turned off. <laughs> sure. I went and looked at something else. It wasn't really. We hear it every year. It seems to be showing every year, doesn't it? Pause Some pause um, Yeah. Mm. So. So yeah, it's it's never a surprise anymore, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it has its audience. Yeah. Um, I was kind of disappointed that they made a huge fanfare over um, you know, Forza Six now. Um, you know, with their, they talked to a developer, they talked to Henry Ford, they talked to their, I mean, they, they had a huge car and they made a big, uh, big fanfare about it. And they, uh, 
they just kind of showed a little trailer of Dark Souls 3 and uh, kind of pretended it never happened. Just kind of, you know, washed their hands of it. It was probably the least they talk about any game in the entire show, which, you know, I'm, mm. I'm a big Dark Souls fan, so I'm probably a little biased on this one. But I feel like this last year has shown, you know, um, through Bloodborne and the re-release of, uh, of Dark Souls 2, that, like, this is now a major series. Um, this is now a major system mover. Like, um, Bloodborne might have been, like, one of the first games that the PlayStation 4 was really, like, selling itself on. Um, yeah, that was the first must-have yeah, um, yeah. AAA exclusive. So to see Dark Souls 3 just be so <laughs> swept under the rug and uh, to hear it not talked about at all in Sony's conference, which we'll talk about later, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It just felt weird. Like, have you guys been asleep for the past few months? Like, you should be <laughs> more proud of this than you are. But anyways. Yeah, they should have. They didn't really make uh, a huge deal uh, either about the fact that uh, Miyazaki is back in charge again. Mm. Which and that's exciting. something that the yeah, that's something that the Dark Souls uh, the, the the Souls fans care about because uh, Dark Souls Two was perceived as being not as good as the first one because Miyazaki wasn't there. Um, but they didn't really make a big deal about it. Well, they didn't make a big deal about it. Full stop. But um, I thought there would be more Dark Souls Three yeah. fanfare, um, and there hasn't been. Well, it was just says it just showed that it exists. Here we are. It's coming next year. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we learned a bit more as the days went on, you know. But apart from that, yeah, you know, I understand the world is a bit bigger, it looks a lot darker, it seems a lot closer to Bloodborne in a way, I mean, in some ways. Um, from what I understand, the sword is more, going to be used more over the shield. So, mm. oh, game mechanics look slightly different. I can't say, I played Demon Souls, and I gave up, I will go back to it. <laughs> but I do fully intend to play Bloodborne and the other two Souls games, so... This one will be on the list. I'm interested. Yeah, well, we'll uh, you know, I'm sure I'll pick it up when it comes out. But as of right now, it's uh, uh, perhaps a little under-celebrated, unlike The Division, which, uh, you know, for all of the... Um, and, you know, we'll talk about this more during Ubisoft, but they seem to be giving this uh, a very strong benefit of the doubt at this point. Um, the Division has been delayed. It's been... Uh, had a very troubled development and really, like... It's hard to tell how much of a game they actually have with them. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to talk about this one too much, but uh, to still, after these this many years and this many, uh, this much drama behind its development, to be giving it this strong of a presence and to be cutting off Dark Souls 3 for it. Uh, but, <laughs> anyways. Is it? Is it yeah. third year at E3? The Division? Yeah, I think it's a third. I think that's yeah. right. Um. I th- yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, yeah, wasn't that shown? No, that was uh, that was the year after they showed Watch Dogs for the first time. I think. But yeah, it's, it's got to be. They f- they first showed it the the E three before this generation of consoles dropped. Yeah, <laughs> that's three years. With it's yeah. still getting high priority amongst these conferences, which is crazy. Yeah, which it it always um, the videos that they show always look really impressive and always look really good. But uh, at this point, you kind of have to wonder like how much faith do I have in this thing? How, how yeah. much legs does it have to stand on? I've I don't trust Ubisoft anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, uh, yeah. So Rainbow Six Siege. Um, we'll talk about that more in the um, Ubisoft conference. But uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider that is a big one for Microsoft right now. 
Um, the, the trailer was a little bit by the book, I think. Um, it, it, it felt a little... Um, I, the thing that I liked most about Tomb Raider 2013 was that it, um, it was open world and fully explorable, and I think that's how it really set itself apart from the Uncharted's of the world. And so to see this trailer basically be an Uncharted game, uh, very scripted, very cinematic, very linear, like there was one path through this, uh, you know, it's hard to tell how much effect the player is even having in the situation, but it just didn't really, it, it didn't interest me in the way that I want Tomb Raider to interest me. So, but there were always yeah. there were segments of that in uh, in the last Tomb Raider game as well, where yeah. they they were attempting to have the the, the Uncharted style big set piece, yeah, uh, where you'd be funneled down a corridor, or you're you're being swept down a rage, uh, a raging river. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be surprised if they strayed too far from the way they set up the last one with those mm-hmm. those big areas and like interconnected tunnels and uh, pathways and an almost metroidvania aspect of right, right. having to go back once you've got certain pieces of equipment to go to areas that you couldn't access before yeah. uh, i imagine it will it'll follow that sort of pattern again i just think if you're going to show anything then show off that like that really meaty interesting stuff rather than this mm. but you know this is very showy it's very if you want to make a strong first impression go for something cinematic so you know whatever yeah it's flashy the environment looked interesting mm-hmm. um the fact that you have to craft still, but like you said, it seemed very script, scripted, and really, it's another for me wait and see. Yeah, it seems to have common phrase for me at this moment. <laughs> yeah, it's a good team working on it, but um, yeah, so you know, I'm sure I'm sure it'll be a great game. Uh, I'll I'll check it out when the time comes. But as of right now, the trailer didn't really move me in one direction or the other. Speaking of great teams. <laughs> The, uh, they gave a little bit of rub- love to Rare, which is rare for Microsoft yeah. to do. Uh, you know, Microsoft has been um, kind of flogged over the years ever since acquiring Rare as being the ones who have um, uh, really torn Rare down, um, which is yeah. probably unfair to Microsoft. We, we already saw Rare kind of losing some of its steam and the tail end of the Nintendo days when they were working on GameCube titles, but um, uh, it seems like Microsoft didn't really help put a lot of uh, new flames on the fire, new logs on the fire is that the, anyways um, it it feels a little bit like an admission that yeah we're not going to get the same kind of quality stuff from Rare as you would hope to expect to um, as they presented Rare Replay which is a uh, an Xbox One collection of 30 Rare games for $30, which is incredible. I mean, I'm a huge Rare fanboy, and so, you know, I'd pay whatever for that many games. But, you know, just even for somebody who's not a fanboy, like, that's an incredible value for money, especially since, like, you know, four or five of those games are full Xbox 360 games that were $60 when they came out. And so to get them each for essentially $1 is uh, very cool. And there's some wonderful stuff on there and a lot of rares kind of ignored um, treasures in the past like uh, Blast Corps and uh, Cameo and um, Viva Pinata Trouble in Paradise like these are games that deserve a second look and the fact that they're getting that chance on a new console optimized for the Xbox One with achievements with extras uh yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm fully ready for for this collection when it do- drops in early August. 
Yeah, this was uh, one of the reasons why I thought this the the Microsoft conference was so good this year. Mm. After having a, a couple of years of very poor um, E3 uh, conferences, um, they really they knocked it out of the park this year. Uh, this was the, the first time they've made me genuinely want uh, to, to pick up an Xbox One, and it was it, it wasn't so much the um, Halo Guardians and mm. uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Uh, but it was more things like this and uh, games like Cuphead uh, yeah, that they yeah. showed off. I mean, uh, Cuphead just uh, appeals to me so much. I, <laughs> I, I need that game in my life. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with Mark. I mean, I don't have an Xbox One. And this Rare collection and the new game from Rare and some of the indie titles, they've convinced me that eventually I will get an Xbox One. I'm not saying this year. Or next year, but for me, these were the, the strong centre of this conference. It was the highlights, really. Yeah. The fact that you get all these games from Rare. The um, Cuphead looks brilliant. I mean, I love the art style, old style Disney, it seemed to me, you know, from the 1920s, 1930s. And the, I mean, if we can move on, if we can move on the new Rare game, which is Sea of Thieves. Mm-hmm. I really like the look of that. And an MMO different. pirate game. Yeah, an MMO pirate game. The art style l- looked brilliant. The, sort of the sense of humour behind it seemed old style rare. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we only got really it's another trailer, but once again, that was that this strong centre was was sold it for me on Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah, they're really uh, taking a leaf out of uh, Sony's book and really trying to court those indie developers uh, yeah, yeah. and smaller developers. I mean, they had um, they brought out um, Steve Gaynor from Fulbright. Then they had him up on stage and they had to talk about um, Tacoma, mm-hmm. their new game. Yeah, the, uh, that's what it, it, like I was kind of turned off when they were concentrating solely on on AAA games, most of which were third party and going to be on both consoles anyway. Um, but it's it's now they've started courting uh, these the indie developers and, and smaller developers, and they've got some interesting games again. Now I'm really interested in getting an Xbox One. Mm-hmm. So they did a good job of selling the platform to me. Yeah, yeah. So I'd say, um, yeah, between the indie stuff, which is going to be cross-platform for the most part, um, and the you know rare replay, it's going to be a great reason to hop on the Xbox One. Um, and of all these smaller games, and that's what we're finding in the modern age is that big games are uh, releasing to more kind of like widespread disappointment it seems and smaller games mm-hmm. are really kind of capturing the heart of people uh, you know you go to uh, uh, you go to conferences and see so many t-shirts for Octodad and Vlambeer's stuff and um, uh, Ka- uh, Cappy's stuff and you know you just that's really where the heart of gamers lie at this point so yeah it's uh, cool to see them starting to make that adjustment um, kind of antithetical to that, they decided to wrap up their conference with Gears of War 4, uh, which was not a great trailer. Um, it, it felt very scripted. There wasn't a lot happening. It was kind of a bit boring, actually. It was far too dark. Yeah, it was far yeah. too dark. The weather looked interesting. Not the weather. Mm-hmm. Sure. The weather effects and the, that sort of how it fit to the gameplay. I thought that was interesting. But. It just looked gears of war. Yeah. There's not a lot <laughs> yeah. more to say about that. No, there's not nothing much more. 
do we want to talk about the controller? Yes. Um, let's talk about that that brand new controller they showed off, which was a I don't remember what it was called. What was it? An elite controller or something like that? Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's right. Xbox One. But it had all sorts of. Uh, it had swappable thumbsticks. Uh, so depending on the type of game that you're playing, whatever's most comfortable for you. It had a swappable D-pad. Um, it had uh, buttons on the back, like where your uh, where your fingers are holding the controller on the back of the controller which i think is a brilliant idea which i don't know why yeah. more people haven't done i know the um the steam controller that they were working on had uh implementation of that in some of its earlier drafts which i don't know why they edited out but um and then fully remappable buttons so i, I was mm-hmm. really interested in this because it's uh i feel like it caters really well to disabled gamers and you know kind of consistently one of the complaints that they made is like if you can't hold a controller then you're uh, not going to be able to play a lot of these games. And I think that this controller will give people that opportunity when they might not have had it otherwise. This is something that's uh, existed for a while, but it's it's always been handled by uh, companies that take controllers and then modify them for right. you. There's one particular brand, I can't remember the name of them. Um, they've always catered to the people who take like the MLG players, the people who take like Halo and Call of Duty very, very seriously. And so they re they, they get a controller with extra buttons on the back and then remap the face buttons to those so that they never have to take their thumbs off the sticks mm. and can still press those buttons. So, but but yeah, I'd never even thought of it from the angle of, of uh, people who can't use regular controllers for whatever reason, but that, that's, yeah, that's a great point. This looks excellent. The only sticking point that came out was the price. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 150 US dollars. That I don't know what that would translate into uh, into quid, but it's just way more than it should be. Yeah. But you know, for what it is, it, it feels a bit prohibitive, ex- prohibitively expensive, and it kind of feels uh, like since I was so excited that this could be used to uh, help encourage disabled gamers to get back into gaming to then have like well if you want to play and you happen to be disabled another extra $150 will do it uh, is a little bit yeah. discouraging yeah. but it looks to be like an expensive controller to produce and so that might just be one of the necessary points of contention but yeah, yeah it was a little disappointing it seems like they're trying to cater to um, both like th- th- those controllers have usually ca- the, uh, catered to uh, the FPS crowd mm. but then they there was the inclusion of the uh, 16-way D-pad yeah for fighting games well. primarily it yeah looks like. it seems like they're trying to court the fighting game community as well which they've had nothing but complaints about the Xbox 360 controller and especially mm. its lackluster D-pad and so yeah. yeah this is probably a way of addressing that yeah, I mean, UK prices are 130 pounds. I've seen it on the on the internet, so mm, yeah. it's a lot. I mean, yeah, could do is. some sort of deal with some of the disability charities or something. That would be seems a positive thing, but I just think it's cost prohibitive for most people, actually, unless you're a specialist. That is, from what I've seen, about the price that you would pay for a, for a third party mm. one, one of the right. custom built mm. ones. Maybe this will be just be the start of experimentation in that in that direction, and we'll see over time this become more of the norm, and you know prices will be driven down as technology does. But you know at this point, um, you know for people who really want it and for people who can't play games in any other way, it's unfortunate that they're going to have to pay that much. But I, I'm at least glad that it'll you know potentially give them the opportunity to um, 
to re-engage. Uh, kind of the other big announcement that was made at Microsoft Conference, which I feel like is their showstopper, like is their number one thing at this point, is um, backwards compatibility with Xbox 360 games. Um, this is something that was a huge point of contention at the beginning of this generation. Uh, the Wii U was wonderful about including Wii support and uh, and not quite GameCube support, although from what I heard from modders, like it is possible, like the system does support it, but it's just, you know, uh, that's a different topic for a different podcast. But uh, the fact that the neither the PlayStation nor the Xbox had backwards compatibility to begin with was cutting off uh, a huge swath of of wonderful content from over the years. And, you know, just the fact that if people want access to their full library of games, they're going to have to keep all these consoles plugged into their TVs and is a, a bit of a pain. Um, and so I, w- I was very, very happy about the Xbox One getting backwards compatibility. It's one of the things that I was particular wanting because my my 360, I know it's kind of a minor complaint, but its fan is so loud that it becomes unpleasant for me to play games. Like I cannot hear over the fan. And so the fact that the Xbox One is virtually silent means that like, yeah, I'm going to go back and replay um, Red Dead Redemption and, you know, all these these older games that I love so much, uh, Driver San Francisco, uh, on the big screen again, and it's going to be great. Uh, so, so we'll see. It looks to be uh, um, kind of software-driven, like the Xbox 360 did with its limited Xbox backwards compatibility. But yeah, it, it's free, which is cool. And it seems to be kind of the same technology that Rare is using for Rare Replay. So I'm, I'm very happy to see that they're doing this. And I'm really hoping that it uh, inspires Sony to do the same way. It's the same thing. Well, this is the first time that uh, Microsoft have managed, since the consoles have been launched, to score a big hit against Sony. Yeah, yeah. Every, every, I mean, before then, like uh, when they announced the console uh, and they went first and they announced all this DRM stuff, you could tell, you can kind of, you know, see that even if Sony had a similar sort of process in place, they can change company policy in the few hours between the end of Microsoft's and the start of their conference and say, we're not going to do that. Um, when it comes to something on system level like this, they couldn't, there's no possible way they mm. could have come out and said, yeah, we're going to do it as well. Um, and the rumors are that because of how convoluted the, the PS3's uh, processor was, the cell processor, mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and the way that the games worked on that, they're probably not going to be able to do it on the PS4. So that's going to be that's going to be a huge plus for um, Xbox One. Well, their solution is the PlayStation Now uh, game streaming, but uh, for those like you, do have to buy the game again, and so that's a bit of yeah. a hit against people who already own these games, and you have to stream mm-hmm. it, which means that you're going to be getting input lag, and it's just a, a non uh, non ideal situation. So it, it's really not even a, com- a competition for what Microsoft no. is proposing. Like the best I think that Sony could do is say that if you've got the disc for a PS3 game, you'd be able to stream it for free if the disc was in the drive. Yeah. But they wouldn't be able to emulate it natively on the on the console. Right. Does this apply to the digital games as well? Does anyone know? I think that all they said so far is that if you put the disc in, you'd be able to download a, um, a version of it. I, and, I think it'd be uh, really easy for them to tell whether or not something is owned by our... Uh, by our Xbox Live um, account. 
So I would expect digital stuff、mm. to make its way over, especially since it had so many show-stopping, you know, Geometry Wars and Res HD. Like I, I don't see these just disappearing, but it, it's hard to tell how unified these marketplaces are going to become in the future, and whether save data is going to find a way over. Yeah. The only worry, worrying things is the publishers have to agree to it and they have to okay it. Now we've all got these definitive editions coming out. Yeah. That's、wow. true. Yeah. There's a there's a list at the moment of requests. I know that Red Dead Redemption is currently the top of that list of requests. Rockstar seemed like the sort of developer who would say who, who wouldn't have any objections to that.、Um, but at the moment, it's it's it's、uh, there's a lot of games, but nowhere just a, a, a small percentage of the 360s back catalog、uh, that will be working when it when it launches. But、um, yeah, it, again, it, it's another thing that that because I've got. You know, I've got quite a few 360 games, and my 360 is is probably past it.、Um, I have a very loud fan as well. So it, again, it's it's another another thing that's that's finally made me think. Yeah, I I could see myself wanting to splash the money on an Xbox One. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, we're uh, uh, just uh, keep things moving along. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about EA, which、mm, boy, this is a、uh, you know EA is. Is the kind of the bad guy in the console space? I, I think that's a pretty common conception. Like they are just an unpleasant force in the world. But、um, <laughs> you know, they came in with a lot to talk about today,、uh, or you know,、uh, a couple days ago, and、um, they they have a、uh, you know the Star Wars games on their side. They have、uh, you know PopCap under their umbrella. They had the、uh, you know Mass Effect and Need for Speed that they were going to be pitching to us, and so really it's. It's kind of a matter of a、uh, matter of let's you know sit back and see what happens, and hopefully they'll come out and surprise us. And I feel like in a couple of areas they did. So let's、uh, talk a little bit about EA. Starting with Mass Effect is making its、uh, return in a new,、uh, probably a series of games.、Uh, Mass Effect Andromeda is the name of the new one.、Um, this is probably going to develop into another trilogy, if I had to guess.、Uh, no. Uh, indication as to what it is necessarily just yet,、um, just that it, it's、no. separate from the one, two, three, and it seems to be kind of its own thing, which is good.、Um, yeah, what do you guys think about this one?、Oh, I'm a, a big、uh, Mass Effect fan. The, 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 the original trilogy is one of my favorite game series of all time.、Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the、uh, I mean, but it's just again, it was just the CGI trailer.、Um, it、right. doesn't really tell you anything about the game. I feel like there was more information when they first announced that they were working on it, and they they released、um, some concept art, and they talked a little bit, very very vaguely about where they were going with it. At least that told you something. The the the, the trailer that they showed didn't really give you any information, except for just to remind everybody that they're still working on another Mass Effect game. Well, it's better than what we showed last year when we just showed some artwork. Yeah, <laughs> so, definitely. Yeah,、um, I do enjoy Mass Effect. I've just completed two, so I'm well away on it. I like the fact that it's in a different galaxy. I like the fact that it's set after the original trilogy, isn't it? I, think I don't know if、saying. they've said. I'm not sure. But I read somewhere that it might be set after. But it, you know, will, it's a game I will pick up or get. Hopefully, I mean the new Mako looks good, quite fast. If they're going to keep it like <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I hope they fixed it finally. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be kind of doubling down on the exploration aspect, which is a pretty common theme in the 
uh, kind of game scene today between Elite Dangerous and No Man's Sky. You know, mm, uh, Mass yeah. Effect is probably looking at that and, you know, just kind of mouthwatering, saying, like, we have a wonderful universe. Like, let's introduce that level of, uh, of exploration into it ourselves. Is this one yeah. still developed by BioWare? Yeah. Okay, cool. In good hands, then. One of our team, Katie, has um, left her views on Mass Effect Andromeda. Hey, guys, it's Katie here. I was very, very, very happy about Mass Effect. I was happy about Fallout 4. Getting more details about Fallout 4 was cool. And Uncharted 4, which was also cool. Because I'm very much looking forward to those games. But, uh, yeah, Mass Effect, that was the big one for me. And I'm just going to talk about what we kind of saw in the teaser. What it looks like is that... um, it looks like just from that, just from the vibe of the teaser, we're going to have more, hopefully, open exploration, which is kind of what I want. I want to be able to go to any planet, any planet you want, explore it, do all the do all the quests for it, meet new characters. But yeah, go to any planet you want. That is what I do. That's the big thing I want in the next Mass Effect game. So kind of like how Dragon Age Inquisition went, like more open world, more open world aspect. So sort of like the old Republic where you can, you know, you just go to any planet you want, which is hopefully the way Mass Effect Andromeda is going. We also saw the Mako, which I don't know if you guys are happy about that. But uh, I think some people are, but I'm, I'm skeptic. I'm a bit skeptic of it, but that's because I didn't have a good relationship with the Mako in Mass Effect 1. It's obviously, it's been a long time since Mass Effect, Mass Effect 1. It's been nearly 10 years since Mass Effect 1. So I'm hopeful that the makeover has had some big changes. It looks cooler. It definitely looks cooler and a lot faster, which is pretty awesome. Bioware have also confirmed that the, the guy, I'm, I'm, I'm just calling him the, M, the N7 guy. But yeah, the N7 guy is not the protagonist. He was not the protagonist. But he, this, this character, this guy we saw in the teaser, will feature in the game in some way. So that's very, very interesting. A lot of theories have come up about that. Like, is he a recruit? Is he a hunter? Like, is he the bad guy of the game and he's hunting you, the protagonist? Or is he a recruiter for N7? So he wants to recruit you into their program. So that's very cool. But I like that they've they've actually announced that, that this guy is not going to be the protagonist. But they've also announced that, unfortunately, I don't think if people want, if pe- people hoping to play as a Turin or a Krogan, sorry, or whatever, they're going to be disappointed because Bioware have come out and said that you'll be playing as a human, obviously male or female, whatever your preference. But yeah, guys, that is it for me. I just wanted to kind of give my thoughts on the Mass Effect Andromeda teaser. It did say holiday 2016, so that's American for Christmas time. So Christmas time next year is apparently when we will be getting the game. But I am a little bit, like, I doubt that. Because recently, a lot of, not just Bioware, but a lot of games have been delaying their projects, their games. So I kind of, and I'm anticipating that Mass Effect and Dominant will get delayed at some point. If it, if, you know, if it's to improve the game, make it better, then I'm all for that. You know, I'm, I'd rather have a really well done finished game than a really rushed, quite rubbish game. But yeah, guys, that is my that is my thoughts on Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, let us know what you think. So anyways, um, they, they went on to talk about Need for Speed, which is another one of those really frustrating, uh, just calling the game the title of the series, like Doom and Tomb Raider. Like we already have yeah. a game called Need for Speed. Yeah. We already have a game called Doom. Like stop, you know, 
Need for Speed parentheses 2016 is not a good looking title. But, I always um, felt that uh, Need for Speed took their uh, their naming from the uh, Fast and the Furious school mm. of of naming your series. Yeah. In that, you, that, if you just look at the list of films, you wouldn't know what order they go in. <laughs> and yeah, you know, like there are two games called Need for Speed. Uh, what is it? Hot Pursuit, or what is the one that um, uh, that the Burnout developers? Anyways, yeah, oh, but yeah. there are like there are at least two or three games in the same series that have the exact same name, which yeah. is yeah. frustrating. Like even with the subtitle and everything, but um, yeah, not important. Need for speed. You can kind of get away with it if it's like a reboot uh, or uh, another studio is working on it. Like when, um, well, when, when even actually when DMC, I was going to use DMC as an example, but mm-hmm. uh, they called that DMC rather than Devil May Cry. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it gets bloody confusing. <laughs> Don't care for it. Uh, they say that this one is a reboot, mm. which I uh, personally I thought that every Need for Speed game was a reboot. Like, what, what is what there are a rebooting? Is there a canon? Is there I, I, Need for Speed? I don't lore? know. Does Need for Speed: The Run directly lead into the events of Need for Speed: Hot Pursuit? Like, I don't understand these things. But uh, you know, it's a reboot for whatever that means. It seems to be drawing a lot from Need for Speed Underground, which is a, a nice couple of games for the PlayStation Two that um, released a very high acclaim and kind of forgotten since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's a. I don't know. I, I tend to, I like the games just fine, like, but I don't really have a lot of desire to spend money on them. So I'm not, uh, not a huge need for speed gamer, Ooh. but I, I enjoy them when I sit down with them. So I, I hope the new ones are good as well. I don't have much to say about need for speed. <laughs> no, I've, I've kind of dipped in and out of the series over the years. Uh, I bought the last one and it was enjoyable, mm-hmm. but, um, I'm, I, I much prefer my racing games to be more on the, the sim side than the, okay. the super arcade side, unless it's burnout. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. We all love burnout. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, they, uh, um, gave a little, little bit of lip service to the new, uh, expansion pack for Star Wars, the old Republic, which is called Knights of the Fallen Empire, which feels a little bit like, Hey guys, the older public knights of, you know, do the math, put it together. Uh, their main selling point was this is a Bioware level story that we're telling, which <laughs> feels like a bit of a slap in the face to the developers who have to like, you know, I, I don't want to be, you know, I wouldn't want to work on a game and really put my heart and soul into it to call it a, like a, a Bioware level game. Like I, I wanted to be me and like, this is our team is good too. Like it's an us level game because like we're awesome, mm. but you know, for what it is, uh, the older public was not received to the um, amount of acclaim that they would have liked it to be. And so I think they're just trying everything they can to try to get people on board with it. You know, yeah, did, it, did it do anything for you guys? Yeah. I don't even play it. The yeah. older public, no, so. I mean, to be honest, since I started playing the Elder Scrolls Online, I'd never really gotten into an MMO before. And I thought that basically every MMO that's come out since World of Warcraft has struggled. Yeah, it's kind of fair to say for the most part. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, so not a ton to say about that one, but it exists and potentially has a Bioware level story, whatever that means. Um, uh, I My personal favorite thing that happened during all of E3 was the unveiling of Unravel. Um, and that oh, is this, yes. uh, this, this um, you know, Swedish fellow came out and just kind of like pitched his idea for this 2D platformer, which actually looks a lot like the uh, uh, Chibi Robo 2D platformer that Nintendo unveiled like a couple weeks ago. But it's mm. about this little yarn, yarn fellow named Yarny. <laughs> 
very simple name, but uh, he's just this little guy uh, made of red yarn, and he runs through the world and is able to use his yarn to cross gaps and uh, uh, you know probably solve puzzles and cross bridges and whatnot. But the uh, the guy who showed it off was so so nervous and. You know, he just when he reached into his jacket and pulled out the little doll and said, "This is Yarny. I, I made oh, him yeah. when my family was on a camping <laughs> trip." Like, oh my gosh, I want to give him a huge hug and just be like, yeah. "You know what? Your game. Like, I don't know that much about it. I, I didn't. I might have just overlooked it otherwise, but I am wholly invested now just because this like nervous, wonderful man just yeah. uh, was such a great, um, great pitch." Yeah, that was uh, probably one of my moments mm. of, uh, of of all out of all the conferences. Not only because the guy was just he, so charming and so enthusiastic yeah, yeah. about this 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 game, um, but the fact that it was so out of nowhere for an E three for for an EA <laughs> exactly um, press conference. It's like <laughs> I don't know whether they've looked at, at you know some of the games that have come out of Ubisoft, like um, Child of Light mm. and um, what was the World War One game. Uh, um, Valiant, Hearts. Valiant Hearts. Valiant Hearts. Yeah, uh, one of them looked at those and thought, "Hey, maybe we should try that as well and take a, a punt on a, a weird little indie <laughs> game." But yeah, it looks it looks lovely. EA is tired of being called soulless, and so they came <laughs> yeah. back with like, "We're going to have so much soul that you're going to be crying for hours afterwards." Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting take on Little Big Planet. I thought, mm. you know, running using the yarn and. From what I understand, you have to put some of his life back together, you know? Yeah, seems like. The yarn, and using the yarn to traverse the environment. But well, that's just a fascinating idea. So, yeah, that for me was, apart from one of the later games, one of the highlights of EA's conference. Yeah, it's a... Uh, um I'd say for listeners, if you're uh, going to watch any video from E3, seek out this uh, The Unravel uh unveiling it's it's delightful and it's one of those moments where you can look on stage and say like it's so apparent how much he loves this idea and how much he loves making games and just how like how how blown away he is to be talking to so many people about something that he cares about so much and so it was a it was a genuinely heartwarming moment for me and i'm i'm not above being suckered in by some of those really cute moments but uh, anyways, the um, let's talk about almost the exact opposite with uh, Plants vs. Zombies 2, Garden Warfare, or <laughs> Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare 2. Felt, uh, you know, I, I love PopCap. I've been a fan of theirs for years, and they're, they're mm. a very hardworking studio that makes them very innovative and um, very nice and heartfelt, kind of like small, bite-sized puzzle-type games. Um, and the original Plants vs. Zombies was... Uh, a lot of love and a lot of attention was poured into it and a lot of it's like really great creative attention but uh to introduce this one with the music playing loud and the lights and the smoke and this guy come out in a zombie outfit and dance around on stage it's just like ah, uh, like they have fully ea'd pop cap now like there is no heart left in this series like it was so discouraging <laughs> Um, I've got to say, I, I picked up the first uh, Garden Warfare when um, the Sony celebration last year, when EA gave away that for free for the weekend on PS4 and Mirror's Edge on PS3. And I downloaded it and, and I ended up playing um, 
quite a lot of it because it's just something you can just stick on for half an hour, play a couple of matches and come back whenever. I can't imagine I would have enjoyed it quite so much if I paid money for it, but as a free game, it was great. Yeah, same with you, Mac. I got it free last year. So I really enjoyed it. I actually prefer it to Call of Duty. It has a lot of fun depth to it, you know, a lot of tactical uses of various characters. So I really do enjoy it. This one, I'm not so sure. Mm. Yeah. It and feels a little flashier than I would like yeah. this this level of game to be shown. But, uh, you know, for um, it has an audience, and I like the idea of a kind of lighthearted shooter. That's why I liked, uh, you know, Conquer Life and Reloaded um, yeah. and uh, some of these other games that have gone in a similar direction. Like, I like the idea a lot, but... I'm just not really a fan of the way that they presented it and uh, kind of the direction it seems to be going. Yeah, it was it was very grating right after um, the, the, the uh, what was it called, Yanni? Yeah. Um, <laughs> to have this this guy in a zombie suit come out to Danger Zone. Yeah. Uh, which was yeah. the second time they used that song to introduce that game because they did the same thing in Microsoft Conference as well, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, it was a bit grating. Uh, I, I you know I'm I'm not bothered about picking that game up and unless they offer to for free again mm-hmm. <laughs> um it, it just seems a little bit odd a little bit um it kind of ruined the flow of the show a little bit yeah a couple of interesting points with it you can transfer your unlocks from the first one yeah yeah, yeah that's kind of nice so all your progress from your first one isn't lost which is good you know sometimes you feel put so many hours into your multiplayer games and then oh it's all gone all that work, yeah. all those hours you've lost. Um, mm-hmm. You know, can't transfer them over, so that's good. Um, and I don't, what, if I remember, I don't think it's going to be microtransactions too much. It yeah, probably is. This. You know, no matter what yeah. they say, it's it's EA and it's a pop cap but game, that, so they're probably that stuff going was to. all kind of um, most of that stuff was most cosmetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I don't have a so, problem with. You know, no. no. But, you know, how will this follow up on, uh, you know, something like Splatoon that is doing very much the same kind of thing, uh, you know, in a post-Splatoon world, uh, what place does Garden Warfare have anymore? So we'll see. Yeah. Plus, Splatoon's got that that Nintendo seal of quality yeah. yep. <laughs> that um, Garden Warfare doesn't quite have. Holds a little bit more weight than the EA seal of quality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so speaking of the the flow of the uh, conference, they um, broke it up multiple times to talk about their sports titles, which I understand are um, uh, definitely some of the uh, kind of cornerstones of EA's uh, business model. So I don't fault them for talking about their sports stuff. Yeah. It's very important to them. Yeah. But I wonder, like, how many people who are really invested in the EA sports stuff year to year are watching e3 press conferences as they happen not really I don't know the, uh, not the really target audience overlap there but um it was kind of frustrating to me because i watched these after the fact because i um i was at work during the conferences but um and so i was very happy to just you know skip over these ones that i you know the sports stuff but they uh they kind of like um they staggered them throughout the conference. And so they didn't put them all just in one long chunk that I could have easily skipped just once. I had to keep, you know, skipping around. And, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, that's, that's just me. And me being probably a little petty. 
Um, they, they brought Pele out. They brought uh, oh god, uh, yeah, they was did. It Jason Derulo or somebody to sing a song for uh, one of their. Oh no, that songs. was um, that was Ubisoft. Was oh, Jason okay, I see. Yeah, no, no, we just had the the six or seven minutes of Pele. Um, <laughs> I I love football, but that was one of the most boring interviews I've ever seen. Yeah, you don't yeah. bring him out to a games conference or such. It just yeah. slowed the pace down so much. As someone pointed out on a, on another podcast I uh, heard uh, talking about E3, they said that basically by the time video games were a thing, Pele had already retired. Mm. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like bringing somebody like uh, like Tony Hawk to talk about his own games would be appropriate because he's very heavily invested in the Tony Hawk series, and you know he's yeah. he's been very transparent about uh, his involvement with the developers and the entire process of creating that series. And, you know, they regularly tweet announcements through his account. Um, but, yeah, somebody like Pele, like, it's a treat to see such a huge, uh, you know, football legend. But um, it just didn't really feel like he had a lot to say or, no. Um, no. So, yeah, whatever. And, you know, it just wasn't probably uh, wouldn't have been best appreciated by the types of people who are probably watching E3 press conferences to begin with. No, not, no, not really. Unlike... Mirror's Edge Catalyst. There's a, a game they've been teasing for a good long while. It is a, a bit weird to see it just not called Mirror's Edge 2. Like, to me, a subtitle always kind of sounds like a spinoff, but whatever. I'm okay with that. Um, this one is Open World, which I'm actually uh, pretty happy with. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't think that will um, limit the the attention to detail that is necessary for a game like this to exist. Like you really do need the lines of, uh, but you know, like we were mentioning earlier in the uh, Tony Hawk games, we're all about creating open world environments with lines of stuff that you can do tricks on. You can branch along the way. And so in, in much the same way, um, you know, mirror's edge being an open world game could provide that level of, uh, not necessarily being a right and a wrong answer, but being how do you want to approach this problem? You see something at the top of that building and you have to figure out yourself what's the best way to get there. Yeah, um, it's definitely something that could that, that would benefit from an open world. Um, that was one of the problems with the original. It sometimes felt way too linear. Right. Um, one of the other things I, I was interested here is the fact that, that they've completely removed the option to use guns. Um, yeah. there will now be no shooting in the game at all. Like you, it's, it's all, um, hand to hand. Like obviously people will be taking shots at you. Um, and the combat can now be, you don't have to stop to engage in, in hand to hand combat. Then it can be on the move as well. I don't know how that's going to work. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm very interested. I'm, I'm really happy that EA are actually, you know, what looks like putting quite a lot of money into mm -hmm. this because I don't know how well the original one sold. It's got a very cult following, but I don't know how much widespread appeal it has. Yeah, I, I don't think it's sold quite to their expectations to begin with, but I think it has so much like a um, word of mouth by now that coming out with the sequel is uh, a pretty safe endeavor, I think, especially yeah. being handled by DICE, uh, you know, coming off of, uh, uh, you know, Star Wars Battlefront and uh, Battlefield. So... It's it's in good hands, and I think it'll be a, a pretty big hitter once it comes out. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get on with the first one, so I'm hoping that I will get on with this one. It does look a game that I am really interested in. You know, I've heard so much about it, and I'm really tempted to go back to the first one. I just could never get a grip with the controls. 
Um, so hopefully there's a bit of a change in that. But mm. you know, this one's got me interested in um, in the science of prequel as well. That's why it's called Catalyst. Yeah. Well, you know, whatever. I'm I'm not too invested in the Mirror's Edge continuity, yeah. and so whether it came before or after, like I'm just going to be running on top of buildings and. So we'll see if they decide to go with a more simple control method like an Assassin's Creed or a Metal Gear Revengeance would have had or whether they want to maintain some of the uh, complexity um, or you know, maybe like a nice in-between like a, like an Ollie Ollie would have had where you have some level of technical expertise that's required to, um, to perform things well. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, you can get yeah. by with a lower, uh, lower barrier to entry. let's wrap up ea with the other big dice announcement not necessarily announcement but uh they showed off a little bit more of star wars battlefront and some actual gameplay i think this time uh it's hard to tell what's (laughs) gameplay and what's not anymore i'm always a little bit worried when there aren't uh health gauges on screen on screen or anything like that but uh let's give them the benefit benefit of the doubt they say that this was running on a playstation 4 the video that they showed of the hoth battle but um Hmm. it's uh i was a big fan of uh battlefront when it was uh the first one when it came out uh not such a fan of the second one um but it's one the first one is one that my friends and i still revisit to this day and play a lot of and it's a, a wonderful title and so i was really excited to see a new one in development um it looks like it's going to be pretty heavily multiplayer focused which is probably the right choice but for me is a bit unfortunate because i don't really do multiplayer mm. but um it's uh i don't know what do you guys uh are you guys looking forward to this one yeah definitely um i'm I'm a big battlefield fan Mm. and uh this is being developed by dice and from what i could see if this gameplay footage is actual gameplay footage it looks like it's going to play quite like battlefield as well i expect it to um which is not a bad thing at all as long as they can get the servers working at some point (laughs) within the first six months of the game coming out um yeah uh dice makes solid games um Apart from the online errors, uh, so uh, I, I'm very hopeful for this. And that trailer was was pure fan service, though. Like they they knew that if they're going to show some gameplay, show the Battle of Hoth, mm. show A wings uh, running those cables around the uh, attack walkers, show all that. Uh, they did show some inform. Some I don't think it was in that conference. It might be one of the other ones they showed off the mode with the Sony was Sony. Uh, yeah, it was Sony. Yeah. Um, with the the mode that is single player or co-op if you want mm, the okay. uh sort of like horde mode um thing where you're are you waiting for extraction or something like that and you have to fend off waves of um imperial forces yeah it looks good it it looks good it sounds good it sounds like star wars yeah, uh yeah. another thing dice are brilliant at is sound design yeah, yeah um if the music is in the game as much as it was in the trailer then i will be very happy <laughs> Because I love that. I love the Star Wars score. Um, yeah, very excited for that. Yeah. Just don't don't mess it up, please. Don't mess it up. Yeah, I tell you what, if they mess this up, man, yeah. they're, they're dealing with a fan base that's more rabid than Battle Battlefield's fan base. So oh, if, by a long way. So if they cut this up really badly, they, they can. There's no coming back from. I no. am really looking forward to this. I wasn't too sure, you know, because of all the problems of Battlefield Four. 
and everything. But when it was got revealed and you looked at it, all right, whether it's gameplay or not. But if it comes close, I'll be very pleased. And no, you can use use the spaceships. Looking look really interesting how you use them in the battle. Um, yeah, it's one of those. I might even pre-order. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> All right, let's uh let's keep things moving along just cuz we're uh, you know running a little bit long here, but uh let's go on to Ubisoft or Ubisoft, I think it is. Um they uh started off their show with South Park, The Fractured But Whole, uh which uh that that is a great title. I I'm not a South Park fan myself, but just uh it it looks good. The um bringing uh Matt and Trey on stage was it didn't really add a lot to their reveal other than them saying right. like, we kind of messed up the last one, but this one will yeah, probably yeah. be better. Who knows? <laughs> um, it, it felt very human. It felt very real. Uh, they were really giving their honest opinions on things. So, um, you know, uh, thumbs up if you're into that kind of thing. I'm sure it is exactly what you're looking for. Uh, for me, I, mm. I, I have the original one when it was, uh, I picked it up when it was on a, like a pricing error on the PlayStation three for $5. So, um, but yeah, it, it's not one that I'm hugely looking forward to, but it's, uh, it, it seems to be, uh, knowingly referencing the failures of the first game and hoping yeah. to amend for them. Yeah. I really enjoyed the first one. Um, yeah, me so too. anything more in that same vein, you know, tighten up certain bits of, you know, maybe the character development and so on that will be. A game I will be picking up, but yeah, I thought I thought, I thought Ubisoft started off strong with South Park and started with a you know, strong mm-hmm. sense of yeah. humour. I'm surprised they yeah, sure. surprised they actually in the sequel to the first one the way Ubisoft seemed to treat it. But you know, I'm glad they is one. Yeah, speaking of the humor, it's good to have uh, Aisha Tyler back. She always does yeah. a fantastic job. Um, you know, of course, she's ad libbing a lot of it, and so some of it is going to. Uh, kind of sink a little bit, which I, I feel like this year there were so many more just like awkward moments of things not connecting in Ubisoft's conference than in years past. But, you know, I, I can't hold that against anyone because it is a a big event. A lot of it's being improvised. Um, so, you know, that's bound to happen. Um, they talked about For Honor. I don't really have a ton to say about it. I think that is the uh, kind of like Dark Souls looking game about sword fighters of various cultures and points in history all fighting in big battles against each other yeah which we had uh, chivalry already and so i don't know yeah. if we necessarily need another one of these but uh it it exists it looked interesting you have a sword battle they had you know where you where the two guys were controlling well that was quite good so mm-hmm. it's four versus four so it's a bit of a, maybe a more multiplayer slant yeah, I mean, the graphics look good. But it's Ubisoft. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so Sorry. expect it to look a lot worse when it actually comes out. Oh, do I have to climb a tower to get this far of it? This is far. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Let's see. The crew is getting an expansion. Mm. Um, I played it. Which, yeah. you know, cool. Uh, I, I think it had some pretty big problems that yeah. uh, they might have to... I th- they might be addressing... I know they're at least pumping up the graphics in the... Uh, in the expansion, but I don't know if they're going to be retooling a lot of the gameplay. So uh, if you like the crew, check it out. I, I had not a ton of interest in the crew, so I'm no. going to be skipping this one as well. But it's uh, it was also there. Um, Anno 2025 or 
sorry, 2205. I uh, had the uh, um, Earth Defense Force on the mind for a minute there. Uh, <laughs> Anno is, uh, it's, it's pretty cool to see, um, you know, this game, which is a, uh, you know, probably better known on the Steam uh, marketplace than anywhere else. Uh, a game that I thought was an independent game until recently um, <laughs> to see that shown off at Ubisoft's conference in such a huge limelight capacity. Uh, and it looks pretty neat. It looks like a, a nice, uh, you know, city building in space type game. Uh, yeah. Probably worth checking out. I've never played it on the game, so I can't really say. No, I've never played in them either, to be honest. This, I mean, most of this, of the Ubisoft conference was, I always have a problem with them. Like, I, I like that Aisha Tyler hosts it and that mm. they always bring out um, Yves yeah. Guillemot and he's always so chirpy in French. <laughs> um, but it's just they, they, they tend to, to show lots of games that I either don't I don't really have an interest in or they're just like, oh, it's not really a surprise. Okay, yeah, you're making another Assassin's Creed game. Great. This year felt incredibly Tom Clancy yeah, heavy. Yeah, I felt that. Yeah, was there three Tom Clancy games? Yep. yep. The Division, Rainbow Six, and Ghost Recon Wildlands. Yeah. yeah. Which the last of which is an original franchise. Uh, I mean, it's part mm. of the Ghost Recon to some extent, although it uh, seems to be a new take on that. No, let's, uh, let's kind of skip Just Dance because I don't have a ton to add to that one. Nope. That one's uh, also controllable via uh, iPhone now or via uh, smartphones and smart pads and whatever. But. Um, it's a, uh, which is a neat way to kind of circumvent uh, that you know ostensibly like, and I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but the dancing type games are probably best suited to people who are a little bit more console casual to begin with, and they're not going to be the ones who are dropping hundred fifty dollars extra for a Connect um, on top of their already expensive Xbox One. So no. uh, the fact that this and Guitar Hero are going uh, mobile as well is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, the division they showed off a little bit more about that which we have already given our yeah. thoughts on back in microsoft yeah uh, rainbow six siege um continues to be uh, very much what it was yeah. last year uh which yeah. last year i feel like they had a very uh, problematic trailer uh it just wasn't the right mm. time to be showing something like that but it's uh this one was better but still not enough to really uh get me interested no no Trackmania Turbo, which is interesting. Hmm. Mm. It's, it will be interesting if it has the thing that makes Trackmania yeah. good on PC in that the people run their private servers with, with their favorite tracks and they set the music yeah. and things like that and so different servers play different. If, if it's not that way, then it's going to kind of lose something that Trackmania yeah. has. Apart from that, uh, the, the only interesting thing about that trailer was the... Um, the ability to just randomly generate yeah, a track. Which the one that, that they randomly generated on stage was pretty uninteresting. And so it probably yeah. wasn't what they were hoping for, but uh, um, from what they showed off, like it did seem pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, like an Assassin's Creed from London. <laughs> yep. With nothing yeah. new, it seemed. Lots of cockneys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which I was kind of hoping since uh, <laughs> Assassin's Creed Unity set in France last year was uh, um, 
was full of British people, I was really hoping that this one would just be French accents everywhere. <laughs> but, uh, you know, no such luck. Um, they, I, I don't know what kind of understanding they have of the world, but, um, you know, much of Ubisoft is either in France or Canada. And so, like, they know what French people sound like, but you know, <laughs> it's probably just beating on a dead horse at this point. Uh, Syndicate is... Uh, it, yeah, um, it's another Assassin's oh, Creed. Yeah. It uh, continues to be very much what it was. Um, yeah, it will still yeah. sell a lot. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's kind of been it hasn't it hasn't progressed enough as as a game. And now people that have taken up what Assassin's Creed first started doing are now doing it better. Yeah, uh, you've got exactly. games like uh, Shadow of Mordor, yeah. which is a better Assassin's yeah. Creed game than Assassin's Creed. So I don't know at this point, I'm just kind of, <sighs> and the fact that this all kind of like still revolves around like white people history and yes. some of the more like interesting locations are being relegated mm. to their, uh, Assassin's Creed legends or whatever they're calling the yeah. like side scroller or Mark of the Ninja type mm. games. Um, it's kind of a shame, like, you know, France, England, like these are places that we've seen and, you know, uh, especially Victorian England after, uh, you know, the big Sherlock Holmes games that have been popular in Bloodborne. And it's Mm. just, it's well-worn territory at this point. Like we don't need another Victorian London game right now. They keep ignoring all the locations and times in history that that they could have gone back to and that that people on forums have been asking for, like just make one in ancient Rome or make one in ancient Egypt or feudal Japan yeah, or India or anything China like or something. that. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And they just, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I've, I've, the last, I played uh, Assassin's Creed 4, really enjoyed that, mm-hmm. but only really because of the naval combat aspect. And mm-hmm. then they just completely abandoned that aspect of the game and I just, I lost all interest at that point. At least last year, they, they came out with one that was naval focused and then another one that was city focused. And so maybe yeah. they'll continue that trend, although we haven't heard of a, simultaneous release for this year so maybe they're going to uh uh kind of like jump frog um which i think is a better approach anyways one every other year that is Mm. naval city naval city but we'll see they need to otherwise it's just going to get that they'll end up getting into the same sort of situation that call of duty is at the moment where sales are just dropping off because it's been it's getting so stale i mean this this is a big one for ubisoft because assassin's creed after last year's unity problems did i get this mm. one right um the one that could maybe literally destroy the franchise mm. so they do have to get this one right yeah it has a lot of momentum behind it yeah. so it might be mm. too big to fail but it's I, i'm kind of hoping they not necessarily fail because i don't want to see no. people lose their jobs but no. i want to see them well, have to shake it up to a certain degree it will. It'll never fail and financially. I don't think. Not at least not for a good few years. It'll sell. I just. I just don't think that if, if they don't change it up enough, I don't think it'll be a, a critical success. Yeah. Anyways, do you guys have anything to say about Ghost Recon Wildlands? No. no. Okay. No. I just that trailer. Just. I was just not interested in that at all. Fair enough. Like I said, it just seemed a lot of Tom Clancy. That's all I remember. Out of this, what comes out from yeah. South Park. That was different. The rest of it seemed mediocre. Seemed fairly samey, yeah. what you'd expect from Ubisoft. Um, same cannot be said of Sony. Um, mm. Monday evening was uh, some very big surprises, some things that we may, well, uh, may not have been expecting necessarily. Uh, and, you know, uh, the biggest of which was The Last Guardian being shown at the very beginning, yeah. which 
mm-hmm. uh, to one on one level. Like it's nice to see that it's back, and this is something I have wanted to play since two thousand six. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you know they have the pedigree of Ico and Shadow of the Colossus behind it, and so this is something that has a lot of momentum going forward. But the fact that it looks just about identical to how it did when they first showed it off when they were announcing yeah. the PS3 is a little bit discouraging. And it makes me think this isn't something that spent nine years in development. This is something that spent two years in development. They canceled it. And then due to public uh, outcry, they quietly yeah. picked it back up and pretended like they were working on it this entire time. And that's my feelings anyways. From what was said, there's not going to be a mass uptake in the graphics because it's a part right. of the creator's vision. So take that as, well, take that as you wish, you know. But, yeah, and at least just set a date. You might not keep it, but 2016. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the fact that it didn't look uh, like a next-gen game no, doesn't bother no. me that much no, because no, I think no, that the art, the art style and the art direction is always more important than the graphical fidelity um, for me. But uh, I'm just happy that it's that it's definitely yeah. still it a exists. thing. Yeah. It's not just rumors; it actually exists. <laughs> that's that's what I'm happy about. Yeah, yeah. Same. This this whole this whole conference was just fan service, yeah. pretty much. Basically, I, I they were. I don't mind. The, <laughs> I, I mean, this E3 as a whole, they were a Half Life three short of having a perfect E3. <laughs> I mean, Fallout four, um, Xbox One backwards compatibility, and then all this stuff. Yeah. In the Sony conference. Which we'll get um, to, but yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, they had a ton. Um, one of the big, interesting new reveals was Horizon Zero Dawn, oh, yeah. which looks mm. to be kind of like a caveman, uh, cyberpunk caveman monster hunter, where you hunt robot dinosaurs, which is uh, pretty cool. I like that. It looks a little bit flashier than Monster Hunter, and so I'm hoping that it still remains... Um, tactical and um kind of slow paced like a monster hunter would be where you really have to consider and there's a lot of danger involved and you really have to get to know your enemy yeah uh which i don't know if i really got the impression of that from this cinematic trailer but um it seems uh it seems like a really interesting new property that i'm going to keep my eye on yeah it's uh it's one of the the few games I've played that has a sort of like post post apocalyptic vibe yeah, about it, and yeah. then it's not just in the post apocalypse, it's like way after that when humanity's slowly starting to rebuild. Um, it reminded me a lot of uh, Enslaved, which is a game right. I love. Yeah, um, I am, um, uh, yeah, it, it's nice, it's just nice to see Gorilla not yeah. announce another Killzone game as well. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the idea, there's a lot of color, we've got another female. Yeah. Yep. Protagonist, um, yep. so that's really mm-hmm. good. I like to say, did you remind me of Zoids? If anyone remembers that from the eighties, not familiar with no, that. No, no. Uh, well, basically controlled big dinosaur, robotic dinosaurs, and that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it, it, probably one of the standout new IPs from the conference and from the whole show. Yeah, as definitely. Well. So yeah, but this is one I'm really looking forward to. It showed off a bit more of Disney Infinity. Uh, It's nothing really new, but uh, just kind of confirmation of stuff that is on its way and stuff that's happening. Um, Yeah, so that one's kind of uh, not a lot to say about that, but Hitman seems to be taking a lot of risks and going in a lot of new directions. Maybe some of those risks are being put onto the consumer instead of onto Square Enix, Mm. Uh, which, you know, let's go ahead and talk about this here since it's, uh, you know, come up, but... 
they uh, I guess they announced that the game is going to have kind of perpetually new uh, installments of content. And then once like the deadline for one of those contracts finish, the that content just isn't going to exist anymore, which feels really shady. <laughs> like if you don't play it at that time, like if you go back to it as a used game, how much of the game are you actually getting? Uh, how much will you get to experience? They used a lot of really like strange buzzwords, which I have no idea what they mean. And so I, I don't know what this is going to look like. Yeah. It looks almost like the looks of a destiny model. And yeah, changed yeah. it a bit. In the sense, like you say, the contracts only last a certain time, but we'll be continuous. We'll, we've got a base game here, and we'll just add to it, add to it, add to it. And if you miss out on those, you know, well, don't worry. You know, there's always new contact, contact. But what happens to all those you paid? So, like, if you buy one, lasts it lasts a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month. We don't know, but I, I think we've looked at that model of destiny and thought, well, we can do this with Hitman. So if I buy it used two years down the line, though, like, what am I getting? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Tricky. It's, I mean, is it another season pass where you get two season, three season passes? It's, is it going to be something like Evolve, which is just about a new season pass? They did say there is going to be a season pass, but it's it's not. Mm. You don't pay for it, basically. <laughs> okay. Um, right. The updates are going to be... Uh, see, I don't understand how this... the bit As far as I understand it, the business model for this game works. Yeah. Because it's like, buy the game, it's this big open world thing, um, or some cool. some concept of that, and then there'll be continuous free updates for it. Seems almost like early access, like you're paying for the entire thing up front, and then you'll just get content as it comes. Yeah. yeah. So kind of funding development by buying the game early. But how long is it financially feasible for them to just mm. to continue making free content for the game? Yeah, I mean, I even even Destiny makes you pay for the content pa- uh, cool. updates, like um, the the expansions. Uh, I think an interesting thing with a name. It's Hitman now. You know, like yeah, there's another one yeah. where it's just like, okay, we already have a game called Hitman. Or do we? I don't remember if any of the Hitman games have just been called Hitman. But regardless, uh, rubbish title. Let's uh, roll the dice yeah. again. Please you know, do not pass go. Um, yeah, and also, speaking of shady business practices, uh, Shenmue 3. Now, there was a big surprise. I mean, this is one. Uh, Shenmue 1 and 2 were... Uh, very, very niche Dreamcast games that have had a huge cult following over the years. Um, and Shenmue 3 has always been one of those kind of like industry jokes of like, oh yeah, you know, it'll come at some point, but nobody ever actually expected it to. Uh, so Sony kind of made a big deal about like Shenmue 3 can happen, but we need your money to do it with. So we're launching a Kickstarter, which is like, you guys are Sony, like, you know, what yeah, are you yeah. doing? And they want a $2 million Kickstarter, which is not enough to make a Shenmue game. No. So I, from what I've heard, it's just a way of like gauging interest and pitching it to like actual publishers. But that feels like such a shady, like under the table, like behind the back type dealing to be working with. It's just everything about it felt really slimy. Yeah, I, I can see why they did it because they'd have to should be able to show to investors say look this is uh, you know they the people spent however a million it, it surpassed yeah. the two million within 12 hours they can say to investors look there is demand for this game let's pump some money into it because yeah that's a, that's a uh, you know 40 50 million dollar game easy yeah. 
But it doesn't feel like they were being honest and upfront about that was their no, intention. That was the thing that was odd. It was like they, that, yeah, um, the fact that they were, they were presenting it. I mean, anyone who thought about it could have just said like, "Well, why are Sony letting an independent Kickstarter be on their yeah. on their stage? They've got to be involved in some way." But the way they presented it was a little bit dishonest. Yeah. But hey, it captures the gamers. It captures them that hearts mm-hmm. the gamers. You were, you announced yeah. the Last Guardian. You go with Shenmue Three, and then you announce the next game of presumably we're going to be talking about. And <laughs> yeah. You, well, yeah. let's go and move on to that then. <laughs> uh, Final Fantasy VII HD remake, which is uh, you know something that people have been wanting for a very long time. I've always said like this is probably mm-hmm. a bad yeah. idea. Like, uh, let's be honest. Like Final Fantasy VII is not as good as we remember it being. Um, the story doesn't really hold up as well as you would hope it would. Um, so, eh, you know, eh, eh. recent Final Fantasies have also been nothing to write home about. So what are we really wanting here? Well, the thing that was odd about it was that this has come about, this must have come about only in the time since they announced that, I think it was at the um, PlayStation Experience. The PlayStation Experience, yeah, that they were going to be releasing the PC version yes, on yeah. consoles. And then the the response to that was so bad that it must have been in the time just since then to the C3 that they've decided, oh, we'll make a remastered version. It's cobbled together a, a, a trailer real quick and put it out. Yeah, it seems like. That's going to be a long, long way off, knowing how long it takes yeah. them to make games. Um, it could, oh, I don't know. It, it gives like a generation of people, uh, younger gamers who have heard about this game, but have maybe not have gone back to it because it is very, very dated. Um, it gives them a chance to experience it in a, a new shiny shell, mm-hmm. but, uh, they need to fix quite a lot about the story and the translation. What's interesting, we're still releasing that PC version on PlayStation 4. It's winter sometime. I don't know yeah, why. That's probably some... more authentic to how people really yeah. remember it as kind of like an archival type thing. Um, the fact that you can now get Final Fantasy VII as it existed back then is uh, is worth something to yeah. some extent. They've done. I think the, the other remakes have done from what I, I understand. I've played seven. I haven't played a Final Fantasy game since. But from what I understand, the other remakes have, been, have gone down really well. So really well. They've done really good jobs. So, you know, remake this one, you know, give some to the fans, people love it, I'm happy for those people, you know, let them enjoy this game, and like I said, it's a new generation, will enjoy it, you know, because it's been, I think we're planning to release it in 2017, for 20 years. Yeah, it's a ways off. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know. All right, let's uh, um, touch a little bit on um, Media Molecule's dream. Uh, I don't know how much we can say about this one because I don't know how much I understand this one, but it seems to be kind of like a 3D, um, like clay modeling type game, which is kind of cool. And uh, it looks to make really excellent use of the PlayStation Eye camera, which um, Media Molecule does incorporate uh, Sony's, you know, weird technologies they build into their controllers and their handheld systems really well, as was demonstrated with Tearaway, which is like the... Uh, the standout game that showed like, oh, this is what all the Vita's use um, features are used for. Um, it, it seems cool. It has a really nice look. It, it's probably going to be a lot harder to use than uh, they made it look like, but um, it's uh, it's interesting, and I, I really like that it exists. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's really hard to explain what it is. 
you kind of got yeah. to see it. I'd, I'd say definitely go and, and uh, go on YouTube and have a look for the um, that segment of the conference. Right. Yeah, I, I like what Media Monarchy will do, so I'll I'll be I'll be looking yeah, out so, for that. Yeah, I'll be looking back for that. And then next one, Batman Arkham Knight showed the PlayStation exclusive, which I thought was yeah. I don't know, it's hard to describe it. Well, show me Scarecrow bits. Um, it was quite dark. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of uh, of Fahrenheit's opening a little bit yeah. in the diner. Um, but yeah, yeah it's a. Uh, I, you know, this game is going to be out this coming week. So, um, or, you know, by the time people are listening to this, it's already out. Yeah. Um, so it feels a little silly to be announcing stuff this late in the game at E3. But um, uh, is Scarecrow is uh, probably one of the most interesting parts of the first game. And so to be offering that as exclusive content, uh, essentially, like, it's like saying, like, this is the version of Metal Gear with Psycho Mantis in it. Like, that's probably a huge seller. Yeah. But um, it feels a little late in the game. I really don't like that practice, and I, yeah. I I really don't like the fact that it's now reached the point where a company like Sony is devoting a, a fair chunk of its of its uh, conference to say, "Hey, we've got this exclusive piece of Batman, and we're going to get all the Call of Duty maps before the yeah. Xbox One." I, I've never liked that that um, yeah, it's kind of a crummy that practice. concept. So that was that whole segment in the middle of the conference was a little bit disappointing. Yeah. So Black Ops Three, Batman. Shame on you, but you know, <laughs> yeah. for what they are, um, uh, I'm sure Batman's going to be a great game. Black Ops has been one of the kind of like shining high points of the Call yeah. of Duty franchise, so I'm sure that's going to be a great one as well. Uh, but you know, just the business practices behind it are just so anti-consumer. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, I guess let's finish off by talking a little bit about Uncharted Four. Uh, this one, uh, another Naughty Dog title, um, of course, as uh, all the Uncharted games have been. Um, it is. It's one that I was not excited for beforehand because, you know, I kind of, I feel like after Uncharted 2, I kind of saw everything that that series had to offer. Um, mm-hmm. But this uh, this demo, I felt, was uh, it revealed a lot that I was excited by. And I was I actually kind of mm-hmm. liked that the demo broke. Yeah, it showed that it was actually being played. Because it showed that this is a live yeah. demo, that this is not a video. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if anything else, unless they they created a video that looked broken like that would be nefarious and i'm sure they probably put on a video afterwards but they had the uh um you know they had the the, they believed in their product enough to show it live at the conference which is cool um it demonstrated some of the like banter systems that you could expect to see in the game which is really neat um uh it, it just felt like the conversations that um nate and sully were having were uh or a lot more alive than you would expect from something. And it looks like there were probably even multiple paths that they could have taken in this, uh, in this Jeep route, uh, down the city streets. And, um, you know, whether they choose to jump off a building or go around a corner, I don't know if that's true, but, uh, and it seems like, you know, they would have had funny little witty little conversations to have regardless of the choices that you made. So, um, yeah, I like it. Yeah, it looks like they've learned um, quite a bit from The Last of Us in terms of aspects like that, making, giving you more options on how to tackle an area and having the interactions between characters feel a little bit more believable. Which Uncharted definitely needed. Yeah. It looks like the world is a lot bigger as well, so that's going to help create mm-hmm. multiple routes and everything, and that, and that looked quite evident with the Jeep mod, and they've introduced vehicles. So, yeah, I've I'm looking, really looking forward to that game. You know, it looks like they've used the delay in it to their advantage. That's right. 
Let's move on for time's sake to Nintendo. Uh, they did again um, a digital event instead of a press conference, which I feel like last year um, they they really hit it out of the park. Like they were the standout, best in show. Like no question about it. Um, is they had a very tightly controlled conference, uh, not even conference, the digital event. They, they were able to cut between videos very smoothly. They had pre-recorded segments and so nothing was going to go wrong on stage. They um, followed it up with um, hours of, uh, days of just streaming live gameplay of some of their new games. And so everything felt very... Um, very controlled, but at the same time, very honest, yeah. which is something that, you know, Nintendo has always excelled in this year. They, um, they started off early before E3, even by making some pretty huge announcements about smash bros, including, um, you know, just dropping two surprise characters on us, uh, for download that morning, which is very exciting. Um, but I feel like they kind of, uh, blew their load a little early on that one. Like there was nothing in their, E3 conference that was as big as the Smash Bros. news? No, not really. They showed off a bit more of Star Fox, which is uh, uh, looking, it's looking pretty, but I, I, I don't know, I can't help but feel like it looks a bit boring at this point. Yeah. Like, I kind of remarked when I was watching it, like, is this an early build? Like, are enemies not in this game yet? Like, I hope they don't forget to add enemies at some point because, you know, there's maybe like one on screen at any given point. And, you know, given the success of uh, Kid Icarus Uprising and, um, you know, Sin and Punishment, Star Successor for the Wii, like, uh, Nintendo has had some pretty amazing, uh, like, you know, on rails or uh, that type of shooter on their console experience. So like they know how to do this type of thing now. Um, but I don't know, this one didn't really inspire a ton of confidence in me. I mean, looking at the conference overall, I had to go back and look at the puppets and find, cause I, I kept flicking across to other things and just listening to the conference because mm-hmm. it really didn't grab me. And then people on Twitter were going, well, you've got to look at the puppets, look at the puppets. I was like, ah, oh. So I kept having to go back and look at these puppets, and they were, <laughs> they, they were probably the highlight, I'm sorry to say. They were quite um, amusing, yeah. Yeah. When I'm looking through it, it's only probably standout was the, the Amiibos on the Skylander. Yeah, they dedicated a lot of time yeah. to that, uh, that yeah. Bowser and Donkey Kong are going to be coming to the next Skylanders, which yeah. uh, um, I don't like the builds as much as I like the uh, the physical plastic figures of the Amiibos that Nintendo makes themselves. But, um, you know, as has been the pattern for the last couple of years, it's kind of nice to see Nintendo being a little bit more open with their properties and yeah. uh, allowing people to be taking things in different directions. We've seen Hyrule Warriors and... Uh, you know, Metroid Prime Federation Force, which might have been a little bit of a backfire this year, but it's a quiet. Uh, that's not such a petty thing. Like canceling this Metroid Prime game is not going to make an actual Metroid Prime game happen. Like, in fact, it's going to show, oh, you know, actually the Metroid Prime uh, name can't sell games. So why would we invest in a Metroid Prime game? Uh, but yeah, whatever it, it, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. It's a very dumb petition. Yeah. The, uh, speaking of, uh, the potential kind of being undercut, I think the worst moment for me in all of E3 was seeing the, you know, cause there have been rumors of a Wii U animal crossing game for a little while and people oh, yeah, saying like, yeah. Oh, you know, th- this could work. Uh, we've had, 
the Animal Crossing series is gone, console handheld, console handheld, and it's about time for another console Animal Crossing game, which I, I'm well up for. And uh, I, I saw them kind of like step off the train. I'm like, oh, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. Uh, and noticing like, what are these weird circles on the ground? And then that moment of realizing like, oh no, 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 please don't be what I think it is. And yeah, it's an it's a Mario Party game. <sighs> Just whatever. I I can't muster up any amount of caring about an Animal Crossing Mario Party game. And then they are really doubling down on the the whole uh, amiibo aspect of their mm-hmm. game as well of, the, of their games as well. And it seems a bit odd given how how widely publicized the the problems yeah, of, yeah. they're having with distributing these amiibos. Whether they are deliberately you know throttling supply to try and drive up demand or not um but people just can't yeah. get them and so it it looks almost like this animal crossing game won't even work without the amiibo which makes me think this yeah. is either going to come in a package of like uh the game and you know four or even all eight amiibo bundled together which is going to be hugely expensive like I like those amiibo, like the Animal Crossing amiibo look lovely. And I would love to have the, you know, KK Slider and all these characters that I like. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't care to have the game. And I don't know. It just, uh, it, it seems messy. Not what I wanted. Yeah, I've always thought Animal Crossing works best as a mo- as like a you know game on a handheld system rather than a home console anyway. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that interested okay. in that. Okay. Uh, Mario Maker got a new name. It is now Super Mario Maker, which uh, feels a little weird. It's like, is this a sequel to what you had not released before? Or <laughs> is it so iteratively different than the previous Mario Maker builds that you decide to throw a subtitle on there? But um, it, it's very impressive. They showed that mostly at the um, Nintendo World Championships, which I think was the perfect place to debut some of its new features. And they did a really good job of showing that off. Uh, the actual talk about Super Mario Maker during the conference itself was, uh, like I would say about the rest of the conference, a bit boring, which is yeah. unfortunate. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Um, it looks like a really interesting title and I'm, I'm glad to see that it, uh, uh, that they're continuing to add new features to it. And it looks really exciting uh, we just kind of need to get that in people's hands. There's not a lot more. I feel like we can learn about it from this point. I feel like people who are interested in the idea are already sold on it. And so I'm uh, I'm, I'm well up to see what's going on with that one. Yeah. The Xenoblade Chronicles new trailer What's interesting. Yeah, that one's going to hopefully be making its way over soon. Yeah. Yoshi's Woolly World. We'll give mm-hmm. a big segment on that. And the use of the Amiibos. And the graphics are brilliant on that. Yeah, um, yeah. This year, it just felt this year Nintendo was stuck with their release of a new console next year or announcement. Yeah. And what can we do to pick up sales of the Wii U? I mean, so it, it just felt like we were treading water this year. Yeah. We, we weren't willing to release any more information on Zelda. Um, people just parted with Metroid Prime. So it just felt like oh, a lot of the things were already announced and there was nothing there that was going to grab maybe potential right. customers to say, come and buy Wii U. It was like, yeah, we've done everything and you've got to wait for the NX next year. Okay. 
Yeah. I, I reckon if you haven't got a Wii U by this point, if you have any inkling that there's going to be a new one around the corner, why would you yeah. buy one? There is a great uh, catalog of games on the system. And even if you don't already, like I'd mm. say mm. pick one up because there are some games like Bayonetta 2 and Super Mario 3D World and Hyrule Warriors and uh, some wonderful, wonderful titles that you don't want to miss out on, Smash Bros. Mm. especially. Yeah. Um, so yeah, buy one, but Nintendo's probably already kind of easing back on uh we didn't see anything about zelda yeah. we didn't see anything about uh you know some of the bigger titles that we're expecting yeah if you do pick one up don't expect it to have a long future yeah. but as a strong past so you know yeah, you can dig does. right into some yeah. of that backlog yeah yeah definitely well as, as a conference that wasn't as a conference it wasn't strong yeah yeah, I had a new Mario Tennis, a new Mario and Luigi, and a Paper Mario crossover. But uh, yeah, it, it felt to me rather long and boring, mm. which is not something I often would say about no. Nintendo. And especially since it was a pretty short conference, too. Uh, I think it was like under an hour. And yeah. so, um, you know, the fact that they were even able to make that feel padded and boring was... Uh, it felt... I know this is Nintendo. Like they're the ones who make things, you know, fun and tangible. And but I didn't get that at all from from this one. Square Enix. I didn't see. I didn't. I have to say, I didn't see the PC game show. No, uh, I didn't either. I heard afterwards that it was quite boring and very very long. So I'm glad I missed it. Um, I've only seen highlights of Square Enix conference as well. I didn't see this one all the way through. I kind of wished I had. There was there was more about that. To be honest, there, there were more interesting announcements in that that I weren't expecting. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that I wasn't expecting. Just cause free. I played the first Just Cause. I never picked up the second one. I heard it was absolutely bonkers, and they just seem to have just doubled down on that. They're definitely going in the the Saints Row direction of like people like messing around in this giant playground with grappling hooks and and explosives. So we'll give them even more grappling hooks and explosives. Yeah, that could be yeah, fun. It looked funny. It looked fun when you were taking down about three or four helicopters at a time with your grappling hook. Um, so yeah. it's an open world game where you can just, what we're saying, you can just do about anything in a, and just not even follow your story because it, needs, it means little to them. Yeah, it looked brilliant as a game and taking advantage of current gen hardware. Yeah, it just, it just yeah. It it looks like the sort of game where the storyline's going to be secondary to just messing about in a giant sandbox where you can abuse physics. Yeah, it look it looks yeah, it looks fun. Um, I'll definitely check that yeah, one out. Same here. For me, it was only just cost free and do sex. Mankind yeah, divided. yeah. I um I loved uh, Human mm. Revolution. Um, I played both of uh, the the uh, original Deus Ex and um yeah I loved. Human Revolution. I love the the the, the art style, uh, the very sort of Blade Runner esque near future. It was a good story, slightly disappointing ending, and uh, I'm a sucker for a good stealth game. So yeah, I'm I'm very excited for uh, the next day. Yeah, I think the style looks quite interesting with the replicants being was it replicants um, taken and put into like um, their own separate area. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that's something that the, the kind of like it was touched on a lot more in the original mm. Deus Ex, where where in that version of the further down the line, people with like uh, bionic limbs 
um, are sort of like second citizens and they live in slums. Um, yeah, it's, it, I don't know, it, it, it's an interesting way to, because because from what I can gather from the story, you know, Adam Jensen is now working for a private security corporation who are hunting down yeah. terrorists. And then I'm, I'm guessing he's going to have some crisis of conscience and see that they're not all yeah. that bad. <laughs> can always already see the sort of direction the storyline could go in, but I'm still very much looking yeah, forward to that. Yeah, it looks interesting, it looks really good. Um, and I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a kind of shame that that um, E3 tailed off a little bit after the the explosion that was uh, the, the Sony conference. Yeah, there was only really a few highlights left for the for the rest of the weekend. Uh, most of the 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 interesting information comes from the interviews and people actually getting hands on with the games later on. Um, I did just remember we completely forgot to talk about um, the Taken King, the uh, Destiny expansion oh, that yes. they announced during the Sony yeah. conference, I think. Um, yeah, uh, if you're a, a big Destiny player like me, I've put in something embarrassing like a thousand hours over wow. three characters since the game came out, <laughs> or, or getting near there at least, um, then having a big expansion with a separate, you know, a full campaign and new environments to go to, and finally having those third subclasses for each of those characters... That's one of the things I'm looking forward to the most this year now, uh, th- th- that expansion and um, and Star Wars Battlefront. Yeah. So yeah, if you, if you, I'm sure if you're into Destiny, you you've been all over the information about the Taken King anyway, so you don't need me to tell tell you about it. So what else? Anything else you saw in games? There were a few things that were notable by their absence. I I was surprised that considering Persona Five, yeah. it's got. A, the Persona series have got a big fan base. Um, there hasn't been a full Persona game, a uh, full Persona RPG, uh, for the entirety of the PS3 lifespan. The only one was Persona 4 Golden, like a PS2 game that was transferred onto the Vita. Um, I thought there would have been something about that, because that's out in Japan at the end of this year, and then out over here some point next year, I'm guessing. But maybe they're just going to hold that back for Tokyo yeah. Game Show. Um no, I mean, I think that we've talked about all the things that were the, were the highlights, to be honest. I mean, for me, there was just a couple. Kingdom Come Deliverance. I don't know if you've heard about no. this one. It, it's set in the 1500s, I believe. It's set in during the middle, well, the medieval times. Yeah. Um, it, it was a Kickstarter, and it got fully funded. Um, I saw the trailer for it that came out. It's an RPG in the type of Skyrim, Fallout, Remote but set in the Middle Ages. So that looks fascinating. And hopefully it will be more political, you know, rather than basically the Middle Ages didn't have any monsters. But <laughs> that one looked interesting. And the other one, which I was, which I've always hoped for, was Transformers Devastation. And that one, it was just the art style. It's by Platinum Games. Yeah. It's, and it is cel-shaded. Um, have you ever seen the G1 cartoons? I can't say that I have, no. I'm just having a look at the, uh, some screenshots now, though, but uh, I see what you mean about the art style. Yeah, yeah it's nice. But it's almost oh. back to the 90s. Oh, I see what you mean. No, cartoon. yeah, I have seen. Um, now I can see the art style. I have seen that, that, that style of uh, Transformers cartoon. That, for me, was, well, that looks really interesting and the gameplay. You know, you're taking control of one of the Autobots. Um, looks very good, very, very fast. 
in the platinum style. I think the director who did Metal Gear, is it Revengeance? Uh, yeah, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Yeah. Rising, yeah. He's the one in charge of this one. So hopefully if there's anything like the combat like that, it will be a very good Transformers game. But I was really blown away by the art style of that one. Yeah, uh, I'm just looking through some screenshots at the moment. It, it looks stunning. Um, yeah. It looks, yeah, it looks like a, like a, I don't know how it's going to work then, because I presume it's going to be a 3D game trying to show a very 2D sort of art style. Yeah. Yeah, that could be interesting. Well, there's a trailer available to I will have to look that up. But um, yeah, I, I, I trust Platinum Games to make something different. They always make something different. They don't always manage to nail making a, a top quality game, but it's always something uh, apart from uh, the Bayonetta games. Um, yeah. But no, yeah, Platinum Games, are, there's nothing, nobody does them quite like them. That looks interesting. Uh, what's, interest, what's interesting as well is that Activision went to them and said, what do you want to do? And they actually wanted to do this game. So that, that puts me in a lot of pride yeah. that this will be a very good Transformers game. Yeah, and I thought it was a very, very strong conference overall. Yes, yeah. Um, so some of the, uh, the third-party conferences were a little bit disappointing, but there was enough. I mean, the addition of Bethesda made up for almost all of that. And then Microsoft's conference was outstanding. Sony's conference had some problems. Um, they didn't announce anything first party that's out this year, but there was enough of the of the other announcements, these surprise announcements, and this and, and the fan service to kind of uh, erase that. Yeah, very strong E three overall. Yeah, it's it's a a good time to be a fan of video games and a good time to come back if you've lapsed. Congratulations! You've made it to the end of our first episode. Well done for making it this far. And if you did, why not send us a tweet to AtLapsGamer with the hashtag LGRIronMan and let us know you're a podcast listening machine that has more stamina than Mo Farah. All that's left to say is thank you for listening and we hope to speak to you again on the next episode of Laps Gamer Radio. Goodbye from me and all the LGR crew. Thousands of others have felt, and it was. That's Gamer Radio.